This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. It is May 12, 2017, and no, I don't know the episode number, but this is still Psychology is Dead here on the Pro Wrestling Only podcast feed. I'm your host, Quentin Moody, and we took some time off. I'm busy with school and things along those lines, and I'm almost done, but I couldn't stay away too long because there's this one topic and one wrestler that always seems to get brought up when I'm talking to this person, and Brock, you always mention AJ Styles, and I feel like we had to do this podcast because you can't keep his name out your mouth. I don't think I always mention AJ Styles. He comes up when appropriate in conversations. See, I think that's a lie because this podcast episode was also solely your idea. This this is a... That is preposterous. You approached me with this after I talked a lot of shit about AJ Styles for months and was like, hey, let's do a podcast. And I was like, fine. This <laughs> I, this wasn't my idea. You think I want to be here? <laughs> you think I want to be here talking for hours about a wrestler I don't like? So in case you don't already recognize him from the 12 hours of uh, audio we've done between the art of death and our top 100 matches of 2016... That's Brock Yonke from the Sports Entertainment Shrinks and a writer for Wrestling With Words. Brock, how are time, you? I think that's the first time you've actually said my last name. Well, because I, like, what's the point in saying your last name? Because it's like, like looking <sighs> at it makes me angry because it's like such a weird name. It is a very weird German name, yeah. But how are you doing, Brock? Uh, I'm, I don't know, I'm super tired. I haven't, what, it's like eight, third, I haven't slept in 50 hours and I've watched about as many hours of AJ Styles matches in the last two weeks, and I'm about to talk about them for a long time. So I'm not stellar, but uh, I'm glad to be here. And since I can't come up with anything too clever, the title of this episode is simply going to be The Art of Style. Mm. And this is going to be the first wrestler specific podcast we do here for psychology is dead and the reason for it is i was joking around that this was brock's idea and he was forcing me to talk about aj styles and he's always talking shit about him well he does always talk shit about him but it's true this is because in the last year or so as i've watched aj styles and his run in wwe it keeps crossing my mind that even though i have always thought highly of this guy even though I think he's already someone who I can make a case for being an all-time great, that in the last three years, let's just say, since he's Mm -hmm. left TNA, his legacy has grown and grown and grown exponentially. And for someone like Brock, who 
was never a big AJ guy, which we'll get into, seeing him so hyped up can wear on you. And this isn't going to be an episode focused solely on (laughs) AJ Styles and what he's done and our thoughts on him, but the concept of hype and how Mm -hmm. hype can affect the viewer in a negative way. So to start this off, Brock, I know I started watching AJ Styles as a kid. Mm. This was way back, maybe seven or eight years old. But before I get into my introduction to AJ Styles, do you have any first memories of him? I don't have any concrete ones. Um, Like, I couldn't... Well, I mean, I could tell you where I first watched my first AJ Styles match. Uh, You said you were about seven or eight when you first saw him, but uh, I was much older. I got into wrestling... Uh, as an older fan in my teen years already. And I very quickly um, got into backyard wrestling and uh, before and or after shows, my friends and I um, to sort of like hype ourselves up or to just hang out in a wrestling environment uh, would just watch wrestling DVDs that we owned. And uh, somebody had like a best of TNA volume one or like a, a best of the X division volume one or something. And we watched that a lot, and I have a lot of fond memories of hanging out as like a 15-year-old in my friend's living room, sitting on the couch or sitting on the floor, and like losing our minds over uh, Ultimate X or like AJ versus Joe or any any sort of match that we're going to talk about here tonight. When I first got introduced to AJ Styles, I already established that it was as a very young kid. And for some people that may be like, whoa, you are already watching AJ Styles and you're like seven or eight years old. But keep in mind that TNA was on TV. So yeah. TNA, Spike. you know, like good. TNA for better or for worse, for how terrible it may be sometimes, it was on and I saw it as an alternative even back then. Mm-hmm. So this was even before they were on Spike and I saw them on Fox Sports probably. So, <laughs> okay. and I saw this guy and he like had this really like clean cut haircut. He probably like looked like the stereotype of what a Marine would look like. Mm-hmm. And then I see him do these amazing, amazing athletic things like jumping over a guardrail, like off the vertical leap and sliding under it. And the way he would reverse certain things. I'm like, who is this guy? Mm-hmm. And It entranced me so young that I was watching AJ Styles. So from that moment on, I start watching TNA whenever I can. And then it becomes available on Spike TV. So I'm watching it weekly. So now I'm getting introduced to AJ Styles on a regular basis. And then I'm seeing Samoa Joe and Chris Sabin and uh, Alex Shelley and all these guys. And then WWE guys come in, like Kurt Angle and Christian Cage. And so... Pretty much, I was there watching TNA as it was starting to form and become a bigger deal. Now, okay. obviously, that didn't last due to very bad decisions and <laughs> stupid uh, uh, decisions made by various people in power. But regardless, the one thing that always stuck with me is how much AJ Styles left an impact on me. Uh-huh. Now... The one elephant in the room when it comes to AJ Styles and whenever people talk about him is the homophobia. Now, this is this is an interesting case because, like, 
um, through Twitter, I've gotten to know a lot of people who are not solely WWE fans, but who are like first and foremost WWE fans and they're big AJ people. Um, and like, I've talked to them a little bit over the years and they like were not familiar at all with this man's homophobia. How, how many people do you think actually know about this? At this point? Or just yeah. like, um, at this point, I feel like at least in our bubble, yeah, it's pretty known. I'm not going to say, thing. you know, your regular WWE fan is like looking at YouTube and him calling people um, the F word on random indie shows. Yeah. So I don't think they're aware of that, but if you're listening to this podcast or if you follow <laughs> us on Twitter, like you have at least heard of yeah. the things AJ Styles has said or done. You may have even heard the infamous um, gay community soundbite. Mm-hmm. So I feel like people who are listening to this have an idea. Sure. Has anyone uh, has anyone ever confronted you about this? Because I've gotten in like big arguments with it. Confronted me about the AJ Styles homophobia thing? Yeah, like uh, like you would mention it in passing. And uh, for example, some anonymous Twitter egg would be like, "What the fuck? This this doesn't <laughs> exist. <laughs> this is it real? The SGWs? <laughs> yeah. No, I've never gotten into that. I get, but, I get a lot of that. <laughs> but I think it's funny, like not funny, but like seeing people who are are so unaware of it, but sure. it's been a part of. AJ and things yeah. he said in his yeah. wrestling matches for a very fucking long time. Yeah. So the reason why I bring this up is because I know people, I'm friends with people who will say, I don't like AJ Styles solely because he is homophobic. Mm. And yeah. this comes yeah. from people who are also on the LGBTQ spectrum. So this hits close to home for them. So sure. whenever they say, I don't like AJ Styles because of this, I get it. Like, mm. they're being personally attacked. That hurts. So I'm never going to question it. So when we were talking and you said the homophobia wasn't the sole reason why <laughs> you dislike AJ Styles or have your hangups with him, I found it curious because you're also someone that's on the LGBTQ spectrum, but mm. you're not viewing him solely as that. You're also taking it to him as a wrestler and him compared to other people around him that he may yeah. or may not be better than. Yeah. And, and like, I think the reason for that is because um, like people aren't binary. They aren't black or white. They aren't one or two. They're, they're, they're a, a mixture of gray. Like people are complicated. People aren't necessarily 100% good or 100% evil. And so, in the same way that people aren't 100% one thing or the other, like in wrestling, sometimes when a person does a terrible thing, I, I understand that sometimes, sometimes there are ulterior factors and it's not just because they're a terrible person. And this is something we've talked about um, recently in, in personal chats and in group chats uh, on twitter like this is a uh, sort of a hot <laughs> hot button issue with a lot of people right now but like aj comes from um a certain group of communities in which like 
saying the F word or using the F word against people, whether or not they were gay or not, was just sort of a thing they did. Like the generation that came before us, or I, I would group our generation with AJ's generation, as a matter of fact, like for a certain type of person who grew up in the nineties and the two thousands, like the F word was just like a word. It was, it was, it was something in the parlance. It was something in the vernacular. It's, it's a word that has grown out of style for good and bad reasons over the years. Uh, in the same way that something like radical or gnarly or far out dude has. Um, but it's also like a word of hate. It is a word of malice. It's, it's a word that has been thrown at me, at my friends, at family members. Like it's, it's a word that gets people killed. And like, I'm, I'm so, I'm, I'm part of like the 1% of, gay people who haven't really had to deal with that a lot. And I'm so very fortunate to have not had to see my friends killed or like to have my friends denied housing or jobs because of who they were. And like, I'm, I'm so lucky to have not seen that, but for so many people, it is a fact of life. Like so many people I know, so many wrestling fans I know, so many people who no longer watch wrestling because like they simply couldn't stand a community that was praising AJ Styles and just sort of hand waving his homophobia. And that's the thing is like we wanted to come on here and we wanted to talk about this person that you and I have mixed feelings about, but we were also we were also very aware of the fact that we had to talk about this issue that can't just be hand waved. And I don't know, I feel like in wrestling sometimes people are just too willing to look past that they're they're uh, they're very willing to uh separate the art from the artist now do you think that is something that wrestling fans tend to do more or do you think in general uh, as consumers of art yeah. that we no, just I, you know that we're just prone to doing that I, yeah i think anybody who like who enjoys any form of entertainment is like that like look at like i'm a kanye fan to some degree but like i I'm completely turned off by the fact that like he's a Trump guy and I'm completely turned off by all the other terrible things he's done in his, in his life and his career. Um, and like that weighs heavily on me. Well, and if when someone, I, if someone is a Morrissey fan, you know, sure. you're a fan of the Smiths or Morrissey solo work, but you still see the things that Morrissey has done and said, it's like, you know, how much can you keep yeah. separating it and how much can it, you know, can it not weigh on you? Yeah. And that's, and, and it weighs differently on different people. Like for some people, this is enough to drive them out of wrestling. And I, and I will never judge those people. And I know um, people that will straight up say, I just, I just don't watch AJ Styles matches because he is a homophobe. Sure. And or, or on the other end of that spectrum, I just don't care. You just don't care because it, he's just an entertainer and he's not AJ Styles. The character isn't necessarily a homophobe. You know, and a lot of people like think of it that way. And I, I guess like, like look at Benoit. Like, I guess, I guess for certain people, there is like a scale of terrible things. Like, I, I don't think most people would hand wave murder, though we see a lot of that with Benoit. Uh, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think most people would just hand wave rape. Um, though again, we see a lot of that wrestling. But as we get like further, further down that scale, I think. F- for a lot of people, homophobia just isn't that big of an issue. Do you think that has to do more with the fact that there just aren't a lot of people who identify with 
LGBTQ in the wrestling community. So it's just not like, a f- to put it this way, like, I'm black. So if someone, say Bill Watts, said yeah. something really racist and bigoted. <laughs> and it's funny, funny, it's funny you say if. Well, he has. So <laughs> yeah. when he says these things or when I know that he said these things, that it's going to affect me more mm. than it is going to be someone else that isn't black. Now, that's yeah. not to say that you that someone else, that someone that isn't black doesn't care. Sure, they sure, sure, sure. Definitely can, but it just hits home for you more if this is actually your life. You identify as this thing, and then you're being attacked for it, or you're this person is using slurs that are offensive to you. So, and it's not. I I think a big deal. We wanted to talk about like problematic faves with this podcast as well yeah. as like other people that you and I like that have done bad things along with AJ Styles, but specifically with AJ, like he just did it for so long and so consistently, yeah. like, and, and that, that like weighs heavily on me. And like, I, I mentioned like he just comes from that generation in which like that was fine. I said that when I was a kid before I like understood who I was and what the world was like, um, like he comes he's he's heavily devout christian and i i'm sure on some level he thinks that like man lying with man is a sinful act and like i can understand where it comes from but it doesn't mean that i have to accept it yeah that's the thing is that we always talk about well you have to keep in mind where someone came from how they were raised yeah and that's fine because there's always a reason for why somebody is the way they are yeah like you said it's not black and white we're not purely good and evil we may say fucked up things, we may do bad things, but they may come from a place of, well, this is how I was taught. Sure. This is just, you know, my general life, and they just had never had it, had it explained to them in any other way. So, to see someone like AJ Styles, who's done it for a very long time, and you were keeping track of the times that he would say <laughs> the F word um, on this thread on Twitter you were doing. Yeah. And it, like, goes back to 2002. Yeah. And it's funny. I only, uh, I didn't update it the last time. I only counted three in the matches that I found, but I know of other matches, like specifically a lot in ROH. Yeah. Um, a lot of matches that I just didn't watch for this project. And I think a big part of that is that once he gets on TV and especially in the last, like, let's say six or eight years, like he just completely stops saying it, at least in public in, in a wrestling setting. But like, there was there was, there was one instance on the indie show, I think uh, maybe. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, NWA like Smoky Mountain or something. Yeah, uh, it was. Did in twenty fifteen was the most recent time I think. Uh-huh. So while from like two thousand eight or nine to uh, twenty fifteen, it didn't yeah. happen at least uh, to anyone's knowledge on a public scale at a wrestling event, wrestling event. Like it did pop up, you know, during the yeah. height of his, you know, quote-unquote redemption run, which we'll talk about uh-huh. later. And it's like, I I don't want to judge a guy for who he was 15 years ago. Like, that's not a fair thing to do. And if he, like, if he does go on this redemption run, <laughs> if, if we want to use that word in two different ways, if he does, like, redeem himself and and apologizes and, like, cleans his act up, I'm okay with that. But, like, I haven't seen that. Yeah, exactly. It's just kind of been slipping the rug, so to speak. Yeah, and that's just I don't yeah, I, mean, I don't like that. Yeah, that's not okay. 
But so, I mean, this this big this big conversation was was based around like why that isn't the sole reason I don't like him, and it's yeah. because like I, I I I try to be as objective as I can be as a consumer and as a critic of things that I love, and like I don't agree with the whole separate the art from the artist thing. I think that's horseshit. But I at the same time can appreciate the work of someone who i think is monumentally fucked up and i don't think itch is monumentally fucked up i'm just i'm just saying in general um so outside of his homophobia which is an ever-present thing in my mind uh there are good and bad qualities to this performer who who we've both watched for a very long time so before we get into what are your personal hangouts with aj as a performer we did want to mention the other problematic phase as they're called in wrestling mm, oh know, boy <laughs> in, because it's wrestling there sure are a lot of them so many so and many it was interesting because when we talk about like your personal issues with aj outside mm. of it there's ones where maybe because i haven't known you very long that it doesn't seem like you yeah. get as riled up about them yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah one off the top of my head would be like the necro butcher Oh, this is okay. That's not where I thought you were going with this one, but it's a very good example. Yeah, Necro Butcher, uh, who back in, I want to say like 2011, maybe it was fairly recently, uh, was arrested for domestic abuse, uh, and may or may not have separated from his wife because of that. I think, I think his wife was like embezzling money from him or something. I'm not sure if I know the the backstory, and there's really no, there's no reason for you to ever abuse your spouse but uh yeah one of my favorite wrestlers ever someone we're gonna talk about later uh the necro butcher is uh yeah a wife beater and then the person that you think is the greatest wrestler of all time stone cold steve austin uh-huh well once again another domestic abuser uh two-time actually uh not convicted he pled no low contendere to both of them i believe uh but that is like that is basically giving yourself up and not saying you're innocent, but also not saying you're guilty. Uh, but yeah, like someone who I think is literally the greatest wrestler of all time, who is also like a terrible person and multi-time uh, abuser. And like, I can't like, these are my two of my favorite wrestlers. And I, like, I can't forget that. I can't just hand wave that as, as much as I can't hand wave AJ stuff. No. What about, a? Uh... One that people may not know that you're such a big fan of, um, Chuck Taylor. Yeah, Chuck uh, Chuck Taylor's a little weirder because, like, in shoot interviews, sometimes he says like uh, vaguely homophobic things, and then will like immediately apologize for it, which may or may not like fly with certain people, and it doesn't always fly with me. But he's also like. He's also like AJ, someone who, who sort of came up in that generation and is also just from the South where that's a little bit more okay than it is farther North, I think. Um, and is also like, I have no hard evidence for it, but like, I think he is also gay. And so I'm not sure if that has to deal with it. And it's, yeah, but literally my favorite wrestler has said some questionable things and other people such as Eddie Kingston, who hopefully will be brought up here in a second, uh, has suggested that he's also said, uh, terrible things. Yeah, I mean, now that you want to bring it up, it's two guys I know that you're very high on. Mm-hmm. One, you wrote like a 6,000 <laughs> word article on this man. It's something. <laughs> Eddie, Eddie Kingston in Homicide. Yeah. Uh, two both... guys also from that 
generation yes grew up you know in uh tough living circumstances um guys from new york yeah yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah. this is something where i look at these two and then they say these things but then the other one will also like stand up for this friend so when homicide said something mm. homophobic at an aw show yes eddie kingston then goes on to a later aw uh backstage promo yeah like a, a legit show not something he just said on twitter yeah yeah at a legit aw show saying something homophobic people um responded with backlash towards homicide and aw for allowing that and then eddie kingston on a later aw show then does this promo backstage and he mentions people being overly politically correct mm -hmm. and getting his brother in trouble yeah and it's and like that's hardly like the the first time either one of those men said something questionable um like racist stuff over the years lots of homophobic stuff over the years uh specifically kingston was the guy who, I'm, who i was referring to with chuck taylor saying terrible things like two guys who you can point fingers at like where it comes from but yeah like two more guys who are scumbags on some level so and like, like that's not in, in like we've listed off what four now and like there are five six seven i don't even know how many <laughs> <laughs> there's so many like there's shingo strong. takagi roderick, roderick strong. strong shingo takagi uh jay briscoe is another yeah. guy like um like if i go through like the old the old people like my top 15 wrestlers that we'll talk about later like chris benoit for example like uh negro casas may or may not have done some terrible things in his life he may also be a vampire so that comes with <laughs> it's not confirmed but he might have done some shit uh stan hansen has definitely uh, <laughs> clotheslined somebody off of a bicycle which is a no-no um i don't know about shinya hashimoto actually chris benoit is on this list what? danielson's on this list and may, may, may or may not be anti-vax i don't know if that's true rick flair's on this list like like so we talk about it a lot and i think sometimes people use it as something to shield themselves from liking this terrible thing but like wrestling is a horrible profession that attracts horrible people and like like sometimes people really do just kind of hand away that it's like oh it's all bad like i know i know it's bad but i watch it because it's fun but i recognize that it's all bad and like i don't know if that's a harmful way of thinking or not to just be like well whatever you know yeah so, and like i don't i don't know how to like i don't know how to be an ethical wrestling fan and i don't think there is a way to be it i think because we're so deep into wrestling yeah and because we're so aware of like things that go on we're not talking like backstage stuff we're talking about like these performers as people and things they've actually done and said that can be harmful to you know other people in the outside world sure and i think because we're so deep into wrestling and because it is like not a dying fandom, but something that isn't nearly as popular as it used to be, as far uh -huh. as, like, how many people, you know, casually will talk about wrestling, is that we kind of, like, take it, like, yeah, I know wrestling is bad, but if I'm not watching it, then no one else is watching it, and then, like, pretty much, I guess, in a way, wrestling keeps dying. Sure. And it's not to say that wrestling is, is in a bad state, 
but just for the fact that there's not that many people watching wrestling as there was before. Yeah, like I, I don't. It's definitely not like the primary reason people stopped watching after 2001 or so, but like there definitely has been a larger culture shift since the 90s uh, towards slightly more wholesome entertainment or slightly more, um, dare I say, woke entertainment. And yeah, like I think I think for a, a large amount of people, they stopped watching wrestling because they couldn't put up with that anymore. And you know, the person that always gets brought up for why a lot of people got turned off by wrestling is Benoit. Because once the incident with him happened, he yeah. murdered his wife and child, is, you know, people just realized how harmful wrestling can be. And that was 10 it, years ago at this point. Yeah, and it wasn't the first thing he did bad, ever. <laughs> yeah, not the first thing he did bad either. You know, he was a... He was known abuser. like backstage abuser like JBL is like getting criticized yeah. for right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So to move past a problematic phase. Now, you have these hangouts with AJ that I'm not sure we've ever really talked about when it comes to like what your ex- what exactly your issues are with him. Mm. On, outside like, outside of the outside of the homophobia. Yeah. What your like issues with him as a performer are on a general yeah. level. I don't think I've ever really heard you explain it so before we get into other things like what we think are great matches of his bad matches of his and other things what are your general hangouts with aj styles as a performer Mm -hmm. well some of them will become apparent as we talk about these matches specifically um one one thing that really weighs on me and it's something that weighs on like so many wrestlers, like probably 95% of wrestlers I watch is like bad selling. Um, and he's definitely gotten better at it over the years. I will say that. And, and you could probably more accurately describe what he does as uh, sometimes inconsistent selling. Um, and it, and it's also fair that like 95% of wrestlers that I watch also have inconsistent selling. And it's something that bothers me with most everyone who isn't like, one of the grapple fuck guys out of California right now. That's basically about it. That and like maybe some WXW people. Um, so that's, that's one thing. Like it, it, when I like, I like my wrestling to have consequences. I like, I like events to have repercussions. I like to see the rippling effects, uh, like years down the line in the same way as like TV. Like if, if, uh, if the protagonist of your TV show, like they're, like brother dies. I want to be able to see that in that character's eyes two years down the line. I want to see that weight on their shoulders. And in the same way in wrestling, like if, if, if some body part gets hurt, I want to, I want to see that like 10 minutes later in the match. Because I feel that, you know, like when I, when I hurt these fucked up knees of mine, like when I tweak them getting out of bed in the morning, like it, it really sticks with me 10, 20, 30 minutes later. And I want to see that sort of thing because it's, it's the, um it's the language by which, uh, wrestling makes itself understood and it's something that is very important to me um, other things he like this is a weirder issue and we'll talk about it specifically with one match sometimes he potatoes guys really hard like he hits really hard and it see, is see, this sometimes is, an issue see this is the thing <laughs> where I thought it was interesting that you said this yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Considering that you're such a big Necro Butcher fan. Like, yeah, I love when guys hit hard. So, this is what I'm trying to figure out is that AJ <laughs> does think, it, and it's an I, issue. 
I think I think he does it with a greater uh, frequency. I think he well, does he it. Do, he does it with a greater frequency than Necro Butcher. Yeah, I mean, based on the fact he was <laughs> way more than Necro Butcher for one, and two, I think he spends more time getting his offense in the Necro Butcher. But yeah, you're not fair. you're not you're not wrong that that is a that is a, something of a hypocritical thing. But sometimes it's an issue for me. Sometimes I think he's I don't want to say unsafe, but maybe a little reckless. Um, and then like the hype thing is a big deal. And this was one of the issues that you brought up earlier. And it's something that like, it's something that gets thrown around a lot, specifically with people like me and uh, to pull another name out of a hat, TJ Hawk, uh, people who get labeled contrarians who just uh, quote unquote, don't like things that other people like. And uh, I think for people, I can't speak for TJ really, but uh, I think for people like me, it's sometimes that like when something gets super popular um, and when you see it talked about all the time, you look at it with more of a critical eye simply because it's like it's in your face more. Like I'm not thinking about something that hasn't been brought up on Twitter in six months. You know what I mean? Um, so like when you just see it more and when you're exposed to it more, like you think about it more and you watch it and you, you analyze and you critique it more. Uh, and sometimes like that thing just isn't for you. And when something gets big enough, sometimes uh, the the majority of the people who like the thing sometimes lash out at the minority for, I don't know, tribal reasons like that gets into weird, like humanity shit. Um, but yeah, like uh, as AJ has gotten super popular in the last couple of years, I've come to realize more and more of the reasons why I'm not always enthralled with him. And uh, that's it's a central issue <laughs> that we're going to talk about a lot today. So, and I want to I want to say that happens to everybody. Like there is there is something in your life, dear listener, and you, Quentin, that that applies to. And I think it's I think it's a weird thing for people to like throw around the word contrarian to just like once again hand wave someone else's opinions and thoughts and ideas. I think it goes down to, I guess, how well you explain it. Sure, that's a, that's a big deal. Because if you're, because if you say, I don't think such and such is good, or say just like a like weird, um, non sequitur, offhand statement about the person, like, totally, and you don't explain it, like yeah, you're just gonna be viewed as someone that's like, okay, you're just saying that to get people riled up. But yeah, you're just you're just talking shit, <laughs> which I do a lot. I'm not gonna deny. Yeah, that. like that's what I'm saying. Like, so while I get like the thing about being called a contrarian of why that's some tribal shit where just because I don't like what you like doesn't mean I'm a contrarian. I'm, a contra- I'm contrarian because when we look at yeah. your um, greatest wrestler ever list, like a lot of the people that you have on there are, are same like, people. Cons- yeah, yeah, all like consensus greatest of all time picks. Definitely, definitely. So I think it goes down to I guess explaining what are your hangers with a person. Yeah, and and that's and that's what we're doing here. <laughs> yeah. So. Why, while we already touched on your hangups with AJ, what do you think are his best qualities, so to speak? When you see AJ Styles, because you don't hate him. Nope, like, I, I wanna, don't. Like, I want to yeah. make that clear, is that we're doing this podcast, and we're saying all these things, and Brock is going to criticize AJ, and I'm going to defend him, <laughs> but Brock doesn't hate him. Yeah, like, I don't, I don't think I hate anyone in wrestling, or if I did, 
I wouldn't do a three-hour podcast on them. You're not going to hear me do a three-hour podcast on on Will Ospreay or Kazuchika Okada or I mean, who fucking else? Like, I don't even hate those two. Like, they have matches that I love. Like, we talked about at length last year Okada versus Ishii, and I've talked about at length uh, Osprey versus Seidel. They're great matches, and like, they're not terrible people, and I don't hate them, and I don't hate AJ either. It's just sometimes AJ gets on my nerves, and due to the popularity that he has, I have to see that a lot. Now, this is what I've come to realize about you is that when you dislike somebody, when you criticize somebody often, is that it doesn't really come from a place of hate. Yeah. It comes from a place of you wanting them to be that good all the time. Yeah. Now, like which, I, now, which, now, which may be to some people sound like a weird, unrealistic standard that someone is sure. going to be this amazing wrestler 24 seven Every so, single performance. You know, I love Chris Hero, but I'd be lying if I thought every single match he had last year was a knock-out-of-the-park performance. Yeah. Because definitely. he, for lack of a better term, like, did a lot of the same shit. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he actively shit the bat a couple times. So it's like, I can even say that when I love Chris Hero, but I, like, I understand that not everyone is always going to be, like, you know, perfect batting wrestler. Like, yeah, it's not going to happen. And what's more, like, I don't, I don't get anything out of hating a wrestler. I don't get anything out of not enjoying a wrestler's work. Like that is, that is a loss of enjoyment. Like that's, that's, that's a negative space that I could be enjoying something, but sadly I'm not for one reason or another. Like that's not, that's not a net positive for me. (laughs) It's, it's a, it's a bad thing. And, uh, I wish it wasn't there. So what do you view as AJ's best qualities as a performer? Well, we talked about it earlier uh, with him potatoing, guys. Uh, He has great offense, like whether he's hitting hard or just hitting in cool ways. Like there is like there is a short list of people who I think have had better arsenals and better execution of said moves in said arsenal than AJ Styles. Like he he always looks good when he's doing shit. You know what's interesting about AJ Styles? Is that when I first get introduced to him, it's this X Division shit, and he's flying all over the place, and he's getting billed as this as this athletic phenomenon. But as I grew older and started going back and watching AJ Styles matches and watching the stuff he does currently, AJ Styles really fucking lays into people. And it's he really just, does. And it's not just the punches, like regardless of how like worked or not worked those punches may be, they look good as hell, and uh-huh. he has great looking kicks he has great uh-huh. looking forearms he knees. has great you know the knees like when aj styles gets fired up and he starts just blitzing the people on these all these strikes like it looks fucking incredible uh-huh. but uh-huh. you wouldn't think that about aj styles because for so long he was billed as this athletic guy but he has a real like well-rounded game like i talked about it before how arguably the guy's best three looking moves are a drop <laughs> kick a knee drop and a backbreaker. But for yeah. someone like AJ, who gets, you know, talked about as this person who does a whole bunch of moves, like, arguably the best thing he does is a goddamn dropkick. Totally. It's not, it's not, I mean, he, he started to use the forearm as his finisher, but, like, those aren't, like, his big match-ending moves. Those are just staples. Um, 
Is there anything else that you really like about AJ? Yeah, you mentioned you mentioned it just a couple of seconds ago. Like he's a really well-rounded guy, and this sort of um, I'll talk about it a little bit later. Uh, I like I like guys who excel at one thing and do that one thing perfectly, and so I'm sort of uh, frustrated sometimes by uh, like jacks of all trade. Um, but like AJ is a really awesome jack of all trade. Like he can he can do high flying matches, he can do hard hitting matches, he can do technical matches better than like probably pardon me probably like 90 percent of the guys of his generation which are some awesome technical wrestlers yeah like way better than you think too yeah and like he he can pull out just about anything like the only thing i think he couldn't succeed in is like death matches and that's that's like a very shallow skill set that not a lot of people in the world can succeed in but that's like not a knock against him he can he has such variety he's great at just about anything so what I find interesting about what you just said about how sometimes being the jack of all trades can hurt a wrestler for you. You thought the best wrestler in the world last year nah. was Jonathan Gresham last year, right? Uh, Hero, uh, when talking about the entire world, Chris Hero, right. uh, specifically for the TWB 100, which only focuses on American work, uh, I then had to switch it to Gresham. So, I mean, we can apply it to both guys, really, but sure, definitely. Jonathan Gresham, like, I think he's a guy, we talked about him at length before, is that he's so good at everything that he sometimes just doesn't focus. Mm-hmm. And in, and he has other issues in and out of the ring as well, but yeah, that's that's a major problem sometimes. Yeah, so I was wondering, like, because Gresham is, like, such a well-rounded guy, but you still think so highly of him, what separates him as a jack-of-all-trades compared to AJ? It's something I'm going to talk about later with uh, one match in particular that I like a lot. Um, I sort of have a bias against dumb guys, and I don't want to okay. necessarily. I don't want to necessarily say that AJ Styles is a dumb guy. Do you mean it? Do you mean it as in like character, like AJ's character? A little like, bit of both. Like, is like dumb or <laughs> a little, a little bit of both. Okay. Um, like I don't, I don't like when wrestlers or athletes, of really any kind, like work against their best interest. Um, like I understand it in in a situation in which their hand is forced, but uh, I, I don't like when someone goes out of their way to hurt themselves. Right. And like I, I see that a lot in in AJ Styles matches and other guys matches like that. Um, so like where someone like Hero and Gresham, I think, can make it sort of work this jack of all trades thing because they're so savvy in the ring as well as just intelligent people. Uh, I don't want to say AJ Styles is dumb. I don't. I don't think he is a dumb dude, but uh, I don't think he's quite as sharp as Hero and Gresham. Alright. So, what is what are some things you wish AJ did more? Well, I, I had one more thing I, I did want to talk about his strength. Um, I don't think literally ever there has been a person in wrestling who has worked harder than AJ Styles. Oh, well, do you want to do that now? Since that's a real yeah, that's big up, thing when it comes to AJ. <laughs> that's up to you. <laughs> And I think this is one where people like look at the output and look at great uh-huh. matches. Uh-huh. But even more so than great matches, I can't think of a single fucking time I've watched like, AJ Styles and thought, man, he really phoned it <laughs> in there. The closest I can get is a 60-minute draw he did with Christopher Daniels and PWG, in which like the story goes... One of the bookers, like one of the PWG six, approached him and Daniels right after AJ won the PWG belt and was like, Hey, we want you guys to go sixty. And they were like, Oh, we're not feeling it. 
And the person was like, all right, whatever. If, if you're not comfortable with it, it's fine. And then the story goes, AJ took umbrage with that and was like, no, fuck it. We're going to go 60. <laughs> and so they went out there and had a 60 minute match that you may not like, but still like, you know, yeah, because that's like, like that's that determination. It, <laughs> sure. Sure. It, it's not like, it doesn't play to the strengths of those guys. Those are two guys who shouldn't go 60 minutes. Yeah. And, and were especially like not putting in their best effort that night, but they still went. 60 goddamn minutes in Southern California in that like, hot ass gym. <laughs> yeah. Like it's that even, even then they're putting in tons of work. And like, if that's the closest I can get to AJ Styles phoning it in, he doesn't phone it in. Like, that's just one thing that maybe when we get to the 2005 wrestler of the year talk, that uh-huh. is going to be like a real big thing to me because it's going to involve someone that I like a lot, but mm-hmm. it's like, I can't like ignore what happened to them later on. Sure. It's sure, just sure, the sure. same like with AJ, it never happened. Despite how shitty TNA could be and how bad they used him and we're gonna get into those things later on. Yes. Like, no matter how bad things got, I don't ever think AJ Styles himself was bad. And it's we we talked about it because we both watched his uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin interview recently. And he talks about like how he got into wrestling and, and his own work ethic just growing up. And like, he, like, he's just a guy who, who works hard at whatever he does. Like, I'm sure he's a great father. I'm sure he's a great husband. I'm sure he's put in tons of work to those facets of his life that we don't get to see much. And like, he, he's just a guy who like, who is always given 110%. Yeah, it's just like, when you look at that Stone Cold Steve Austin interview, another thing that jumps out to me is that AJ says that while wrestling was sometimes on as a kid, he was never a wrestling fan in that uh-huh. way compared to guys that, you know, Brian, Loki, Joe, all huge wrestling fans. Mm-hmm. And then even more so to the fact where they were like, you know, tape trade nerds and they were watching stuff from Japan. Like, these guys were like huge wrestling nerds. And I, I think you can see it in their work. Exactly. And, like, you know, and more specifically, you can see it absent in AJ's work. That's what that's what the thing is to me, is that when I see Brian Danielson, I see the influence of New Japan Juniors of the 90s. Uh-huh. When I watch Loki, there's like such a clear Keiji Muto influence. When I watch Samoa Joe, there's a clear Hashimoto and Toshiaki Kawada influence. With AJ Styles, because he wasn't a wrestling fan, because he wasn't one of those guys, he has a completely unique feel that no uh-huh. one else at that time did. He, he was, just he moves differently. He thinks differently. He reacts to things differently. It's, yeah. I think that's what separates him. And it's not to say that it's bad to be a fan and then also be a wrestler. Yeah. But AJ was also kind of the last of a dying breed. Because mm-hmm. you don't hear much about wrestlers anymore that didn't grow up fans. Uh-huh. AJ's like the last big name who will say, I wasn't a big wrestling fan. But then look at where we, where he is, you know, in 2017, damn near 40 years old, still bumping on his head on the outside. Uh-huh. Like, even if he wasn't a wrestling fan, the passion and love for what he does is like still so evident. Mm-hmm. And it's clearly like, it's clearly both a just a job for him yeah. and b he wants to excel at that job regardless of what he's doing if if aj styles was a plumber he'd be the best goddamn plumber in the state of georgia like he would just he would 
he would put so much effort into whatever he does. So what are the things that you wish AJ did more of? Like off the top of my head, one thing that I always liked when AJ did, but he never did a lot of, I'll say, is I think AJ could have been a fucking amazing tag team wrestler. Oh, oh my God, yes. AJ, you know, we always, like we mentioned, like, man, if AJ wanted to be the best at this, he'd be the best Uh at it. Uh Uh-huh. Man, I can't think of a better wrestler who'd be suited for just any style of tag team wrestling. You see AJ it, AJ Styles. You see it a lot because he's actually had a lot of tag teams like D'Lo, Daniels, Red, Seidel, Tomko, Cage, and yeah. then like a little bit of Jericho, and oh. then like all the all the Bullet Club stuff, which I wouldn't count, but is technically a tag team. It's like oh, and then the stuff with the Young Bucks, which is awesome. Yeah, we, we can even throw trios in there. Totally. Um, like he excels in all of those. Like the worst of those is him and Tomko, and he's still like holding up the team. And that's still, and that's fucking Tyson Tomko he's with. Like totally, that's <laughs> a it's a it's a broom if I've ever seen one. And and like he's, it, it's it's part of his like just who he is as a person and as a character, like his demeanor. Like he works well with like a younger flippy high flyer who he can sort of mentor. Um, and like there was. Like, he gets really human in those situations. There was a video I tweeted out a little, I think, like, two days ago, uh, where he's, like, consoling Seidel after a match. And it's, like, it is the most moving thing I've seen from his entire career. And it's just, like, this random tag match. And, and like, there's he's so good at it. I love tag matches. They're far and away my favorite kind of wrestling. Like, if I, if I had to choose between... <laughs> only watching singles matches the rest of my life or only watching tag matches, I'd have to go with tag matches. And, like, he kills it in them. Yeah, he's a guy that... I mean, like, in 2006, he did a lot of tag team work, so I'm not going to say, like, he didn't do it or that he has never focused on it. Sure. It's just that, man, if we had got, a, like, a good run with a consistent tag team partner... Yeah. Like, you know, in almost America's most wanted tag team... Totally. Like, with AJ Styles and whoever you want to give him. Like, that'd be, like, one of the best tag teams of, of the generation. Like, But because he never did it to that extent, we always saw we always saw glimpses of it. And while the glimpses uh-huh. are great, it's like, man, you really just want more of that. Yeah. And and speaking of things that we only get glimpses of, uh, we're, this is definitely going to get talked about later when I talk about one match. Um, I kind of – I hate sometimes – how over the top AJ is like, I like my wrestling pretty realistic um, or I like it totally goofball. Like that, that in between bit is where I kind of lose the thread. Um, and sometimes because AJ is so cartoonish, he turns me off in a quote unquote serious setting. But when he is put in uh, a comedy match of some kind, or just put in a outrageous situation where he has to be the straight man reacting to things, he is phenomenal. And I wish he did it more. Now that I think we've almost gone an hour and we haven't even talked about any matches yet. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> it's six hours long. Um, I guess we should get into, I guess, the matches I think really show uh-huh. why I'm so high on AJ Styles. And the way we're going to do this is that I'm going to say what the matches I think are good. I, I think are good from AJ. Yes. Um, talk about them. Bart's going to respond with the matches he think show AJ's weaknesses or bad performances. Uh-huh. Then Brock's going to give AJ's good performances, great matches even. And if we didn't talk about this, off the top of your head, are there bad AJ matches? No. 
<laughs> okay, fine. No, that's, like, like, that's your opinion. <laughs> off the top of my head, I just don't think so. Sure. And like maybe, outside of outside of stuff like the fucking Frank Trigg MMA match, like stuff that like couldn't be outside good. of like fucking facing Rob Van Dam, like in 2010, yeah. <laughs> like, I no, I can't think of one where he was put with a competent professional wrestler who was uh-huh. also good at the time, where they had a bad match. Yeah, sure. Even like the like even people like will point to the Chris Jericho matches, and I get that for some people they were disappointing. Me, I think that's just Chris Jericho and the way he's been for the last sixteen years. So, sure, sure, sure. You know, I actually thought they had really good matches. I thought the Raw match was pretty good. I thought the SmackDown match was actually great. I thought the WrestleMania match was really good. The but tag had, was good. Yeah, <laughs> the tag with um, Jericho against New Day, really good. The only match where I could see people saying, you know what, that was bad, the Fastlane match. But other than that, I don't even think those were below average matches either. Sure. So, the first match of mine that I want to talk about why I think highlights the strengths of AJ as a performer happened in 2014. And it happens to be the second match he has in general Mm. post-TNA. And it's versus Cedric Alexander. In PWX down in North Carolina. There were, uh, so we're doing five matches for each of these sections. Uh, and I took notes for three of these. Two of them, I just, I didn't have anything too meaningful to say. So I'm interested to hear what you have. This match with Cedric, I think, highlights that AJ never lost it. Like the person, like the idea was when he left TNA. And that, oh, how how is AJ going to do when he leaves TNA? Is he going to be able to succeed and all these things? There were legitimate doubts about him Uh when he left. Which is something we're going to talk about later on in the show, is that people really didn't know what to expect from AJ Styles. And I think only his second match in to this, uh, you know, I keep using the term redemption run. But when you look at the perception of AJ at the time, and then what the perception is by the time he gets signed to WWE is a completely different story. So I see this match with Cedric Alexander, and Cedric is a very talented young guy mm-hmm. on the rise. He isn't yet signed to WWE, obviously. Um, and AJ goes down to North Carolina, and he just gives Cedric maybe the best match he's ever had. I think. I wouldn't like go. I wouldn't go that far, but a good one at the very least. I think maybe some maybe some maybe a Roderick Straw match he had, and I'm sure Elgin he's had, like but when I look at Cedric's best stuff, I think this ranks right up there. And it's mm-hmm. because I think AJ goes so far to give Cedric all these totally. shi- all this shine and all these moments to look like his equal. At no point does it feel like Cedric Alexander doesn't belong in the ring with AJ Styles. Yeah. Totally, and that's easy. And that's an easy thing to, that's an easy thing that can happen when a young guy is facing a veteran, and not even a veteran, a guy that was a big star, like a big star can just eat this guy up. But AJ doesn't. He bumps all over the place for him. He lets Cedric look like, look like his equal. He lets Cedric control the match mm-hmm. for a pretty good portion of it. Mm-hmm. And I think it goes to how selfless AJ is in the ring. Mm-hmm. Is that, yeah, AJ is always going to get reactions from what he does. AJ is always going to have to do a cool move that gets the crowd invested. 
whether it be the Pele kick or he busts out some kind of reversal like the Kevlar Frankenstein or whatever that the crowd is going to react for and get behind him for. But he times it so well where Cedric is still the one that gets the most from that match. And you would think that AJ, yeah, he's going down to North Carolina. He still wants to have a great match. But at no point does it feel like he prioritizes having a great match over making Cedric look good. Sure, totally. And I think that's what makes this so great. He is like, and it's something, I think it's something we'll see in all of these matches, really, outside of maybe one of them. Uh, AJ is a pretty selfless performer. Yeah, and this, there's another one from uh, 2015 that I'll talk about after this. But seeing him in his, literally the second match he had mm-hmm. post TNA. And a, and a small one, too. It's like, PWX isn't a huge fed. Like, he's not in front of a couple thousand people. He's in front of maybe 150. Yeah. And that small venue, and PWX has, PWX has gotten bigger as sure. the years have gone since, on. Yeah, at the time, they were much smaller. And AJ, in literally his second match post TNA, goes out there and, you know, he could be selfish. He could smother the guy and not give him mm-hmm. any room to breathe. He could only go like eight minutes as opposed to like the 25 that they do. He could phone it in. But then again, AJ Styles doesn't phone it in. So it's <laughs> like, I look at this and I'm like, man, like, this guy could have done so many things in literally his second match. Uh-huh. And he just doesn't do any of them. And he goes yeah. out there and just gives Cedric this match that I think was really huge for him. It definitely it definitely helps Cedric a lot. Like I remember at the time. Because he had had... He had either had the PWG match where he got... Where like Everett got hurt and then they didn't come back. Or they were about to have that. And I remember like just his star being on the rise as he gets signed to ROH and, and is going to PWG and, ha- and is having a match with AJ Styles. Like it definitely, this definitely helped this guy's career. Um, do you have any thoughts on this match? Not really much of anything. It sort of like ties in with another one we're going to talk about. Like, I like how well AJ, someone who is like main evented sumo hall and is like semi main evented the Tokyo dome. I like how well he can work a small room. Yeah. Like that is a very difficult thing to do. It's very difficult to work both large rooms and small rooms. And like when people are only five or six feet away from you, being able to still connect with them on like a level that doesn't feel hokey is I think a tremendous skill. And he shows it off here. And the thing to keep in mind with this Cedric match is that this is face versus face. Uh-huh. This is the only face versus face matchup I have out of the five that I'm going to say. Yes. And the next one I'm going with also happens to take place in a small venue. Mm-hmm. And this is versus Jimmy Ray from Pro South Wrestling in 2015. And the difference here is AJ's status in New Japan is mm-hmm. much different. Uh-huh. Now, this is now the Cedric match was before he even came to New Japan. Yeah, it's this four is, months before he debuted, yeah. This is pre-Bullet Club. This is pre-winning the IWGP title. This is pre-all those things. In 2015, when he's facing Rave, he's already a two-time IWGP heavyweight champion, the leader of the Bullet Club. He's main-evented Sumo Hall. He's semi-main-evented the Tokyo Dome. So, this is a case where he, this guy is wrestling in the biggest buildings he's ever wrestled in. Uh-huh. He's being put 
in high-profile spots. He's being he was given the ball in New Japan like maybe harder than <laughs> any foreigner has since fucking Brock Lesnar, and like yeah. So he then goes to Pro South Wrestling and faces you know an old buddy, an old friend, and Jimmy Rave. They both mm-hmm. came up in NWA Wildside, <laughs> and again, you see the situation. You see how small the building is. You see, AJ is on a bigger level than he was before. He could get it, he could let it get to his head. He could say, "You know what? I'm not going to give them the full AJ Styles match tonight. I'm tired. Uh-huh. I'm jet lagged. You know, me and Jimmy are just going to phone it in since we know each other so well. We can just do old spots. Yeah. Or he could just kind of you know try to embarrass Jimmy, which he wouldn't do since he's known Jimmy for so long. But he's a much bigger name than Jimmy Rave is." And that's not to put down Jimmy Rave, who's done a lot in his career. It's just that AJ went and did something that is kind of like surreal to put in the words. Totally. So AJ comes down there. And not only does he work, uh, but I think is a really great match with Jimmy. It's a completely different style mm, than yes. we were used to seeing with him. This is 100% like a Southern match. Mm-hmm. This is through and through Southern wrestling. A it's whole bunch- slow. It's it's technical. There's not not a whole lot of like heavy striking. There's not a whole lot of high flying. It's it's uh it's I think it's one of the better examples of the variety that we talked about earlier. That I, I think AJ hasn't been able to show off so much in recent years yeah. due to due due to being pushed into certain sorts of matches in New Japan and in WWE. But here he's um he's going completely off off script and it stands out in a great way you know it's slow it's methodical it builds in a very southern way it's technical but not in the way not in like the jonathan gresham mm-hmm. J- timothy thatcher way it's like what would be considered technical wrestling in like the early 90s like sure it's a whole bunch of arm drags and who can be quicker and who can find the this quick reversal, it's not pretty looking. It's not a pretty match. It just seems like two guys who are going out there and trying to outsmart the other. Uh-huh. But then it gets more intense. And I think I like this match because maybe it's because of who AJ is and because he always brings it when it comes to his striking that he brings it out of Jimmy Rave too. Totally. And have a really great strike exchange where Jimmy is laying into him too. And he knows he can do it because AJ Styles can take it and AJ Styles is going to give it right back to him. <laughs> and they just go out there and they tell this great story of it maybe being a dream match, but it's not exactly that. They don't go all the way with the dream match story. It just feels like two people who their paths crossed once upon a time. Uh-huh. And now years later, they're coming back. And both of them are both of them are on, on upswing upswing in some ways, even though it's completely different situations. But in general, it's just very cool that this match happened. And again, it's like he didn't need to work that hard in front of 60 people in Piedmont, Alabama. Like he he goes out of his way in between uh, Sumo Hall and ROH to like put on this great match in front of just this tiny crowd. Like that's one of the matches like the reason why I want like the Cedric match and the Rave match back to back Mm -hmm. is because I think. It offers two sides of AJ, but it still goes into the same story. 
is that we have the one match that is post-TNA and showing that he still has it while still putting over the young guy. And this is a year later, AJ getting his groove back and being a big star uh-huh. and still not, you know, resting, still not being complacent. And the next match I want to talk about, this is the older match I have okay. on my list. Oh, boy. And this is, man, I have to think, would it be my favorite AJ Styles match ever? I don't know. I didn't expect to hear that from you because it is almost certainly mine. I'm not I'm not sure. And um, we're gonna when we talk about two thousand five versus of the year, that's probably gonna be a thing we talk about, but this match versus Abyss from uh Lockdown two thousand five. <laughs> it's uh I think it's like the quintessential TNA match. You know what I mean? Yeah, I get that. Yeah, like like even more than Ultimate X, even more than something with Joe or Angle or Sting. Cause, like, cause it's... a lot of people would say like Unbreakable two thousand five. Totally, 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 totally. But like this is, I don't know. Like this sums up everything that I think of when I think of TNA. It's 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 Mike Tenay and Don West on commentary. It's this weird like this wholesome crowd that you just don't see in wrestling anymore. Man, like the these old, are the these are just CNA people. Crowd was just you know? so wholesome. Like it's yeah, like they're just they're all different colors and ages and genders and like it's it's a whole it's a whole swath of humanity. It's not just like a bunch of dudes in their twenties with beards and glasses. You know, it's 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 people and it's people who are fucking fired up to watch some wrestling, and it's it's great. It's AJ. Bumping his ass off for Abyss, giving Abyss easily his best match ever. Oh, God. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, that's something I, I did want to talk about. Um, cause you talked about like how AJ gave so much for this very young Cedric Alexander, and he's definitely having Abyss's best match here. Something that I talk about a lot in wrestling, um, especially with people that we mentioned earlier, like Chris Hero and Jonathan Gresham, uh, I think very highly of wrestlers who are able to elevate their opponents yeah. who are able to bring better than their best out of their opponents. So whether they're, they're just people who don't have a lot of skill or a lot of experience or they're young or they're coming back from injury or, or whatever the situation. Or they're past their prime. Sure. Or they're past their prime even. Um, I, I think really highly of people who are able to get great matches out of less than great situations. And I don't think I'd ever have described AJ as being able to do that. But like, as I went through this project, that sort of idea started to fall apart, and I wanted to know what you thought of it. Yeah, I think that's something I had said to you, because there's one match in particular from 2009. Well, there was two matches. There's a match with Sting from Bound for Glory 2009, and then he also faces Kevin Nash for that weird TNA Legends title in 2009, which I still yep. don't fucking understand at all. It um, was a weird thing. So... I watched those matches, and initially I was just gonna like you know stick with like the like older AJ stuff because I haven't seen it in a while. But uh-huh. when I started to think about it, like that period between like 2007 and 2011, 2012 is where I think like the unlike recognized greatness of AJ is because we talk about his 2005, talk about his 2002, his early years. You talk about you know the New Japan and ROH and WWE runs, but here we see AJ, and he's dealt with a lot of shit in TNA. And this is a period where all (laughs) these old-timers are coming in and Uh taking his spot. 
and he's facing Sting, and he doesn't, like, only just, like, not phone it in with Sting, which, again, when you're facing someone that old, it would be easy to just go, all right, we're going to take this home early, we're going to stick to the basics, we're going to do all this, but he doesn't. He bumps like a madman for Sting, and Uh Sting, like... He has something, he, he brings something out of Sting, where Sting brings this grumpiness that I really don't think I have seen out of Sting. I mean, I've yeah. watched other matches, but I never saw Sting just kick the shit out of anyone the way I saw him do to AJ. And I think that's what makes that year in particular so interesting, is that he's getting it out of guys that you would never expect. He faces mm-hmm. Kevin Nash, and they have a really good big man, little man match. And this is Kevin, he, uh, this is he wrestles Booker T in a similar way and has a great match too. Yeah, he's facing Kevin Nash in 2009. Yeah, like, <laughs> come on now, that's incredible to me. And I remember watching an interview where AJ said that was one of his favorite matches because uh-huh. when you look at it, like if anyone was going to get a good match out of 2000, 2009 Kevin Nash, it would probably be AJ Styles. Sure, because sure, sure, sure. He can adapt. He can bump around for him. He can do a little man offense, even if that's not what he was about at that point. He can bring it out of his bag of tricks. Now, the Booker T one is interesting because when he first started wrestling Booker T, I don't think they were having that great of matches. But then they kept facing each other. They had a couple more matches on pay-per-views, and they got really good chemistry. And I think in that period of Booker Booker T's career, um, that 2007 or 2008 through, you know, whenever he stopped being a full-time wrestler, those are the best matches he's had. Like, since he's not being a full-time guy. Like, during that period of time, it's like, oh, okay, I can't think of anything better Booker T has done. Yeah, Booker Booker's... I don't know, no one's putting out a, a seven-disc set of the best of Booker T. Yeah, <laughs> like, he's... He, his his career doesn't pop the way that other people do. But, like, like TNA, TNA in 2009, AJ is doing like incredible work it's it's one of his best years of his career and it's something i will talk about later in one of my uh one of my good matches from aj but uh we were talking about his 2005 match with abyss and And it's like it's he's so great here he looks he looks both like the best wrestler in the world which i don't think he is but he he just looks like it here. <laughs> he 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 looks like the best wrestler in the world but he also looks like a guy who was just completely outgunned by this giant monster and that's another thing i love about aj here is that while look he obviously is phenomenal as the nickname goes and he does all these incredible things like god the tope out of the mm-hmm. ring while the cage uh-huh. door is open or sliding under the guardrail and yeah. doing um a hurricane rana off of it. Or when uh Abyss like tries to throw him and AJ lands on the steps, jumps onto the guardrail, onto a platform and, has the, and then does the flying forearm off of it. Uh-huh. Like fucking incredible things. And one thing yeah. I didn't mention about AJ when we talk about his best qualities. This guy is a such a great worker outside of the ring. Like, in the outside oh, environment, yeah, yeah. working with, like, the steps and the ring posts and the guardrails. Like, he uses all those things better than so many people. Mm-hmm. He makes it a part of his matches. Like, they just aren't, like, props that exist because they're doing this broadcasting. They're yeah. things that he uses. 
because yeah. they are there. And like, why not? I can jump off this thing and I can do a move here because, I mean, I need to use my environment. And yeah. AJ, it's not like he's a brawler. It's not like he's brawling outside of the ring, but he's using the environment. And I think that's such a special talent that nobody else, I don't think, has to that extent. Mm-hmm. He's both very, um, he's both innovative and also athletic enough to pull off those innovations. Like, and like get the, you don't see that a, a lot. It's something that I think uh, Don West and Mike Tenay used to say a lot on commentary when they're talking about AJ. He's like, sure. he's like the best guy at improvising. So uh-huh. he would go outside and jump off the table and jump off whatever. But it's not just in a, I'm going to do this cool spot way. It's like he got thrown there. He got placed there because someone tried to throw him into the guardrail and he jumped over it. Excuse me, or he did whatever else, but he used it to his advantage. Mm-hmm. And, and like, go ahead. I'm about to say like this abyss match is like the prime example of him using everything surrounding the ring as like an advantage, even though he winds up getting fucked by the cage door, but still. Oh, the cage, like, I... I like I love that spot. It's one of those spots that's like just burned into my brain. When I think of the words pro wrestling, I think of that spot. Like I see AJ like getting his head whacked by the cage door and taking a gross neck bump and Mike Tenay reacting as if like someone had been shot in yes. front of him. Because like look it's at the whip AJ Styles yeah. takes on that bump. It's, it's not a cage door. Yeah. I mean, he put, he like, some people would be like, oh, that's completely unrealistic. And they're completely right. But like, in the moment, it's just, it's such an incredible thing. I mean, here is Abyss, this monster. And then AJ is trying to like, keep on him and mount offense. But uh-huh. the first time he hits him with the cage door, he hits him in like the back and shoulder area. Yeah. The yeah, second yeah. time is when he takes that disgusting fucking bump on his neck. And it's just like, Jesus Christ, dude, this is a cage door. Like, yeah. You're not bumping for a clothesline. You're not bumping. For, <laughs> this is a cage door, and he like, takes a second one too. Like that's almost like bumping, like bumping on your neck for a goddamn chair shot. Like, yeah. like who does this? And he gets good color. Like he's such he's he's a really underrated bleeder. He doesn't do it a lot, but he he's never, really good at it. He never got the chance to do it a lot. What, what was the thing you were gonna say um, about AJ and the way he uses the ring before we uh, before I get started talking about that? No, I think it was I was gonna transition to the door. Okay, and I think when, when they get inside the ring is when you see that AJ, like, God, he takes a fucking beating, man. Mm-hmm. He takes a fucking beating. And, like, it's interesting. Because around this time, AJ is just pure white meat baby face. Totally. But when he first came into TNA, he was, like, a, a cocky young guy, prick heel. He was, there's, like, there's a weird promo in which he takes a weed whacker into the locker room. And starts calling people the F word. Yeah, it's I'm like, gonna, and it's so, it is so like, uh, counter to what you think of AJ later on. It's so strange. <laughs> so he does that, and then like later on, he just becomes the face of TNA, and he's like uh-huh. this pure white meat baby face. And like this is the peak of that. Yeah, because totally. he's facing this monster that is terrorizing people. I think at the time, Abyss is feeding with Jeff Hardy, so sure. like he's terrorizing everything in sight. And then here comes AJ small athletic guy and he just takes a beating yeah and what's great about aj and something i've always noticed about him is that even though he's typically the smaller man Uh is that he never does like the struggle spots when he looks Mm. a big guy that 
kind of annoys me, and we'll talk about that later. But continue your thoughts. I'm not saying I'm not. No, but when I say that, is that I don't think he completely like um acts like the weight difference doesn't exist. Yeah, he's not he's not throwing abyss around. Yeah, I do think there's struggle when he lifts him, which I think is a difference. It's not like the you know Hulk Hogan lifts Andre and then Andre lands on him. It's the struggle to lift, which I think is a very important one. Like he still winds up doing it, but there was a a fight that had to happen just to lift this man up. And, and, he, and he does cool stuff when he does that. Like he does a, a, a modified styles clash onto the tax, which is a really cool spot. And plus not talk about the, the power bomb that he does. Mm-hmm, the finish. Yeah. Just is like a fucking incredible looking spot. And, and it's so funny. Yeah. Go ahead. The next year at lockdown, like one year after this, Christian Cage is the exact same spot with Abyss in the main event uh, in, in their cage match. And it's like, what the fuck, man? <laughs> it's it's we're so we're, funny. Like, we're just, just going to openly jack AJ shit. <laughs> one year later. It's not even so silly. Yeah, but I love that match. And uh, I think it's a match that, like, univer- like not, like, universally, because I'm not sure. If I'm, sure. Because I've just, just never seen anybody that dislikes this match. Like, anyone that... I know, I know people who don't love it, but yeah, yeah no, I don't like it. anyone who hates it. Yeah, but, like, I don't know anyone that'll be like, Man, this match, you know, isn't good at all. But I feel like this is one of the TNA matches, more so than even the triple threat, where it's like, yeah, this is good. This is really sure. good, actually. Um, and, and because it's like, it's not, you look at like the Unbreakable 3-Way, and it's and it's a great match between three pretty great wrestlers, and they're all guys who like succeeded outside of TNA. But the Abyss match is like, Abyss has done very little outside of TNA. Like he's very much a TNA. Like, like let's not be generous here. He's pretty much done nothing. Like sure, he's a TNA guy <laughs> through and through. You know, TNA always did the best job of protecting him and building him up and portraying him as this monster. Now, granted, they did a lot of stuff that killed his aura, like the feud with Sting and sure. a whole bunch of stuff. But at this time. Abyss was great. I remember watching Abyss as a kid, like, man, Abyss, like, you know, really puts fear in you, because he's not yeah. Kane. He's more terrifying than Kane. He, he, yeah, he looks creepier. Like, he's a thicker guy. He's got weirder hair. Like, yeah. He brings a chain to the ring. Like, he, totally. you know, bringing thumbtacks. Like, he's a different kind of guy. Uh-huh. So, even if a, I liked Abyss most of the time, but he never really did anything as good ever once we sure. past this match and it's and it's like a credit to aj that like one of the quintessential matches of tna is against a guy who like doesn't do much else yeah and i think another one and like going because we talked about guys that i thought uh aj got great matches mm. out of that yeah maybe like, you wouldn't have expected it another one but actually no so i think you're, you might have this guy uh or two of them on your list so i think i'm gonna save it but it's something that just really impresses me because, like, Sting had great matches before. You know, Kevin Nash, maybe not. When he faces Kurt Angle, he's had, like, Kurt Angle's had plenty of great matches before. But, like, when he's facing guys like Abyss who just don't have anything else to boast. Yeah, like, what's what's Abyss's second best match? Like, that's a good, like, you can't answer that. Like, I have really no know. idea, yeah. <laughs> It'd be, like, a tag in ROH, maybe. <laughs> You know, maybe facing Christian? I don't know. Like, maybe. 
where they just bite AJ's spots. <laughs> um, the next match is the match where I think I thought this was the best match of the 2014 G1. I uh, it's so funny because like I don't know if I saw this before this project, but like I totally like love it. <laughs> and I think this is the turning point for AJ in New Japan. Honestly, definitely. I think this is where you know this is where it clicks. This is where he gets comfortable. And this is like where I think AJ, I don't think he gets comfortable because I think in general, he was always going to be able to like wrestle. I think this is where the fans understood who AJ Styles was. Uh huh. And I think that's what's important here. And this is a uh, AJ Styles versus Tetsuya Naito from the 2014 G1. And man, in 2014, Obviously, there's the Minoru Suzuki match, which is like the big elephant in the room when it comes to, whoa, you think this is the best match of the G1? What about this? Like, Sure. Yeah. And while I think the Minoru Suzuki match is really fucking cool, uh-huh. because that, the dynamic of the two leaders of the two heel factions in New Japan squaring off creates a very interesting dynamic. This is AJ's best, like, pure performance here because the Misu match like relied a lot on aura and outside stuff like this is purely just AJ's performance here and Naito's too for that matter sure 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 sure. Naito being a guy like I've never before the um LIJ heel turn like I never liked Naito and this is far and away my favorite babyface match of his yeah like I'm someone that's like always been a a bigger fan of Babyface Naito than a lot of people. I think I thought he had really great matches. Um, most notably, we can go to like the Ishii matches from 2014. Oh, sure. That he really, totally, that totally. He had. I really liked the Okada match from Wrestle Kingdom 8. But yeah, like when he for when he came back from injury and got the Babyface push, and even before that with No Limits, like a lot of people just didn't like him, and I understand that. But here is where AJ shines as a heel. Mm-hmm. And this is like. <laughs> AJ is like he still does AJ Styles things. He still does like the Pele kick and a kip up and the drop kick and all these things. But he does like some real like you know just basic old school heel psychology. Uh huh. He's this is like you see it sometimes later in TNA, but like this is the closest I've ever seen AJ get to like Jerry Lawler or Jeff yeah. Jarrett. Like just a just a just a fucking southern heel like a, a son of a bitch who's who's doing terrible things to someone else and he's working he's working this cut Naito has from some match I don't know where he got it but like it's a fresh cut obviously and it bleeds a lot and I and, and AJ is just like milking it he's for all it's worth thing, it's which is like uh, it's a completely different side of AJ uh-huh and it's funny that this happens in New Japan because look like New Japan like there's not a lot of intentional blood there's no intentional blood in New Japan at this stage so, for this cut to happen, and then they just take advantage of it like that, where I don't, I mean, like, how much is that planned? So, like, you know, that, sure. you know that, you know that, you know that thing is fresh, you know there's a good chance it'll open up, but, like, to work over it as viciously as AJ did. Uh-huh. And the great thing about the cut is that it's over Naito's eye. So, uh-huh. when AJ, you know, is starting to get, feel like he's getting put into a corner by Naito, who's starting to, like, mount back some offense... He just pokes him in the goddamn eye. Mm-hmm. He's, he's 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 doing he's pulling all of the heel chicanery 
like tricks out of the book. Like he's he's vocal the entire time. He's like constantly like smart talking the referee and Naito and the crowd. Um, he's really uh oh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not a fe- indignant. He's indignant that Naito is mounting any offense on him and like makes him pay for it. And it's it's so good. Um, and one and one thing I really love is uh. Man, I love like a really good like you know exchange of drop kicks. Uh-huh. In this match, Naito hits AJ with a drop kick, and AJ fucking like looks like he just got like punched in the face or something. Sure, which is like the a weird way to sell a drop kick, but the way he takes it looks like he got knocked the fuck out. Like he didn't take like a neck bump on it, like Naito yeah. did for AJ. He just he drops. Looks like, he looks like he got punched. Like when Timothy Thatcher, um gets knocked out by Chris Hero or something, and he just slumps. That's uh-huh. what AJ did for a drop kick, which is a totally unique way to take the move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then AJ hits a drop kick of his own on Naito, and Naito, you know, always <laughs> thinking net bumps, fucking dies for that drop kick. <laughs> yeah, he always does it. <laughs> what I really, what I, what this really, when I watched this for the first time, I was like, oh man, this is really fun. I didn't, I never knew that this match was here. And I found a lot of those in this 2014 G1. Like he has an awesome match with Carl Anderson and it's not like Carl's a bad guy, but like he has like this, this hilarious chicanery match with Carl Anderson, this guy who's in his stable and they both, they both like roll each other up and go, Oh no, I'm uh, I'm not going to roll you up. We're just going to wrestle. And then they, they, they fuck around with that and they do a lot of that in the G1. But as I'm watching this match in particular, I don't know who comes out on top of it. And like, as Naito starts to like mount his, his comeback, like I'm really buying into it in a way that I've just never bought into Naito before. I've never liked his offense. I've never liked who he was as a character, but like through the sheer power of like this Georgia boy punching some kids cut, like I really bought into Naito and like the whole finishing stretch where he comes back and it's uh, the Stardust press and wins is just awesome. Yeah. Like the, like the reaction it gets, cause it's, you know, necessary to keep in mind that AJ is the IWGP champion here. Uh huh. So AJ just working as this heel piece of shit champ, and then Naito, who was the valiant underdog, getting his cut worked on, he gets a very big win here, the biggest mm-hmm. win of his year that far. Because 2014, he lost at Wrestle Kingdom, he lost the Never Title to Ishii. This is the biggest win he's had this year. Yeah, totally. So I think that made for a very great ending to that match. And the last one I want to focus on is uh, what I think may be his most impressive thing mm, we've okay. so far. Although okay. I could point to something like the Shane McMahon match where it's like incredible to me. And Ugh. I know you may not like it, but it's like mm, how the fuck are you <laughs> wrestling Shane McMahon and making this like legitimately entertaining? <laughs> I didn't I didn't even watch it in this project. I stopped at twenty sixteen. Yeah. But it's AJ Styles versus Dean Ambrose for the WWE title at Backlash. Yes, at Backlash specifically. Because initially I thought you meant TLC, and I was going to talk about TLC in my good matches, and we wanted to get 10 good matches, so I was going to have to change mine. But then I saw you said Backlash, and I was like, oh, well, I've already changed mine, but we're going to talk about this one instead. We can talk about the the TLC match too. Well, I don't, I don't have anything written down for it. And I also don't have anything written down for this one. I'm not exactly sure why you were so impressed with this one. So I'll let you take it. This comes off the heels of uh, AJ beating John Cena clean. 
uh-huh. at SummerSlam. And I think that's a big deal here. Because the way AJ comes in is like, he's the fucking shit. Like, no one can tell this guy anything. I just beat John Cena at the second biggest show of the year, clean as a sheet in the middle of the ring, on the face of SmackDown. Now give me my goddamn title. And Dean Ambrose, who I thought had a really good reign as champion, being like, well, I've you know, I've been the face of SmackDown too. Like, I'm the champion. Like, you're not going to take it that easy. And they go out here and they have this great match that focuses on AJ is the best wrestler. Mm-hmm. AJ is the clear better wrestler, but Dean Ambrose is scrappy, and he's not going to let AJ take what he worked so hard to get. Uh-huh. And I think that's what creates this dynamic, because AJ will snapmare Ambrose and be like, you don't belong in the ring with me. I can do this all night. It's like similar to how he was talking shit to Cena at Money in the Bank. Like, yeah, I'm the best. Wrestler I'm running in the circles world. around you. Yeah, I'm the best wrestler in the world. You can't do anything about it. Uh huh. And Dean Ambrose, how does he respond? Punching him in the face, uh, biting him, like doing all these things. Where, yeah, Ambrose can wrestle, but like the only way he can stand a chance against AJ is fighting him. Uh huh. Totally. And I think that's what makes this so great. And when I mentioned that AJ beat Cena clean. This is where it gets interesting, because AJ does literally everything in his arsenal down the stretch, and he can't beat Dean Ambrose. So, throughout the fact that AJ is so fucking cocky that he just beat John Cena, he's wearing the armband as a headband, he's the face that runs the place, AJ can't beat Ambrose. Mm. And... This is where I think, you know, he, like you always say that he kind of has like these goofy facial expressions. I think he did a good job tempering it because he doesn't get like real um, exacerbated with what's going on sure. until the end. And he's like, what the fuck? This guy keeps kicking out. Like he hits one move and he's like, all right, that's fine. Whatever. I'll hit this now. It's over. He has a springboard for 50. Ambrose kicks out. He's like, well, shit. All right. This is much tougher than I thought. And then Ambrose mounts offense. It looks like he's going to come back and beat AJ and keep his title. He does this. There's this, like, um, a couple minutes in the match towards the end where uh, AJ is, like, stuck in between the ropes. And you've seen this spot before where yes. Joe kicks him. Yeah. Ambrose does that with, like, a double drop kick. Yeah. And AJ <laughs> lands right on his head. Just eat shit falling to the... Falling, like, off the, the bottom rope to yeah. the floor. Yeah. Yeah, and then Ambrose is a suicide dive. And AJ takes it all the way over the in-out table. Uh-huh. And then there's a spot on the apron where where Ambrose takes oh the God. catapult spot. And AJ fucking flies into the ring post to yeah. the floor. It's like... It's... Like, I had recently wrote about Nigel McGuinness and, and how many times he launched his head into uh, a metal structure with just frightening velocity. And, like, it's scary to say that AJ wasn't too far from that here. And, like, just that closing stretch, like, AJ takes a whole bunch of fucking ridiculous bumps. Uh Ambrose is kicked out of everything he's done. Ambrose is on fire. The ref bump happens. And I'm not sure if you watched the video package for the match, but in the build-up, AJ had kicked Ambrose in the dick after Ambrose was like, 
you're not taking the title from me, and are you gonna are you gonna get us like a participation trophy or whatever? Uh huh. And I took it as like a callback to that, where AJ just kicks him in the dick and hits him with a Styles Clash, and that's it. Mm-hmm. So despite the fact that he just beat John Cena clean, he has no problem kicking Ambrose in the nuts to win the title. That's sort of the thing that they had been telling with AJ, even, because, like, the first Cena-Styles match, uh, Styles won by nefarious means, and in the first Styles-Roman match, uh, it was only through a bunch of nefariousness that uh, Styles was able to lose, and then they would then have, like, the no-DQ match. It's sort of a thing that they had been doing that I haven't thought about until now. I think it's interesting with AJ, because, like, the idea that I take it is that AJ can win when uh-huh. he wants. Like, AJ can fucking beat anybody on the roster. Like, he is that talented. But he has no problem taking the low road. And I think that's a difference between, like, him and, say, a Seth Rollins. Sure. From, like, you know, Rollins' side of the ring. Is that Rollins, at points, felt like he couldn't beat anybody. AJ feels like, I can beat you. I just want to be a dick about it sometimes. Sure. Which I think is something we really lack in heel champions, especially in WWE. Where sure, sure. Once they become the champion, for some reason they can't win. That's not the case with AJ. Well, so, we we well, sort of see that later on with uh, a certain chinless wonder that uh, I'm going to be talking about in a little bit, but <laughs> but uh, that's that's a different thing. But uh, now that I'm giving the matches, I really think oh, capture why I think so highly of AJ. Oh boy! <laughs> it's, you, it's your job to be the downer yeah. and say <laughs> AJ Styles is a piece of shit who sucks in the ring, and here's why. Yes, and uh, I feel like I need to explain some of my picks for uh, various reasons. So, firstly, I'm going to explain uh, how exactly I arrived at these five matches. I wanted to first and foremost give AJ Styles the benefit of the doubt. I wanted to give him a fair shake. I didn't want to just choose. Matches that were bad because he was against bad wrestlers or guys past their prime or uh, matches that were marred by booking like a million different things in TNA um, or matches that uh, were just silly gimmicks like the reverse battle royal or were against guys who weren't even wrestlers like the Frank Trigg match or um, just just bad plain old bad matches like the Brian Myers match. I wanted I wanted to give AJ the best shot that he could get. And I wanted to find matches in which I thought he was giving a inferior performance. Or I wanted to give matches that uh, were very, very much celebrated by the wrestling community as of late. And I wanted to explain why I don't like them so much. And why I don't, I'm not the biggest fan of this, like, quote-unquote redemption run AJ's been on recently. So, the first of those matches is (laughs) a good match. I'm not going to pretend that this is a bad match. I think only maybe one of these is is explicitly a bad match. And it's not this one. This is a great match. I I would put it in in AJ's top five matches, maybe. Uh, At the very least, his top ten. And it's his match against Samoa Joe at TNA Turning Point 2005. Oh, okay then. This is an interesting one. It really is. Uh, This is... I don't know how to explain this even. Joe's one of my favorite wrestlers ever. 
Like, I'm not going to shy away from that. Like, I love Samoa Joe. Samoa Joe, to me, is pro wrestling. Uh, from this period of time, from, like, the fall of 2002 through either, like, the end of 2006 or the spring-ish time of 2007, um, I think Joe is the best wrestler in the world for most of those years, or at least the full years that are in that period of time of 03, 04, 05, maybe 06. Um, he's presented as like this just unstoppable monster, this like immovable force, this freak of nature who's, who's ruling the wrestling world in ROH and in TNA and just everywhere he's going. He's not, he's not even like, he's not even a wrestler being booked against other wrestlers. He is a, like a life altering and a career altering experience that happens to other wrestlers. He's, he's, he's the way that like, the way that Paul Heyman talks about Brock Lesnar is the way I talk about Samoa Joe. Like he, he is the conqueror. He is the beast. Samoa Joe. And I, I love Joe. Like I, I love Joe to death. And a big part of the reason why I love Joe to death is despite the fact that he's built up like this, despite the fact that he is, he is this world beater, that he is, he is the top dog in all of wrestling. He is vulnerable and he gives his opponents so much and he makes his opponents better and he makes them look better by surviving all of his onslaught. It's something you see so much in his ROH title reign. It's so much, it's something you see a lot in his undefeated streak in TNA where he's just, he he's, he's, he's bowling through guys, but he's not totally coming out. Okay. He's not just 100% decimating them. And it's it's a subtle thing that I really love a lot. So then we get to this match where Joe has already faced AJ a couple times during the year in really good matches that I like a lot, um, like the unbreakable three-way that we were talking about earlier. And here, uh, AJ is defending his title against Joe, and it's a one-on-one match, and like there's there's no way out. Like This is just this is make-or-break time. And AJ, to his credit, like, is really aggressive and goes after Joe right away and tries to, like, take him off his game. And he does it. Like, he goes through him. Um, really early on, AJ hits, like, his classic dropkick spot, like the rope running and the it's frog the splash. the most intense dropkick he's ever hit. Yeah, like, he just fucking waylays Joe with it. And, like, and then he just gets up, he's, like, fucking screaming. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, in, in the process of doing this spot, like, uh, AJ goes for the drop down and Joe, like, jumps over him. But he, like, just barely makes it over like he's 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 stumbling on his feet and when he gets hit by the drop kick like he's not knocked down right away but like as soon as it happens it's clear like oh shit i'm not getting up like i'm 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 a big california redwood and i'm about to fall and in like it's little moments like that throughout this match that joe is giving aj that i really love and i commend joe for it but on the other hand i think aj is sort of just doing an aj match in which we, we talked about it earlier with with the Abyss match where like he's always a really good underdog and he's always like putting his all into things and he he can um like pull out all the stops against a larger and more monstrous wrestler, but like at the end of the day he's still gonna just do his AJ style stuff. And like that's what he's doing here, despite the fact that, that Joe is like this unstoppable monster. It's not like I never feel like AJ is struggling all that hard. Like he, he doesn't have to, 
he doesn't have to struggle to like power bomb the guy. Like no one in the world power bombs Samoa Joe other than AJ Styles, and it's something that comes up a lot in their matches together. And it sort of bothers me that like this guy, even though I mean, to his credit, AJ big guy, like big barrel chest, uh, multi sport athlete, like not a small man, and is definitely a strong guy. But like the way that he's able to just like lift Joe up for a power bomb or like totally run through all of his offense to the point where like Joe is like frustrated and uh, surprised and shocked at the end of the match and literally just has to choke the life out of AJ to win. Like it, it sort of just weighs on me that like, I know AJ is the face of this company and he's like undoubtedly the best wrestler that they have really. And is, is always made to look strong. It just, it feels weird for me that like, he's not, he's not as vulnerable as he could be against this freak of nature who is giving him a whole lot more. See, I get that, but I think it's important that to remember in the context of this was a feud too. Yes, definitely. So while they had previous matches before, that was more in the exhibition stage. Sure. That was more like, okay, we're here to have a really good match. Once Joe turns heel, and he attacks Christopher Daniels, and he has the bloody towel. Uh-huh. Which is like, an awesome, awesome uh, image. It is. It is a completely different ball game because now AJ is defending the honor of his best friend. Uh-huh. Totally. That is a completely different ball game. So while I get that maybe AJ doesn't look as vulnerable, mm-hmm. that can weigh on you. It's like, well, shit, this fucking asshole is carrying a bloody <laughs> towel of, like with your friend's blood on it. Sure, 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 sure. And he's here and to it, wipe out this entire division that you worked so hard to build. Uh, and your division. And this yeah. guy is trying to fucking ruin it. Yeah. Shit, AJ Styles, I I don't even think that it's, that he's not vulnerable. Mm. I just think that he wants like, to like vanquish this guy. Mm-hmm. Like there's, there's, there's something in him that, that won't let him stay down. And I think, well, I guess on like a, if you're not thinking about the feud... It could totally seem that way. Sure. But and it's like uh, our friend Simon, who has been uh, contributing to wrestling with words recently, um, loves this match. And he's a good friend of mine. And he and I usually think pretty, pretty closely alike. And he, he was talking to me about this match and I was explaining like this vulnerability idea. And he was, he was saying that that was sort of the reason why he liked it. That finally, after all this time, someone could Stand step up, to, up Joe. to Joe. Yeah. yeah. And, and, I think it's maybe just because, like, Joe's my guy. I don't want to see him lose. I think because, like, yeah, because you want this image of Joe to be this unstoppable tank. Uh-huh. And, like, I get it. I love Joe during this time. Uh-huh. And that his run during this time in TNA is, like, maybe the best thing about it. Because Definitely. he's just running through, <laughs> like, booking-wise, it's probably the best thing. Because he's running through everyone. And he's making this division look like a goddamn joke. Mm-hmm. Everyone in here, whether it's Daniels or Sabin or Petey Williams or anyone else they brought in, you can't beat Samoa Joe. Liger. They fucking brought in Jushin Liger. And you can't beat you couldn't beat him. Yeah, yeah. And I think and, that's what makes it so uh so great. Is and that, I, I would I would I, I want to compare this to like a, a similar situation that there are important differences 
Uh, I mentioned Brock Lesnar earlier. Brock Lesnar's another one of my favorite match, uh, favorite wrestlers and a very problematic fave as well. <laughs> I should say, uh, I hated when Goldberg beat him. Like I, I was so turned off by it. Not, not in the sense that like, Oh, I don't want to see this feud, even though that was sort of something that I felt, uh, or that like, Oh, um, all of this work that has been put up to make, Lesnar, this unstoppable monster who has run roughshod over all of WWE, is now wasted on this 50-year-old part-timer who's going to have two more matches, and that's it. It's not not even that he lost to a 50-year-old part-timer. It's the way it happened. Sure, sure, sure. sure. It's like the the thing that bugged me. Is that, obviously, it culminates at WrestleMania. But, like, damn. Brock Lesnar. Yeah. Unstoppable fucking beast. Gets like gets destroyed and doesn't even put up a fight. Yeah, and this AJ match is not the same situation. Like it's it's similar in certain ways, but it and is. Hell, and hell, Joe wins. Like, yeah, Joe wins. Joe Joe doesn't lose. <laughs> but it's I don't know. It's just something that weighs on me as I'm watching like this really great match that is like in the tippy top, like upper echelon of each of these guys' careers. Um, but it just it's sort of I don't know. It sort of weighs on me that like. Joe is giving this guy all he's got, and AJ's just sort of having an AJ match. Yeah, that's fair. So, what's the next one you want to talk about? Next one I want to talk about is uh, is a match that I think is actually bad, and uh, a lot of people love the fuck out of. And it is a uh, uh, IWGP Intercontinental title match. At the Tokyo Dome against Shinsuke Nakamura from Wrestle Kingdom 10. I feel like we talked about this enough when we did um, the match. The, the, the top. Yeah, the yeah, top the, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> this is like. I mentioned earlier how I think AJ has sort of been pigeonholed into having certain sorts of matches in WWE and in New Japan. Um, and I'm not always thrilled by them due to the fact that I don't think they necessarily show off his strengths as well as other types of matches do. And this is definitely one of those. Like, this is one of those matches that, like, that is long and sort of plotting and sort of meandering to me, and it doesn't show off, like, why AJ is great. It doesn't show off, like, his 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 his, his spottiness, his, his huge arsenal, his, um, I don't know, his weird character. Like, he does weird character stuff here that I feel is, like, supposed to be endearing but it doesn't come across that way to me this is this is one of those good examples of like uh wwe like books matches for moments that you remember and like new japan has started to do that a lot recently i feel and this is one of those matches that i think exemplifies that this has like set piece spots uh set piece spots where like this it's supposed to be like this big moment like the things like uh the bullet eating spot or um, like AJ's fake out of the back injury before we then realize, Oh, he's still actually hurt. And he was just faking it for a minute. Uh, the, the limb work that just sort of goes nowhere. The, the, the fake Beaumaier that AJ does that sort of, um, sort of mirrors the uh, Kazushi Sakuraba match from what? Three years earlier. Is that really a fake Beaumaier? Cause I feel like it's just a catch me. And I, I, you could, you could see it either way. I, mean, I guess, it's, but like, the way I always view it, I guess because I'm an MMA guy, is I always just view it as a catch me. Like, the Beaumaier sure, sure, sure. is a very 
pro it's like a sliding move. thing. Yeah, it's a pro, yeah. That's a pro wrestling move. The Boma Ye totally. is like, I mean, like this, like Sakurabani is like yeah. just MMA shit. But yeah. at the same time, it's like we'd already seen it with Sakuraba, sure. and like, and it feels like, uh, and to to uh, to Sakuraba's credit, they had previously already previously already done that spot with Takiyama as well. Yeah, it's not like Sakura, it's not like Sakuraba came up with it, but it's like, oh, we're just gonna bring this back up again because it's it's a big thing in Nakamura's career, and it's and it's it, it's a spot that'll get a big pop, and it, and it's stuff like that that like feels obvious to me. And it feels like contrived and like when the rest of the match is like a whole lot of dead air and a whole lot of like Tokyo Dome lying around and, and drama with, with a whole bunch of like exclamation points. It just, it just bores me sort of, it leaves me empty. I'm supposed to feel, I'm supposed to feel like really emotional about this match in the way that I feel emotional about like uh, Nakamura versus Ibushi, which I think does similar things to this, but but uh, it comes across in so much of a better way. I don't think it's really that. Like I'm not gonna defend defend the match at all because I think since it's happened, I've like I'm not really high on it. Sure, but I don't think it's trying to be similar to the Ibushi match. The Ibushi match was like Ibushi trying to prove himself. Uh huh. There's some like anger. There's some hate. There's some passion in Ibushi because he's trying <laughs> to prove himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. And this is the match that only, only a half that's, you know, the marketing thing is only once. Like, not even once. Uh-huh. Like, this is going for the dream match feel. In which, if you're not particularly into either guy, yeah, like, that's not going to mean shit to you. And that is that is fair to point out that, like, I'm already not a big Nakamura guy. Yeah, you're not a big Nakamura guy. You're not super into styles in New Japan. Like, so mm-hmm. the dream match aspect they're going for doesn't mean anything to you. Like, you know, AJ doing the handgun and Nakamura doesn't mean anything <laughs> to you. Yeah. Because people have been dying to see those two interact since AJ first came in. They yeah. kept them away for so long, then, you know. If it, if but, you know, I mean, they still do great stuff together. Like, the match that they have the next day was, like, what, my 11th favorite match of the year on our list? Yeah, so, yeah, really high. It was super high. It's like it's not like these two are incapable of doing things that I love. It's just sort of like the big Tokyo Dome setting and the big Dream Match setting. Like it's just so it's trite to me, and like it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't elicit a reaction. Yeah, I'm definitely not going to defend the match because I think that really is like the perfect example of why someone would not like a new Japan, like a big new Japan match. Well, I think other ones have like clear storytelling and that just comes down to the fact that you won't like the story uh-huh. this one solely relies on the big dream match feel and if you're not getting that then no there's no like you know way to argue it because that's the entire thing they're going for sure like i there's i didn't love the idea of nakamura versus aj so when it actually happens it's yeah it's just nothing for me so what's the next match you want to talk about? Next one's uh, sort of similar in that it's another huge dream match and one we were talking about. Uh, and it, it's, I sort of want to call it a similar match, but they, they really approach things in a very different way. And it's meant to, it's meant to achieve different goals, but it's uh, the first John Cena match uh, from money in the bank, 2016, just a couple of months later. Um, it's, it's another example. I think of like AJ, not totally meshing with a match structure that someone else uh is clearly trying to put forward uh like the like uh, i didn't i didn't think that he worked well regardless of whether or not like 
I cared about the dream match of Nakamura versus AJ. I'm not sure if AJ necessarily works well in that big, like new Japan dream match setting. And then similarly, I'm not sure if he meshes super well with like PWG John Cena or, as some people would call him, Kurt Angle John Cena, where it's all about spot, 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 finishers, kickouts. Like, uh, I'm, he does it well on a mechanical level because, like, I can never say that AJ Styles is, like, phoning it in, and he's never not, like, doing things. Uh, he's never not executing his moves and his spots well, but in the same way that, like, this Nakamura match just doesn't elicit emotional reaction from me. This match with John Cena, someone who I love, someone who's in my top 15 wrestlers ever, like someone who's who's very central to my understanding of professional wrestling, he's going in there and he's having like a match that is, again, supposed to like elicit emotion and doesn't, it just doesn't get much out of me. And it's weird because like, I think he has better matches throughout the year in a similar way with guys like Roman Reigns and Dean Ambrose, who I think are both way worse than John Cena. And I'm not, I'm not what would you think about that? Um, I actually think this is the second best match they had together. Because I think the SummerSlam match is the worst one. Oh, yeah. really? I I yeah. would have put it the other way around, but okay. Now, the reason why is because I remember at the time people were like, because this is when John Cena had just came back. He hadn't been wrestling. He hadn't wrestled. Um, He'd been off like eight months. Yeah, this is time. like literally the first thing he's doing since he came back. Uh-huh. And a lot of people were looking at it like, man, these two didn't really mesh well because it's John Cena's first time back. He might be rusty and all this stuff. Uh-huh. But the way I took it and the way they always told the story in the promos, and this is why it's a big thing to me, sure. like, the, like the context of it, is that AJ Styles was saying, John Cena, you cannot wrestle with me. Mm-hmm. You cannot wrestle with me. You cannot keep up with me. I am the best wrestler on the planet, and you are a sports entertainer or whatever the fuck. Like, I am the best wrestler. You can't do anything about it. Sure. So when we get to this match, and I do want to say that, even if it didn't connect with you, I do give it credit for how much it connected with a fucking Las Vegas crowd. Because oh, Las sure. Vegas is a notoriously bad city when it comes to professional wrestling reactions. Sure, sure, sure. Notoriously bad. But for some reason, they were on fire for Cena versus AJ. And I think this is where it kind of like encapsulates why I think AJ has achieved so much in WWE. Because usually when someone faces John Cena, mm-hmm. the other person isn't getting cheered. It's let's go Cena, Cena sucks. It's mm. not let's go Cena, let's go other guy. Sure, sure, sure. Typically it's not. There's like CM Punk that achieved that. I'm not even sure Daniel Bryan really got it. He got the yes chance, but. It was a lot of it was still it was still a lot of let's go Cena Cena sucks. Mm-hmm. Here it's clear let's go Cena AJ Styles totally, and I think that's when it hits you how big AJ Styles is is that he's not getting overshadowed by people wanting to talk about John Cena or boo John Cena. John Cena has his fans, and then AJ then AJ has a whole bunch of fucking fans too. Mm. And and I, and I, and I go ahead. No, you oh, go sorry. ahead. I said I said it first. Oh, all right, all right. <laughs> sorry. Um, but it really does feel like, in a way, like Arena Mexico. If it wasn't, mm. that's if fair. It, like it really feels like an Arena Mexico crowd because it's like just dueling chance, but not in a cutesy way. Like it's not like you know trying to be cute. This is really genuinely 
we are cheering for who we like better. And uh-huh. it just lasts for so long. And John Cena and AJ Styles just soak it in. Because for a long time, this was the match that everybody talked about as, you know, when I'm talking about this, it was AJ later and his yeah. entire legacy and the way I think he'll go down. Is that this was the match people always wanted between the two top guys in the two biggest promotions in the United States. Uh-huh. This is what people always wanted to see. And this achieved dream match in a way I don't think anything else does. But it doesn't just rest on its laurels and just go finish your spin. It doesn't. This is a real setup match for what they would later do. They don't go all out here. Mm. And I think John Cena allows AJ to run circles around him like the story they were trying to tell. That's the thing. It's like I, I do think they, they achieve that story and it comes across in a great way. But you're totally right that they don't go all in on the finisher spam. It's not it's not the same sort of PWG Cena match that we would have seen the As previous some, summer. Like, 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 this, like this isn't what they do at SummerSlam. That's also true. It's not what they do at SummerSlam. But because of that, like they kind of – what they do outside of that is like they really milk it and they really soak it in. They do the, the – the sort of um, Hogan rock stuff from like WrestleMania 18 where they're just like... And that's like what I think is so... It's not like saying like you have to like it because of this. Because it's like... Sure, sure, sure. I don't think anything else had like really come close to this. Like Cena rock maybe, but that felt forced. Definitely. Like rock versus Hogan was like so genuine and real. And I think that's what this is. Like this is real. This is really people being excited at the prospect of seeing AJ Styles versus John Cena for the first time. Yeah, you're totally right. And I think that's what makes this, you know, feel bigger, feel more genuinely special than the Nakamura match. Oh, it's it is the way people way better than the Nakamura (laughs) match. (laughs) Because the way people react to it, like, damn, like I have you like you hit it right, like right, hit the nail right on the head. Like, can you name anything like this past Cena, like past like Rock versus Hogan, like maybe Cena versus Punk, but Cena Punk, Cena Danielson, like that saying, kind of like, stuff. But the way they like played up the crowd too. Uh-huh. Like, uh-huh. Even Punk wasn't like egging on the crowd that way. He was like focused in that match. That's that's the thing here. That is that's I think my biggest issue is Punk is focused at Money in the Bank 2011. And he is like going at it and he's not letting the crowd uh, like get to him. And something like Hogan Rock, they're really soaking it in and they're sort of like playing it by ear and they're they're throwing what they had planned out the window. Mm-hmm. This match I think is a little bit of both. Yeah. And I think that weirdness yeah. is what makes me feel strange about it because it's it, it tries to accomplish both of those things and it doesn't do either one of them as well as they could otherwise. I'm not even sure, like, it tried to accomplish that, because I'm not even sure they predicted it would Totally, that's, that yeah, it feels, it feels like something they had to change. Because even, like, and maybe, maybe I'm underselling, like, because even on a Raw set, like, even on the first Raw, where AJ uh-huh. and Cena, like, first, like, were face-to-face, uh-huh. there was, like, a whole, like, two minutes, three minutes of AJ-Cena dueling chance. Sure. So, like, maybe I'm underselling, like, how big AJ already was before that match. But I think on a big pay-per-view, because Money in the Bank, at this point, is one of the bigger pay-per-views of the year. So Definitely. they're throwing this out there, and I'm not sure they were exactly expecting, like, you're going to get 
a big reaction regardless for Cena. But I'm, <laughs> yeah. not sure, but I'm not sure they were expecting what happened for AJ. And I think I think you can hear that because like Cena is notoriously loud in the ring. I think you can hear him telling AJ like, "Okay, we're gonna change this up a little bit. We're gonna make it feel different." Specifically, I think the like I'm running circles around John Cena spot. Mm-hmm. I think that was totally on the fly, and like it feels nice because it's it's them like listening to the crowd and reacting to that. But then they go back to like PWG stuff, and it's like it's that disconnect between the two. Yeah. So I get. Why? But I think this is a really interesting match because I think, like, if I look back on it, this might have been something that I should have considered strong, like more strongly when I did um the sure. top 100 matches because, like, this is a, a genuinely special match to me. Mm-hmm. It's special. I I don't think it's great, but it is yeah. special. Very. Yeah. What do you uh What do you think of the Royal Rumble match? I think the Royal Rumble match is like the best possible combination of Money in the Bank and SummerSlam. Where SummerSlam, okay. it was literally all spots like there's no debating that <laughs> yes <laughs> the money in the bank one was more storytelling sure. i think they combined that going along with with um cena going for the 16th title so see he's busting out the um figure mm-hmm. for a leg lock um he does like the roll through attitude adjustments which is a fucking great finish mm-hmm. i thought awesome awesome and they, stuff. um doing it in what is like the biggest rumble like ever like this is a huge show so everything about this it has the big fight feel because there's just so many fucking people there uh-huh but then like it's also a great capper to their feud yeah. now what i will say is that the aftermath and the way they treated cena's title reign after yes. definitely yes, yes, yes. puts a different perspective on it yeah but i will say like while cena winning the title to me wasn't a big moment uh-huh. The match itself is the moment. Yeah, like I think that match is way better than this one. And yeah. I think it's better than the SummerSlam match, which which I think because it focuses more on just the spot stuff, which I'm not a huge fan of anyway, but that focus I think makes it better than this Money in the Bank match. But like, uh, I don't know. It's just it, maybe maybe the butterflies of like two guys working together for the first time and they don't quite know how it's going to work. Like that throws it off. It's a great dream match, but they – I think we can agree at least once, if not twice, they, they did better stuff. Yeah. Um, do you think this is, you know, worse than the other quote unquote indie Cena matches? Like, you know, like against like Kevin Owens and Rollins. Oh, like, do you think it's um, better than that stuff? It's probably better than the Rollins stuff. Uh, Owens, I don't know. I'd have to rewatch them. I haven't rewatched any of them since they happened. And yeah. I was sort of mixed on them in a similar way to this one. Though I think... I think they navigated the mixture of those two types of matches better with Owens than at least in this first Money in the Bank match with AJ. Um, but I'm not sure. I really don't I feel know. Like with Owens, like the problem with the Owens stuff is that they like blew their load so early. Definitely. Like that's the thing. So Elimination Chamber, they already just gave you everything. Uh-huh. Money in the Bank, they give you something which is like I think a little bit different with Cena busting out new moves he had never done before. Sure. But by Battleground, it's like, what the fuck is this match? Like, Yeah, there's, this helps, there's nothing this, left. Like, this helps nobody. I think they did a really good job pacing the AJ feud. So they... Have, oh, yeah, totally. So totally. They, AJ wins dirty the first time. He beats him clean at SummerSlam. And then months later down the line, Cena gets his win back at the mm-hmm. biggest Royal Rumble show ever. 
and in between those three, they still have matches. They still have the triple the threat. the triple the triple threat between the second and third one, and then they have the six man tag in between the first and second, which yeah. is like also enjoyable and in furthers the story. Yeah. So like, and even in that triple threat match, Cena's the one that takes the pin. Uh huh. So, so it's always interesting. Like, I think they. Well, I guess you could say they had better matches. Yeah. Owens. I think this is just a much better told story because with um, Cena not being there on a regular basis and AJ being the one that SmackDown has revolved around, he just comes uh-huh. out and talks shit every single week because who else is going to stop him? He already sure. proved his point. Sure. So what's your next and I, match? I, 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 do, I do think by the end of it, they really, like they don't, that Royal Rumble match is really, really good. Yeah. I think by the end of it, they have definitely clicked. But just hearing the first, uh, the first part of it, it's uh, not, not so, not so much clicking. Right, so, what's your next match? What do you have my, left? This one, my next, another one. Uh, no, yeah, just these two more. Right. Uh, and they're both ROH matches from at least ten years ago. So we're going back in time from uh, uh, the the more recent stuff that we have been talking about. And the first one is against. Uh, Someone who you think is the best wrestler of all time, Brian Danielson, at ROH's uh, aptly named Main Event Spectacles. Mm. And this was a uh, number one contenders trophy match. Um, this is one of those matches where, like, I don't think AJ is necessarily bad. Because as we've talked about, it's it's kind of hard to pinpoint a bad AJ match. But this is one of those matches where, like, he is in there with another guy of his caliber who is performing at like such a higher level. And I think that's the sort of thing that like I talked about it earlier with the Joe match that I think it sort of happens a lot in his career. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. You can make a wonderful career out of being like the second best guy in good matches. But uh, it's just something that I wanted to point out here with AJ. Um, This is their second match together back in the first one in 02. AJ like caught Brian with a kick and busted him open and Brian like just never recovered. And that's what gave AJ the win. And here, Brian like knows that and really rushes AJ and uh, tries to match his aggression. And they have like a really nice, uh, really nice like mat wrestling sequence. And Brian transitions that into working over AJ's arm, which is sort of a weird thing to work over for AJ. I understand not going for the leg because like so much of AJ's offense is leg based and like. If he's going to be doing any of that offense at all, he sort of has to like shove off that arm, that leg work. So I understand going after the arm. It's just a weird thing. But at the same time, AJ doesn't sell it. I don't want to say at all, because he definitely does sell it, but he sells it sort of inconsistently. Uh, it's like always, always like a better thing to like dis, like distinguish because yeah, yeah, some totally, people totally. kind of like go overboard with like Seth Rollins at um, WrestleMania and pretty much what he's been doing since April. Uh-huh. But, like the story has been like he's selling his injured knee, and yeah. I see a lot of people will say, "Oh, Rollins no sold this. He's not selling the knee," and it's like that's well, that's not true. Like he's selling the knee, mm-hmm. but he's maybe not selling it the way that you want him to, which is or as or as much like it's 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 multiple or as much things. or the way you want him to. Like he'll do a move and then he'll go right back to selling his knee. Uh-huh. And that's not no selling. And so, AJ AJ does sell well here because like. Uh, we didn't talk about it earlier. He's a great bumper. We didn't yes. talk about that. In his, oh yeah, his... that's gonna that's gonna be a big one because I think <laughs> you've, you've made statements about how like you don't yes. know how long he's gonna last, like the way he bumps. Oh, 
yeah, I'm kind of scared about that, uh, especially considering his back issues, which show up here. Like, he has some awesome, like, Bret Hart-esque back selling, which I really love. And, like, some of his, like, immediate selling off of taking moves, especially, like, to his arm, are really good. But it's just as the match progresses and as he gets on offense, like, it just sort of falls by the wayside. And specifically, at one point, um, he, out of, like, desperation, throws brian over the ropes to the floor and it fucks up brian's knee and brian immediately is like oh no this is this is bad and aj uh sees it coming and goes after him and like kicks his knee out on the floor and there's an awesome moment where brian kicks out his knee and scoots away and is like stay away dick and that's it's i i love brian here brian here of all time i mean he is so good and he's so entertaining here it's just this awesome heel but aj starts going after brian's leg and brian sells it like really well and uh it affects the way he wrestles the rest of the match like he does his um he does his diving headbutt towards the end of the match and he doesn't leap with it he just falls with it and is clearly like not putting his all into it because he can't stand on the top rope very long with his injured knee and it's stuff like that where like AJ's not quite doing the things that I find most impressive in matches as much as like his opponents are. We'll return after these messages. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Hey, pro wrestling announcer Kevin Kelly here. I want to make sure you are all subscribed to all the great feeds here at Place to Be Nation. It's really easy to do. Just head to iTunes or your preferred podcatcher app today and search and subscribe to the Place to Be Nation wrestling feed, which, of course, includes the full archives of The Kevin Kelly Show, the Place to Be Nation pod feed, and the Pro Wrestling Only feed. Subscribe, listen, and then rate us and leave feedback today. And be sure to give Justin your true thoughts. I mean, don't hold back. After all, he is kind of a jerk. Just listen to Scott. Place to be Nations, JT Rosero here, and I want to let you know that we have a ton of great podcasts available to you on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and PlaceToBeNation.com, and we now offer them to you on two great feeds. On the Place to be Nation wrestling feed, you can check out Scott Criscolo and me on the Mothership, the Place to be podcast with our famous Vintage Vault pay-per-view reviews. PTBN also covers current day wrestling with clotheslines and headlines, main event, Lucha Afterground, and our monthly pay-per-view reaction shows. And we live wrestling's past with our monthly pay-per-view rewind series led by Ben Morse, the Our Vantage Point podcast, which features a potpourri-style look at wrestling history, and Survey Says, a fun look back at the good, bad, and ugly of WCW. And on our very popular Place to be Nation pop podcast feed, we offer such great shows as the Glenn Butler podcast, Our Spectacular, Rank and File, PTBN Dadcast, NBA Team, and Lucha Undead, as well as a veritable podcast heaven for comics fans with hard-traveling fanboys, Sellers Points, Todd Weber's Conversations, Geek and Sassy, and the Imaginary Stories. You can find all these current shows plus archives of our past podcasts, including The Kevin Kelly Show, as well by subscribing to both feeds on iTunes. And while there, be sure to rate and leave feedback as well. All these shows, plus others available at PlaceVation.com, where we cover pro wrestling, sports, movies, comics, plus tournaments, and more. Be sure to support our site by using PlaceVation.com backslash Amazon when doing your online shopping, and download our free PTB Vintage Vault Refresh eBooks via the links on our site. We also want to thank our friends at Bonehead's Wing Bar in West Warwick, Rhode Island, and Fall River, Massachusetts, TheHistoryOfWrestling.com, and Scott Keith's blog of doom. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Tumblr as well. PlaceVation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world.
Pro Wrestling Only Podcast Network. Subscribe on iTunes or on Android with your favorite podcast app. Established in 2013, the Pro Wrestling Only Podcast Network is committed to providing unique takes on the rich and diverse medium of professional wrestling, focusing on its history and global impact, but also exploring the vibrant contemporary scene. The roll call includes Space City, an NWA on-demand podcast. This Week in Wrestling. Stacey Elliott's Bogus Journey. The Super Apoitas Podcast. The Military Industrial Suplex. Strong Style History. Pure Puri. And Psychology is Dead. Also, from the archives, the full catalog of great shows that provided a fresh look at classic wrestling, including Where the Big Boys Play, Titans of Wrestling, Tag Teams Back Again, Letters from Kayfabe, Wrestling Culture, Pro Wrestling Super Show, Goodwill Wrestling, and many, many others. Pro Wrestling Only Podcast Network. Only the best. Now back to the show. And it's not like, I can't argue that AJ is not great. Like, that is impossible. But AJ is, like, not doing the things that I, that I like, associate with greatness with as much frequency as other great wrestlers are. And I think this is a really good example of that. And uh, uh, one last thing here. This is one of those matches in which AJ does say the F word as he has Brian locked in a figure four. It's in... Like, I'm not going to lie, it's in a funny situation, but it's it's unacceptable. So, I didn't get a chance to rewatch this. So oh, that's a bummer. It's it's really good. Like, it's not a it's not a bad match. It's really good. Yeah. Um, I actually have, like, an AJ versus a Danielson match from Danielson's title reign that I haven't watched in a while. That I had to, like, uh, what, watch. Dissension from, yeah, like, January? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I haven't had the chance to rewatch that yet, so I've been trying to. But, um, so what's your last match? The last one is the last one's sort of a bad match. Um, I think it's just kind of middling more so than bad, Uh, but it is against a bad wrestler, and that is uh, Davy Richards at ROH's Death Before Dishonor Four. Okay, so here's the thing about this match. Okay, is that are we sure it's bad? Because (laughs) what happens is uh, what happens is fun to watch. Yeah, what happens is like these two are just like. And AJ doesn't really have this reputation, which is which is why it's funny. Yes. Is that Davy Richards stiffs him. AJ's like, okay, hold on. <laughs> okay, fuck you. <laughs> like, we're not doing that. <laughs> Nobody potatoes me like he's Stan Hansen in 88 or whenever that 10-room match happens. Like, like nobody does that AJ Styles, which is like a thing that I always find interesting is that uh-huh. when you look at AJ, like no one ever really does that to him. Like he'll like be in like stiff. Um, warm exchanges with Joe, yeah, and Danielson. He, he works snug. I think yeah. is the way to describe it. But Davey here, like, must have really pissed off AJ. <laughs> and I can't tell. Like, he just does a couple of like mean leg kicks, and it's not that big of a deal. But like, it does piss off AJ, and AJ like retaliates. He takes quite a lot of umbrage with it, and like clearly knocks. Uh, Davy Loopy, or maybe knocks him out with, I think it's a kick to the head. It's hard to pinpoint where, but like at some point, Davy is just moving way slower, and like AJ sees it happen and starts to work over his leg, and, and Davy's just not selling the leg like hardly at all, and is not responding to the things that AJ is setting up. And he sort of just gives 
AJ, a, a DDT off the apron to the floor. Mm. And that clearly rocks AJ and knocks him out for a second. And he's on like half speed for the rest of the match. And it's just, I, I mentioned it before with like how sometimes I think AJ works a little hard to his detriment. And I think this is a good example of that, where it's like, if you weren't so hot headed and aggressive, and if you didn't like need to work so snug, or if you didn't have like this athletic background, which I think is where it comes from, really, uh, if you didn't have like this strong wrestling background where you like you felt the need to win, like maybe you wouldn't have gotten knocked out in this match. But I think that's the thing, though, is like because it, it really doesn't show up in any other AJ matches. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't happen a lot, but like, which is like, I'm, which oh, is like, I'm well, like super hard on him about, about this. I will. There is a match later on that I'll be talking about in which he gives somebody a fucking gross goose egg. Oh, uh, okay. Clearly, clearly, okay. like hits him super hard. Okay, <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying like I'm not talking about like the potato guys. But I'm saying like sure, sure, in sure. The sure. of like losing his cool. Yeah, like AJ. Like, I don't AJ think AJ do loses that. his cool. Yeah, yeah. Which is why, like, I kind of give him a break here that this is like a thing that must have, like, really deeply like, mm. pissed him off. Like, outside of, like, I think whenever else you could point to this sort of situation, it's just because he's doing heel work. Right. Like, in the last couple of years, where he's just, like, really aggressive and hitting super hard. Or, like, when he knocked down Miz's tooth. Like, that was just sort of a, a weird shot and that, that caught that him. Was, and that was way. happening during, like, AJ's, like, signature offense. Like, that's not yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. purpose. This is, like, Davey did something... <laughs> That pissed AJ. <laughs> that's not even a big so deal. Much. It's so weird. Like that's like that's like that. I'm not even sure it's a bad match because it's like we just don't. I don't even know how to how to describe it. Yeah, I don't know. It's and they had had a match like I want to say a month before, maybe two months. A tag match uh, with Daniels against Davy and Super Dragon, in which it goes swimmingly. Like it's a really good match, and I just I don't get it. Like here, <laughs> here it's here it's. Nobody potatoes me, and then <laughs> it ends poorly. <laughs> That's, like, one of the worst instances, because, like, usually when, like, guys go a little bit overboard in the ring, like, uh-huh. someone intervenes, whether it be, like, a referee or the match gets broken up, like, the guys yeah. like, cool off. That's, like, the match keeps going. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a lengthy thing. In front of a hot crowd, too, this is where the... Uh, the blow off to the CZW versus ROH feud happened. Yeah. So like this crowd is like stoked for this match, but then they like lose steam when it's like, Oh, what's, Ooh, what's going on here? <laughs> and it's just, it's weird. So now that you've done that, what are the AJ matches that really count? <sighs> what you like about this guy? Um, well, this was interesting because when you told me about your list, like we had wanted to make sure we had 10 different matches. Uh, when you had told me about your list, uh, a couple of the ones that were on my list showed up on yours. Yeah. Um, like the Naito match was going to be on there, and like the Naito like match was oh, always going to be on it. Like the Naito match was always going to be on it, but after you had seen it, you were like, "Man, mm. we need to talk about this match." <laughs> yeah, I was like, "I, I really want to talk about this." Uh, I also had the Abyss match, and I had to switch that around. I thought you had the TLC one. And I did, but I've since changed it, and now we're just not going to talk about it. It's a really good one. I think that might be his best serious match in WWE so far. I think I could listen. Yeah, I could listen to an argument for that, especially considering um, AJ pretty much hadn't worked a gimmick match in like a year or two. Yeah, before like doing that TLC match. The Ellsworth ladder is the closest he got. Yeah, 
like the dude really hadn't worked a proper gimmick match. Uh uh-huh. it's so been a it's long like, while. That match and the fact that he did some of the stuff he did, he still takes some nutty bumps. But the one thing that will always be replayed is him doing the springboard four fifty mm. to the floor through the table. His uh his four fifties are so weird. Like I know um partially due to just backyard wrestling, but also just like knowing a couple wrestlers. I know a lot of guys who are like really good high flyers and or sort of um high flying hipsters and they're they think less of certain high flyers based on like how they do their moves. Like Ricochet, for example, like I have a group of friends who hate the way that Ricochet flies. And I'm like, I don't see that at all. Yeah. Um but with AJ, he does springboard 450 so weird because, like, he nearly lands on his face every single time. He has and it's, it, it's such a rotation. body control. Because it, like, yeah. such is a, it's, like, such a, like, fast, like, it's such, like, a snap on the rotation. It is, yeah. But he has, like, this crazy body control. Like, TK Cooper does a um, springboard 450, springboard 450. And even TK, when he does mm. it, looks like he's going to land on his face more often than Sure. AJ, because he's been around for so long, he's been doing that move, like, he just knows how to control it. He gets close, though, I think, in that TLC match where he's falling to the concrete floor. It's like, oh, no. (laughs) Almost 40 years old. Yeah. Oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, Shouldn't be doing that at 40. But um, I have five good matches in which AJ is delivering good performances uh, in... I I would call them five good matches against five uh interesting opponents some of them are really good wrestlers some of them are my favorite wrestlers ever uh but they're 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 a mixed bag they're definitely not like they don't have the sort of um pedigree that the people in his bad matches do and the first match i want to talk about is a last man standing match against bully ray at tna's uh, slammiversary nine this match is one that when i first saw it i'm like what the fuck? Like, why? Why does <laughs> yeah. no one talk about this? <laughs> I I had never seen it up until but then, recently. But then you remember, like, oh, this is like 2011 TNA. That's what sure, I sure. It's it's yeah, it's the doldrums of TNA. Um, but I, yeah, I, I hadn't seen it up until this project. I'd heard it talked about a lot, and I was like, AJ's okay. I like last man standing matches. I like Bully Ray in a wrestling environment, but I'm not sold on his single stuff. So I was apprehensive about it. But like, this is. This is, like, everything I want out of AJ, and I just so rarely get. Like, all of his offense here means something, and it has time to breathe. It it rides the line in between, like, showing off how athletic he is and how great he is at, like, explosive strikes, but also lets lets each of those things, like, make itself felt. Like, he's not just blowing through his spots here. Like, he's really picking and choosing uh, when he wants to make something feel big and important his selling is so good here it's realistic it's consistent sort of like by necessity with the whole last man standing gimmick which uh i think tna did like a lot which is weird i didn't realize it until this project in which i was watching multiple of them and finding more than i thought they had they did a lot of last man standing matches in tna yeah they did you know that just comes from uh wwe influence and things like that i guess like they're definitely they definitely did more than anyone else outside of WWE, but it's, yeah. it's it's just a weird obsession they had. But like his selling is awesome. His his aggression is really great. Like that's something we see a lot in these in these AJ matches. But here specifically, he's like against 
I think the top heel in the company at this point, and he makes Bully Ray feel sympathetic to the point where, like, when Bully Ray kicks him through the side of the stage for the finish of the match, like, it feels warranted after, like, everything that AJ has done. Like, he just potatoes the fuck out of the guy for this whole match, and then Bully Ray kicks him, and you're like, yeah, okay, that's, that's about right. That makes sense, yeah. And, like, none of it, none of it, um, like, as I was talking about with, like, the Nakamura match, none of this feels overblown. None, none of this feels trite or obvious. It's just raw and so enjoyable to watch. And another another awesome AJ bleeding match. Yeah, this is one that I wish more people... I'm glad you, like, eventually got around to it, but... I'm, this so am I. I'm glad, like, I wish more people watched it, because it's, like, one of those performances that... You never knew you needed this match until you mm-hmm. saw it. Like, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. You never knew you needed to see AJ just beat the living shit out of Bubba Ray until you actually, like, have it in front of you. Uh-huh. And it's fantastic. It's so fun. Like, Bully Ray here, he's got, like, no knee pads on. He's, like, the godfather of grapple fuck. It's so funny. <laughs> he's so, he's so far removed from what he was in, like, 96. That, that in general, that run for Bubba and TNA just, like, Okay. Fantastic character work, like just great stuff. Too bad he is a uh, all lives matter kind of guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pro- problematic faves. I wouldn't call him a fave, but definitely <laughs> problematic. <laughs> but next guy, next guy is a definite fave of mine. Though I sort of want to talk about multiple matches in this in this one, and it's uh the very famous Minoru Suzuki match from the 2014 uh. G1. Though I sort of I sort of wanted to talk about. AJ's whole run throughout this this tournament because like he is killing it here. I mentioned before he had an awesome Anderson match late in the tournament in which like they're both just healing it up and being big goofballs and it's super fun. He has an awesome match against Tenzon when Tenzon is way past his prime and he's just like stooging around for this old legend and like AJ tries to do the um the Mongolian chops to Tenzon and Tenzon's like no one no one Mongolian chops me and he does it right back and AJ takes like a flip bump off of it. Um <laughs> he has he has a great match with Archer. I don't love it the way that other people do, but like he gets he gets such a solid and like flawless sort of match out of Archer, which I, those are two words I wouldn't associate with that man's career very often. He has um, a 30 minute draw with Okada that yeah, it's the, definitely I, their best match together. Yeah, I think that's their best match. Um, yeah. So, like, you have Naito, Minoru Suzuki, yeah. Okada, Archer, Anderson, he has a good. Uh, he has a good Yano match. He has a good Yujiro match. Damn, that's a really, like, and that's the thing. Yeah. Like, this, is what I'm, this is what I was saying, that until, like, the Naito match, uh-huh. AJ doesn't really click. Uh-huh. Because G1, that's when everyone's like, oh, yeah, there's AJ Styles. Like, and that's the thing is like I mentioned it before with this Nakamura match, but like I don't think he necessarily fits in with their main event style. But how they change things up in the G one is so conducive to what AJ is good at. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Like I'm not, I don't really think that it's coming down to the fact that AJ can't do it. Uh-huh. It's the fact that the style itself is so limiting because sure. there's a certain expectation, and that's. The thing that just, if you don't like the style, is just going to affect how you view guys. Yeah, that is, I can't, I can't pretend to like the style. So that's definitely, yeah. Like, you know, whatever we do, whatever we do about Kenny Omega, like, that's like, 
boy. <laughs> it, like he's in that style. Like you know, that's uh-huh. just the truth of it. Uh-huh. So, regardless of how much we like, you can dislike him. Like that's uh-huh. just he's fitting into the standard there, and that seems like speaks to a bigger problem with like your problems with the scene or that culture mm. for the main mm. events. Yes, 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 yes. But going back to AJ, uh, this Minoru Suzuki match. Mm. It's it's like you mentioned it earlier. Like it's this this great bit of situational booking in which they don't do heel versus heel very often in in uh, New Japan, and very much so they don't do uh, heel leader of the stable versus heel leader of the stable. Yeah. And here, like this is, I think. I think the way the 2014 G1 went was Okada, Yano, Naito, and then Suzuki. I think that's the order of matches that AJ had. And so after, pardon me, after the, uh, the Naito match, I think people had really like bought into him. So by the time we get to Suzuki and he's sort of playing a situational face against like the most evil man in the world <laughs> and like, it works and it totally like you totally buy into it despite the fact that he's still being like cocky dickhead indignant like smart mouthing to everyone in the world he's being that sort of bullet club aj styles but he's doing it against minoru suzuki who is just more evil than he is yeah. and it and it works and like there's run-ins and usually that's like a death knell for new japan matches but like it just works here and it's so enjoyable and like gang warfare which is like a totally because like a different thing that's what new japan does so well is like invaders versus hometown guys and like this isn't quite that but it's it's a similar gang warfare like like they're really good at that gang warfare dynamic where all hell breaks loose because the crowd buys it like yeah even though bullet club is you know completely a new japan thing and suzuki Gun is completely a new japan thing when all these people from these stables interact it's a big deal because mm. in new japan they are they don't interact that's just the truth sure. of it yeah. they yeah, don't yeah, interact yeah. in tag matches they don't face each other in title matches like the young bucks weren't facing el desperado and taka michinoku like oh, thank just, god <laughs> like that's just not how that works yeah yeah and like on top of all of that it's just mechanically a really good match mm-hmm with like the, that's with just, a it's fucking hot crowd, like hot Corican crowd who was just eating it up, and it's like we're gonna talk about it later with like the wrestler of the year during AJ's good years. I think this G one run is what definitely puts AJ close to that 2014 wrestler of the year title. So moving on from this, what is your next match? <laughs> okay, so is this what I think it is? So I have dumb opinions. Like I gotta, like I I enjoy silly things. We did a three hour podcast on death matches, and I think death matches have merit to them, but they're inherently sort of a silly thing. Like that first match that you watched was <laughs> was was Onita versus Funk, in which there's like this huge air raid siren and an explosion, and it's super goofy. It's fucking stupid. So I like that kind of stuff. Uh, I don't necessarily like it in serious situations, like. I'm not so, so hot on it in like someplace like New Japan, but WWE on the other hand can make that work really well. And I think AJ in this mini feud against James Ellsworth was uh. so good. And specifically, I wanted to talk about 
their first match together on SmackDown from uh, October the 11th. But sort of wanted to talk about all three as well. Like they're just AJ is a naturally cartoonish person, at least as a as a performer. I, I can't speak to him as a as a human being, but as a performer, he's like super uh, over the top and he's super just outrageous. Naturally, like the way he moves, the uh-huh. way he like he bumps, the way he sells. Yeah, like it's very over the top, even in the world of professional wrestling. Mm-hmm. And he's very he's very aggressive and he's very prideful. And combined, that makes for like a really, a really cocky and over the top character. And so, in this mini feud with Ellsworth, which is sort of just a subsidiary feud of AJ versus Ambrose, we get these awesome TV matches in which AJ, for various different reasons, gets uh, beaten by James Ellsworth, who is like a literal Muppet character. He's not, he's, he puts him he's in a, not a, he puts him in a chin lock and he just like, just gets <laughs> it's so silly. And AJ's just it's, like, what the fuck? Like, there's a moment in this first match in which AJ is chasing Ellsworth around the ring. And the way Ellsworth runs is like, <laughs> no human being has ever done that before. Like that is intentionally you trying to be as silly as possible. And it works with like Ambrose is this, crooked uh special guest referee who who's like on his phone as opposed to checking on ellsworth while he's in the calf crusher he's he's like talking to fans and signing autographs he's like getting a beer he's he's just fucking around and aj's just like what the hell man yeah aj playing the straight man against like this crooked referee and this muppet character is just so entertaining like i like this i like this way more than any of the AJ versus Cena matches. I like it way more than AJ versus Roman Reigns. And it's just, it's because it's not like serious wrestling is, is awesome. I love serious wrestling. It's what, it's, it's what, it's what I watch wrestling for, but like, this is entertaining wrestling. And like, I think it just gives me a different sort of thrill that I'd like to see more. Is this the one where Ellsworth, Almost dies and AJ no, fucking not, saves. This, him. Not the first one. I think okay. that's number two. I want to okay. say it's number two because during the course of this little mini program, Ellsworth takes a Styles clash, and man, if scary, if, it's really scary. Did you ever? Did you look at the replay and see what AJ did? Like stop him from like I could, dying because like the way that they switch camera angles, I couldn't really get a good grasp of like the way like it just seemed like AJ stopped. He landed on his knees. Yeah. Just, like give him like, oh no, 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 we're not doing that. Sure, sure, sure. He didn't go like straight down. Yeah. Way, After like, breaking two guys' necks in as many years, I think he understood. <laughs> I think it was just like when he knows a guy's about to take it wrong. Yeah. Because he's already dealt with that situation multiple times at this point. He's like, okay, I'm not doing this again. Like these three guys, I couldn't save them, but I'm like, he helped him out. Like he, like, he really couldn't like Roderick yeah. strong. That was the first time he faced Roddy in so fucking long. And, and he'd done it. He'd done it previously to Roddy in Oh five. They had done the same thing where Roddy, Roddy classic dumb guy just tucks his head. And yeah, eats like, it. You know, he can't, like he couldn't save Roddy. Yoshi Tatsu takes it. It's like, what the fuck man? Lionheart yeah. takes it. Oh, yeah, I forgot. It's like, all right, man, like, this is where AJ and the reputation of the Styles Clash is the dangerous move starts mm. coming, starts becoming, like, a real thing. But, yeah, I think AJ, like, really saved that dude because it could have gone way worse. 
He's a he's a professional. Yeah, like I can't I can't say that he's not a professional, and he he really he pulls it out here. Um, the latter match is, I think, probably the best match they had. Not the ladder, no, the title match they had. They had an actual title match, which I thought was really interesting, because uh, it's Ellsworth at his like peak delusion. <laughs> this is sure. after, this is after he screws Ambrose out of the title, saying, "I think I had a better chance of beating AJ Styles because I've already beaten him twice." <laughs> Yeah. If AJ Styles fucking beats him with the um, phenomenal blitz, which is like the um, uh-huh. back fist and clothesline stuff. The, he just the, fucking like like put, the Kenta combo thing. He just fucking like puts his hands on him like, yeah, this guy's done. I'm done with this. This is stupid. <laughs> I'm the champion. Like, I love that. Yeah. Wish they did it more. Like, I, I want to I wanna see them wrestle like once every five weeks for years. AJ just like, Oh, this fucking guy go away. <laughs> so fun. It's just, it's so, like, it's sports entertainment, you know what I mean? And I don't love sports entertainment, but, like, when it's good, it's so good. Alright, so what's your next one? Next one is, uh, <laughs> sort of a sports entertainment match, but it's the sort of shit that only the twisted minds of the TNA creative team oh, could man, come up with. This one, I have a lot to say about this. Okay. This is the Elevation X match against Rhino from TNA uh, Destination X 2007. Quentin, why don't, why don't you take it? This had the potential to be so... Oh, man, you're, you're break, you were bad. breaking my heart here. <laughs> oh, okay, bad. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, this had the potential to be so bad. Oh, okay. Now, I thought the AJ versus Rhino feud in general was really good, because this... Yeah. was like the slow burn despite, turn of AJ. Like, despite weird booking, they click together weird well. Weird yeah. booking, but the way AJ is, he just works that well for Rhino, who's just a full steam ahead kind of guy. So, they have this match at Destination X, and it's like built on the fact that Rhino is afraid of heights. And uh-huh. AJ, king of the X Division, uh-huh. the ultimate X guy, bullshit. Heights don't mean anything to me. You know, come up here on my playground. It's like the modern equivalent of a scaffold match. Yes. And the way they built this, it, the, fuck, man, like, this is so good. Is that a, it, it is so good. Legitimately feels, like, dangerous for how uh-huh. goofy and stupid uh-huh. this shit is. Uh-huh. When Rhino is about to fall off of the um contraption that they built, <laughs> the crowd is like legitimately scared. You hear the noises, the gasps, like, oh no, this guy's afraid of heights, he's gonna fall. Like people it's... are going bug fuck. Like it's it, there there are women there are women like turning away and screaming. There are people standing up going, No, stop like it's the it's, fact they yeah, did this they for like pretty, hooked. for pretty much a scaffold match. Like yeah. Yeah. Like really, if I if we count this as a scaffold match, this might be the best scaffold match of all time. <laughs> it has to be. There's the what's the really good one from like Jim Crockett, like the Star Wars one or the is Skywalkers? It, is, it, is it the one where Jim Cornette broke both of his legs or something? I don't remember. It's been a while since I've seen these. But like, you know, like people call like Phoenix versus Mil Muertes the best casket match ever, uh-huh. and like the bar is so low. But even like, sure. either way, that's still a fucking great match. Yeah, because the they knock way, it out of the... Yeah. 
this the way this AJ versus Rhino match is. Because, like, yeah. this has way better than any other scaffold match ever done. Because <laughs> they, they just, they draw these people in and they make them care. And, like, they do just classic heel chicanery. Like, AJ, AJ is a piece of shit. <laughs> he, he taunts Rhino. He, like, he rushes him to, like, try to uh, try to fake him out. He, like, shakes the scaffold a little bit, which is Rhino, already Rhino was, super Rhino was wobbly. Like, Rhino was, like, slowly climbing up. Yeah. Like, you look at Rhino's face, he's, like, fucking super apprehensive about this. It's terrifying. It's so good. It should not AJ, be this good. AJ hides underneath like the metal um oh or, my god the metal, yeah. the metal like railing that's holding up the scaffold itself yeah. and so so Rhino thinks he's fallen off and he's like looking around and he's like where'd he go where, where, where the fuck did he go and the crowd is is pointing and yelling at Rhino look he's right there and finally after like two or three minutes of like wandering around and and milking it for all it's worth he gets to the point where, like, he thinks he knows where AJ is, and he points at the scaffold, and the crowd loses it. And it's just, it's it's perfect pro wrestling. This match shouldn't be this good. Like, it really should not. And I think that's, okay. you know, AJ can have great matches with a whole bunch of people. It can be in the ring, and the crowd will be super excited because they're doing moves and great sequences and all that. But AJ is a master of getting people to care. Uh-huh. And this is, like, the perfect example of that. This isn't, like work rate this isn't like whatever you want to call yeah. it moves with a z and sequences <laughs> like this is purely you're gonna care because someone is gonna fall off of this and die this is like i want to say Meltzer gave this like two and a quarter star or Which something like this is surprising like sure it's this is everything dave Meltzer doesn't like about wrestling and you know everyone has their own opinion and is entitled to like what they uh find enjoyable but like but because it's so different from what AJ does, and because that thing that is different is also really awesome, it's it's great. It stands out in such an awesome way. And it's also probably the best match Rhino's ever had. Maybe. Like, Rhino had some good stuff in ECW, had, had that awesome Monsters Ball in TNA, but like this the, is... The Christian Cage feud is really good. Yeah. But like, it's it's I, I don't know like this is just such like, an as far as like degree of difficulty because the like to pull this off is like incredible work yeah so, like I can't say enough good words about it seriously if you've never I'm... seen like the <laughs> Rhino and AJ Styles matches which is like a really weird thing to recommend to you you uh -huh. have to seek these out they had four pay per view matches yeah I would recommend watching all of them they're all they're all enjoyable because at, at the very least. Uh, even with the weird booking and these silly gimmicks, like it's two good wrestlers going at it. Yeah. So is this your last match? Uh, no, I have one more. Yeah, it's sort of, uh, we had, uh, alluded to it several times before. Um, it is a, a TNA world heavyweight championship match against Christopher Daniels at TNA's final resolution, 2009. Mm. Um, Couple things about this. One, I think this is the last truly great TNA match. Hmm. Like I think, I think that 2011 uh, Last Man Standing is really good, um, but this is like this is one month before Hulk Hogan comes in and brings in with him like Bischoff and the Nasty Boys and that whole era of TNA, and they they change to the four sided ring. Um, this is like the last time TNA really felt like TNA to me. 
and and like i've never loved tna but it's been something that's been like just in my wrestling life as long as i've been in wrestling they've been on tv Um, forever like yeah it's it's just something that was always around and it's sort of like imprinted on me and so this is important to me um partly because it's like the last truly great tna match i think it's also really good because it's one of the times that aj really shows like i think personal growth i mentioned earlier um I kind of hate dumb wrestlers. Uh, if you break down my favorite wrestlers into two broad categories, they would be like smart wrestlers and big monster wrestlers who just like hit people really hard. Um, and I think at least in a broad sense, you could fit like everybody in my top 20 or so into those two categories. And AJ doesn't necessarily fit either one, but here in this match, he definitely moves towards smart where he's in this like i wouldn't call it a blood feud but he's in this bitter feud against his best friend who he's like slowly come to not trust anymore over the years and 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 daniels is becoming very jealous of him and they're just they're blowing up in a big way daniels is like way smarter and way craftier and has more experience than aj and he puts it like the thing is like he's always been more like been craftier so he's so much more cerebral as a wrestler um, and he puts it to good use here. He knows what uh, what buttons to push, what to get under AJ's skin with. He knows that like if you piss AJ off, you can like bait him into doing stupid things. And he tries it here, and AJ sees it coming and, and like outsmarts him time and again. And it's really like I can't point to any other point in AJ's career in which like he's really doing this sort of stuff where it feels like after years of getting his ass kicked and after years of getting outsmarted, he's like finally getting it and they have like this they have this awesome match in which like they're really laying into it we mentioned it earlier uh aj gives his best friend a fucking knot on his head that is so gross due to like the size of it and its placement and like it doesn't help that that daniels is bald so you can see the whole thing and it's just huge (laughs) like i've watched i've watched deathmatch for 10 years and that's one of the grosser things i've seen in wrestling and it's like it's this it's this great um, Simon, who I mentioned earlier, described this as like TNA's Viking funeral, and I think that's a really apt way of describing it. Like we mentioned, like the way AJ was in two thousand nine. Uh huh. You know, from the Sting match, the Nash match, to um, that's how he was doing with Booker T, and that's how he's doing here with Daniels. Like the three way, they they rehashed the three way yeah, yeah, with him and Daniels, know, rehashing Joe. the three way. Now I like I point to two thousand five as the year where I thought AJ had his first real wrestler uh-huh. of the year type year, but two thousand nine is definitely an arguable year because two thousand nine wasn't that great of a year for wrestling either. Totally, yeah. So when I'm looking at this, it's like and like listen like everything we've said throughout the course of these like two and a half hours or so is that AJ had a really really good 2009 and maybe we should be thinking hmm other than this current run in 2005 maybe he was the best wrestler wrestler of the year then too yeah like the only the only people who really come to mind for 09 are like jericho and Rey mysterio and maybe some chikara guys who you like you you wouldn't agree with but uh cm punk sure cm punk with the great uh smackdown run that they had with jeff hardy yeah like it's one of those guys or AJ. Yeah, this really something that I really hadn't put 
put that much thought in because 2000, like 2008 through 2011 are like the forgotten years. Sure. But now that we've talked about it, it's like, man, AJ, he didn't stop being good once we hit 2009. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the thing is I, I wanted to talk about like people have been calling his most recent run since leaving TNA like this this redemption story, like him proving to the world that he is a great wrestler can. But I really think even throughout all this shitty booking and all the, the downer years for TNA, I think he's killing it in these like occasional brilliant matches. And I'm not sure if I'm not sure if like he's necessarily like redeeming himself as people are like coming back around on him. I guess in the way, like you really have to understand how bad, like the rep, like the like the how bad yeah. AJ's reputation got. It wasn't yeah, AJ's yeah, yeah. reputation; it's the TNA stick, and that follows you when you're the face of that company. Like that's just gonna stick with you for how. Yeah. Long. Uh... One of the matches I watched here from early 2014 might have been that Cedric match you were talking about, but I don't think it is. Like, there's, they're doing dueling chants, the crowd is, and instead of going, uh, let's go AJ, they're just saying, fuck TNA. Like, that, that stink like, really does follow you. Like, that's like, so when I'm saying that, when I say redemption run, I don't ever mean it in the sense that AJ was ever bad. Oh. Mm. You know, like you know me well enough to where myself to where I say my argument is that AJ was never bad. It's that uh-huh. TNA is fucking stupid. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> AJ was never a bad wrestler. Throughout watching, you know, you can you can attest to it. Watching all the AJ stuff you watched the last week or so, uh-huh. at no point is AJ phoning it in. Is he a bad wrestler? Is he lazy? Throughout all the bullshit, through Claire Lynch, through fucking having to give uh- up. <laughs> about Claire Lynch. Through Claire oh, Lynch. Through <laughs> literally being treated like a fucking child when he's facing Kurt Angle. Through, it's a weird story. The turkey suit? Yep. The turkey suit. Through being unfortunate having them having him act like a knockoff Ric Flair. Oh, boy. Having, having him fucking feud with old ECW guys like Tommy Dreamer. Uh-huh. Throughout all the bullshit, AJ Styles still worked his ass off. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think he's better than so many guys is because I never feel like AJ Styles ever let it get to him. Yeah. At least visibly in the ring. Like he's done interviews and he'll talk about how disencouraged he got when they brought in Sting and Kurt Angle and those guys were the top guys instead of him. But you would never know that watching him wrestle. And I think that's what makes this guy so special is that we can talk about how great he was in the early days of TNA. We could talk about how great he was in 2014 to now. But the, but these are good times. Those are mm. good, really good times for AJ as far as where he is. He was in a very bad one at this point in time. And I think his ability to persevere through that like, is really telling. And 2009 is like the best example of it. And he, he, he does it when other guys who like, I consider better didn't. And I guess, like, we can use that to parlay into what I was going to transition to now. Is that 2005 Wrestler of the Year. Mm-hmm. Now, I know who I have. That's AJ Styles. <laughs> yes. But your person who I think if people have been paying attention throughout the podcast. Oh, totally. Your guy, Samoa Joe. Far and, and away, Samoa Joe. While this is going to be talking about 2005, who's a Wrestler of the Year, and us making the cases for both guys. 
I also want to talk about the idea of Styles versus Joe as a whole. Because okay. I think I have like a lot of thoughts where I'll say Styles is a guy that never lost motivation. Yes. Joe was a guy where I don't blame him. I really don't. TNA is a hellhole that will sap any motivation of any hardworking, normal man. Usually. Uh-huh. So I get it, and I don't blame him. But still, when I compare it to AJ Styles, it makes it hard for me to look at them in the same light. Because I saw AJ go through much worse shit than Samoa Joe did. I don't know. I Is getting kidnapped by ninjas worse? That's like the one thing, though, which is like... Oh, yeah, he, the the whole comeback thing with the, the people always call it the penis on his face, which that's a weird yeah, way well, that's to like phrase the, it. Yeah, like, the, like getting kidnapped <laughs> by Ninja in that phase. Sure. But like, that's like, AJ had like three or four yeah. separate things. Yeah, yeah, he had it worse. It. Like, yeah. AJ got it way fucking worse than Joe. At worst with Joe, they did nothing with him. Yes. At, that's at worst with Joe. With AJ... They did things that could have really damaged him, mm. which I think is a good distinction. But let's start off first with the 2005 WrestleMania year. Now, I think Brian Danielson, Samoa Joe, even Matt Hardy are guys that mm-hmm. have really strong cases yeah, in 2005. Yeah. I think you can make a case for even a Roderick Strong maybe in 2005. Like, there's yeah, a, totally. There's a lot of people where I think they had really good years. But I think Styles, in the way that he's just the quintessential, you know, MVP of the company. Uh And I think that's what matters to me a lot, is that when you look at this streak of pay-per-view matches that AJ is having in 2005 against Sean Waltman, against Christopher Daniels, against Samoa Joe, against Jeff Jarrett, against Abyss, like, he had to adapt and face so many different people mm-hmm. while still going back and forth between being in the X Division and being the top guy in that, while still dealing with the NWA world title picture, to still having this mini feud with Sean Waltman, to still doing all these other things and having great TV matches on top of that. And on top of that, he has this really great feud in Ring of Honor with Jimmy Rave in 2005. It's it's pretty good, yeah. I like it. I, I like the Jimmy Ray feud a lot. Mm. So when I look at, and I think his PWG stuff that year is yeah. pretty good as far as I remember. I know, you, like in sure. general, that stuff that year in PWG is like, not yeah, good. that's early PWG is a, is a weird thing in that a lot of that stuff is just not good. Yeah, well, I think in, I thought he had a pretty good year in PWG from what I remember. I think he was PWG sure, sure, sure. champ at that time. And yeah, yeah. I don't know. I feel like being the undisputed top guy in your company, maybe mm-hmm. not as far as what title you hold or whatever, but the, the, they need to rely on you every single time yes. you go out there to deliver the match of the night, the best match, to tell the best story, because they know that they're going to overbook some shit in the main event. Yeah, This is Jeff Jarrett, Planet Jarrett era stuff. <laughs> There's Raven good way to put here. It. There's Sting yeah. here. Like, there's going to be bullshit. But at the end of the day, the crowd can still look forward to seeing AJ Styles go out there and tear it up no matter who he's with. Mm. I, 
really my argument for Joe is just about the same thing in, in that, like, especially in ROH, which was like easily his home promotion. He had, he had more matches in ROH than anywhere else. TNA is the only thing that comes close. Um, in, I gotta, I gotta describe where Joe was at in 05. Final battle 2004, Austin Aries beats him for the ROH world championship, a title that like Joe made a world title that Joe made a big deal in the promotion that Joe made period. Like that, that entire run is, is, is solidifying like the only company in the last 15 years to have become like canonized in wrestling history. Like we're not going to talk about like, I guarantee you we're not going to talk about PWG in 30 years, the way that we've talked about or like peak ROH. And a lot of that is like off the back of someone like Joe. So, in 2005, Joe has, like, lost the title. He's still, like, this huge, unstoppable monster. He's still, like, this force. He's still this experience that just happens to people. But he's more vulnerable. He's more uh, he, he's more of a human because he's not the world champion. He has been defeated by a better opponent. And he uses this to, like make other guys he has four matches with nigel this year which eventually leads to him dropping the pure title to nigel and it's what kicks off nigel's big run that like eventually will lead to him becoming the top guy in the company he has um matches with and against uh jay lethal his protege uh which include a i want to say like a top 10 roh match ever at manhattan mayhem uh, that totally makes lethal for like the rest of his career, even though like it's sort of, it sort of phases out in the middle due to black machismo nonsense. Uh, he has matches with like old rivals like Brian Danielson and low key and homicide that are all great. He has like, he has a comedy match with Ebison and Jack Evans in delirious. That is just delightful. It, like I, t- I, the way I was talking about like AJ versus Ellsworth is how I view that match where Joe is like just the straight man reacting to this bizarre world around him. And he's just delightful in it. Uh, he's part of the whole summer of punk angle and is in that four way in which James Gibson beats punk for the title. And he's incredible there in that big, like 60 minute long match. Um, he's just doing, Oh fuck. He had, he had fucking the Kobashi match. I forgot about the Kobashi match. Wasn't, wasn't the Necro Butcher match that year too? That is what I wanted to say. Is that um, as I was constructing this argument, I was going through all of his ROH matches and was like, okay, I've got a pretty good argument here. And then I went to like uh, TNA and he had like great stuff in TNA. The, the yeah. aforementioned three-way and the two matches with AJ and the match with Daniels, the match with Saban, the match with Liger, lots of good stuff. Uh, he had some stuff in pwg that was good like a really good super dragon match early in the year um and i'm and i'm doing this and i'm going through and i'm constructing this argument and i'm like there's something missing here like (laughs) there's like the golden element that i'm that i'm missing out on here and i go to iwa mid-south and i'm like oh yeah i forgot about the match of the year versus (laughs) necrovature which is like there's like 10 matches that i call five stars like i don't do star ratings i don't believe in a perfect match but if i did this is one of them and i think it's like the shining example on top of like a whole year in which he is this unbeatable monster who is like slowly worn down by lesser opponents and he makes those lesser opponents into greater wrestlers because of it on top of all of that and on top of kobashi like the dream match 
to end all dream matches of that generation, he has like Necro Butcher, which I think is perfect. The thing with Joe that year is that there's at least three strong matches that you could call the match of the year. And maybe totally. even more. Between totally. Kabashi, the Unbreakable, Triple Threat, and Necro Butcher. And they can and then, even go as far as the turning point match with AJ and like other yeah, stuff where like Definitely. I could see multiple. I could see Joe having multiple matches. Someone called the match of the year that year. Uh huh. And I think that's what separates the AJ and Joe cases. Yeah. Is Joe is I think while he's important to ROH, he's not the guy anymore. That's that's the thing. I would argue he is. Like he is always the guy who is putting together strong matches on the show. I. It's something not everyone's going to agree with, and especially as. Danielson gets the belt and becomes like on top and uh and is just like going through his pretty good reign that I have mixed feelings about. Um I would argue that Joe is always still like the face of the promotion. Okay, I'm not saying like he isn't the face of it. Sure. I think as far as like his presentation is okay. different though. Like, it is different, you're right, yeah. As far as like how like he's being used, he's not being used as a top guy. Sure. Yes. 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 He's That's gonna right. go out there and have great matches regardless because he's fucking Samoa Joe. But yes, <laughs> like, he's not at that same like presentation level of this unstoppable juggernaut. Uh huh. And I think that's where the difference comes in. Is that while Joe really isn't that guy anymore, at least in ROH, AJ is still the franchise player in okay. TNA that year. Okay. Every single time. Main eventing shows, whether they put him in the NWA World Title picture, a stupid cage match with Abyss, like <laughs> love it, I love the it. Unbreakable Circle Threat. It's or, it's worth noting that cage match with Abyss, number one contenders match, it headlines the show. Yeah, and then Unbreakable Triple Threat, Exhibition Title, main events that show. Main events that show too. You're right. You're totally like that's what I mean with AJ is that throughout like all of that year, it's clear that this company revolves around him. Yeah, you're totally and right. Think, yeah. And I think for a guy that had to pretty much carry that company on his shoulders, it's not to say he didn't have, have help. He had mm-hmm. Samoa Joe. Yes. But <laughs> Samoa Joe's in the X Division only that year, pretty much. He doesn't really get that heavyweight push until he's uh-huh. facing Kurt Angle in 2006. Uh-huh. Like, we talk about all AJ's opponents, but like he is going across a very wide spectrum of guys. Sean Waltman, Abyss, Jeff Jarrett, Daniel, Joe, PD Williams, face, and Chris Sabin. Like, doesn't he face our truth that year? Might be getting it wrong. Maybe, maybe he was still there. Like, I don't know. But it's like he has to go across such a wide spectrum of guys and cover pretty much every base within, totally. within the company. The only thing he didn't do was do tag team work. Like, yeah. that's pretty much it. But like, everything else he has to do. He has to do Ultimate X. He has to do Lockdown. He has to do the Triple Threat with... Oh, man, that Ultimate X is so good. That's probably the best Ultimate X, Ultimate X match ever, I think. I like, definitely think it is, yeah. So, I think in that year in particular, he has three matches, maybe four, that you could argue was, like, the best TNA had ever done for a stipulation. Uh-huh. It's probably the best Ultimate X match ever. It's probably the best Lockdown match ever. Uh-huh. It's probably the best triple threat match TNA's ever done. Probably, yeah. And it's maybe the best TNA singles match, I think, with turn- with Turning Point at Joe. Close, maybe. definitely. 
I think it's the best Iron Man Iron Man match they did with Daniels at against all in two thousand five. I'm not. They had two of them that year, which is super weird. The Bound for Glory uh-huh. one. The Bound for Glory one is weird. Yeah, but I think the against all odd ones is really good. They're 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 like they're a certain level of good because it's still those two in like their prime. But yeah, yeah I'm just not a huge fan of them. Yeah, but I it's think... and it and like that is easily the weakest stuff he did in TNA that year. Yeah, I probably agree, but. I just look at what I what I want for out of a wrestler of the year. Sure. And it's not just match output with me. It's yeah. I'm looking at how important he was. And I don't think there was anyone more important to a wrestling company. Maybe John Cena. Maybe. But even then, that wasn't a great year for Cena. Yeah, it's not until 06 that he really gets going. Yeah. I don't think there's a more important wrestler to any company in 2005, than AJ Styles. You make you make a stronger point than I, than I was thinking, and you're definitely hitting like the same sorts of notes that I'm hitting with Joe. But like, I don't know. It takes some time. <laughs> you're, I mean, like nothing you're saying is wrong, Quinn. Okay, and here's the thing: I get it with Joe because if you're looking sure. at it purely based on in ring, well, uh-huh. Joe Joe is probably your number one guy because this is like. The peak of Samoa Joe's powers is this dismissive asshole. Yes. He is this dismissive, destructive force of nature. You know, we joke about it. Um, we joked about it in the Slack chat a couple of days ago where I called um, Joe a Charizard if he was a Pokemon. <laughs> yes, I think he's I think he's close to Blastoise, but <laughs> you, you and I are going to fight forever about that. But, like, he's just so dismissive because he knows totally. he's Samoa Joe. And at any given point, he could yeah. just kill you. Like, yeah. And like, that's like great. But, you know, I look at that 2005 wrestler of the year thing and I don't know. It's really one where I could see a real toss up because Joe uh-huh. is like, I, I, I can't put styles lower than number two. It's like, it's a really hard thing to look at because you want to say it's about Joe, but like importance does matter to me. Yeah. So, going past 2005, I did want to bring up, in general, the careers of Styles and Joe, because they are intertwined in a lot of yes. ways. Yes, yes, You yes, know, yes. they're very close friends. They're in that group of guys with AJ, Daniels, Kazarian, and Joe, where they're just, like, best friends. Kazarian know? is such a weird inclusion there. <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? Like, at least it's not Petey Williams. I guess. <laughs> So strange, though. But, like, you see these guys, and, like, they're so intertwined. They're always wrestling each other. You know, they're a part of, like, each other's, like, biggest moments in TNA. Uh Uh-huh. And then you look at how the rest of their careers hand out once we get past 2005. Once we get further into TNA's history, and they have uh, more people coming in. and we obviously get to the Hulk Hogan era and the Eric Bischoff what? stuff and, uh, you know, Dixie Carter being an on-screen character and yeah. things like that. And AJ Styles leaves TNA one year, one year before Samoa Joe does. So there isn't much of a difference besides the fact that AJ was there from the beginning. But when we go from, like, you know, quote-unquote TNA golden years all the way until when they both leave. I think this is where 
the separation between Joe and Styles begins. Definitely, definitely. Because Styles, we've touched on it so much here, is that Styles just doesn't quit. Regardless of how badly he was booked during this time, where I may argue that I don't think there is a worse booked franchise player type of guy than AJ Styles, maybe ever. Like, from that run from 2007 to when he leaves. Like, it feels like they were willingly and, like, maliciously trying to make him worse, yeah. Like, I don't... Maybe other people can throw more names at me. But, like, when I look at this 2007 through whenever he leaves... I don't think there's a worse booked guy, franchise player. Uh-huh. You know, I'm not going to say ace because that's a completely, like, different kind of term. Franchise sure. player as in, you know, he does every role that you ask him for, that you ask him to complete, he's going to do it. I don't think there's a worse booked franchise player, maybe ever, than AJ Styles. And he comes out fine. He comes like- out he obviously he has to do some, you know, you know, he has to go around the world and remind people who he is. But the guy turns out okay. Yeah. Samoa Joe is like so I've sad. never seen a wrestler just drop so fast. Yeah. And it breaks my heart that I have to say it. Because I love Samoa Joe. Like yeah. in a perfect world, Samoa Joe was the biggest star in all of wrestling. Like in a perfect world, there is no one bigger than Samoa <laughs> Joe. Like he has, because he has everything. He has the swagger. <sighs> he has the matches. He can talk on the mic. Like in a perfect world, Samoa Joe is the biggest thing in all of wrestling. But TNA is so incompetent and yeah. bad that it's not even that they book Joe poorly. They do nothing with him. Yeah, and that's the most damning thing. And that's why I don't really blame him. I don't really blame him, you know, 100%, but I still uh-huh. think there's some part of it there where it's like, fuck. Yeah, man, like, like you can't in good conscience when AJ is out there killing it while he's while he's in deeper shit, you can't in good conscience say that, like, Joe was still better. Yeah, like, that's, like, my point here is that, like, I really want to say that Joe didn't do that, but, like, the reality of it when I go back and watch these matches is, like, Joe doesn't give a fuck. Uh-huh. That's just the truth of it. Yeah. And Styles, he cares. He cares maybe way too much. <laughs> to to a degree that I think it might hamper his health later in life, yeah. But you know, I think that's where just where it takes where, where it takes a a split is where AJ, you can actually say that he kept working hard and then uh-huh. once he leaves, he, he was actually boosting up his reputation. Yeah. Once them over Joe leaves, it just doesn't happen. Yeah, Joe's like post TNA stuff is okay, and like there's one or two matches that I think are really good. I think, the, like, ACH, it's... I think the ACH match is really good. Sure, sure, ACH match. Uh, he has like a Kyle O'Reilly match that's really yeah, nice. That one. Um, and then I pointed to that Sami Zayn match, the two out of three falls mm-hmm. that I, that is flawed, but yeah. I enjoy a lot. But it's like. It's like few and far we're, between, though. Like, yeah, we're we're struggling to name three, and AJ is doing it on like a monthly basis. And I, 
thought this was like something that we needed to talk about because while these were maybe the one and two guys in wrestling that year, uh-huh. I think that what like we need to look at like what happened afterwards because if this is you know what we thought was the peak of Samoa Joe, yeah, and maybe at the time we thought this was the peak of AJ Styles, and how everything just shifted maybe 10, 12, 10 11 years later after that. It's something, I, I think it's something that like really affects you in a specific way. And it's not to say that I don't also think of it nor other people like, uh, don't also think of it as a bigger picture as opposed to one single solitary moment. But like you especially, like, I think outcomes and pro, not pro, epilogues. I think outcomes and epilogues really weigh heavily on you. Because it's like, TNA is a big part of my wrestling fandom. Like, that's just the truth of it. I was watching TNA as a child. Sure, yeah. So, I was watching these guys as a kid. So, I want to see these guys do well. I want to see these guys be great and succeed. Totally. But, it gets to a certain point where you get older and you keep watching them. That's like, man, Samoa Joe isn't exactly what he used to be anymore. Uh-huh. And, and that, that just happens naturally with age, but like, it's like an accelerated thing. Yeah. And I was going to ask you out of curiosity is that I'm mm-hmm. going to be like, you're going to talk about who you think are the best 15 best wrestlers of all time and why AJ Styles isn't Wait. there. But do you still, or do you in general place Joe above Styles in an all-time capacity? I was thinking about it because because we had we had discussed in in on the um in in the weeks leading up to this podcast what we wanted to do here, and you wanted to talk about how like AJ was joining Danielson as like a one B or maybe like a tied for first place best of all time guy, and you wanted to know like what my sort of list looked like because I didn't do. Pardon me. I didn't do GWE. I was I came a little too late for that. I wasn't part of that process, and so like my opinions on that aren't so public. Uh, and you wanted to know like where, not Joe, where AJ would end up on that list. And I tried to, I tried to extrapolate out past fifteen, and it became very difficult. <laughs> I sort of and I couldn't like, I couldn't pin it down to a specific number where AJ is. But I tried to think about like other guys I'd put around him. And I came up with a lot of names. I came up with guys like Fujinami and Arn Anderson. And like Joe did come up because he's just a contemporary. I thought about like where AJ ranks in comparison to like Daniels and Loki. Um, but like I kept coming back to Joe and I had this, had this like age old argument that came down to like, I think Joe's peak is way better, but AJ just is so much more consistent on a a decade plus long period of time that like it's hard for me to put joe who i love way more above someone like aj yeah that's what i was wondering since you like love joe so much yeah like he that if you he were is still gonna be pro like, wrestling yeah i thought if, uh, i was wondering if you were gonna still say i don't care samoa joe's peak is like the greatest wrestling i've ever seen and i think it is but AJ, like AJ keeps adding another year of great stuff onto another year of great stuff. And like that just adds up, dude. Yeah. So moving past 2005 in particular, I want to move now to 
2014, late 2013, as AJ is out of his way, you know, out of, out of um, excuse me, <laughs> on his way out of TNA. Yes. And uh, this is where I talk about, like, the rejuvenation of AJ Styles. Uh-huh. Because the perception is that AJ maybe isn't the same guy, maybe he won't be able to keep up. In general, being in TNA for so long is naturally just going to, you know, affect how people view you. Uh, like, it's, was, I know was it gets, there, like, it's funny, but still, like, that's just going to affect how people view you. Was there anybody who came out of TNA better than they went in? Christian? That might be it. Christian, maybe. Because like, Christian, Christian definitely, I think, is way better he left, coming out. He left, he left at the right time. Totally, yeah. But, but like, like, is he it? <laughs> yeah. Like, Gosh. That's it. Like, Christian, maybe. Not even the franchise player of TNA, yeah. like, left that place unscathed. Yeah. So he goes back out onto the independent scene to Ring of Honor to New Japan. Now, the reason why I'm setting this up is because I want to make it clear that I don't think AJ was an immediate success. Yes. Especially in New Japan. Yeah, totally. The fact is, the dude bombed when they did the Yokohama um, mm-hmm. show against Okada. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just the fact. And it they gave him like this huge monster push that I still to this day, I'm not sure. I'm not sure why Gato so immediately went with AJ Styles. But I feel like I feel like it was more Kidani than Gato, but like that's Kidani, just Gato. That's that's Pearl Smark like uh, speculation. <laughs> yeah, like whoever was the booker. Yeah, is yeah. that? Give credit to them; they stuck with it. Uh huh. They maybe went a little too hard when they probably like, pretty much gave him like the forward Okada push. Yep. Like, and it didn't take right away, but they kept going and kept going and kept going. And it wasn't in a way where they kept forcing him down your throat, either. He sure. won the title. He did well in G1. But he lost the title at King of Pro Wrestling. And then after that, they're kind of scaling him back. He faces Naito at Wrestle Kingdom 9, which is, you know, their big show that's on American pay-per-view. AJ mm, Styles, yeah. your biggest, you know, name that you could put out there. Like, you would think that from, like, a basic perspective, they put AJ on top, maybe in a bigger match, because he's like the name that was on TV for so long, but they don't. Yeah, he doesn't even have a title match. They put him in a match with Naito. Yeah. And I think that was great, because you're not, you know, going so heavy-handed with AJ. Like, it's still a clear push, but it's not to the point where it's like, okay, like, you know, it's not Naito levels bad, where it's like, okay, we need to just leave you alone like a whole year. Yeah. And I think I think AJ eventually won the crowd over. And I think he's a guy that more than anyone really gets over by his matches. And it's not to say that he isn't a great character, because he can be a lot of the time. Yes. It's just that he's one of the guys that you can actually say solely can get over on his ring work anywhere he goes. Yeah, like when he, by January 5th, 2016, in which he has what I think is his best New Japan match, by then, he is so beloved by this crowd. Like, he is having a teary and emotional farewell. And it's like, 
it was only on the back of the fact that he is such a fucking hard worker. Like it's not, it's not, it's not like he he was cutting promos, you know. Like I'm sure people like those promos. You know, a lot of people like the Bullet Club; it's a popular stable. But it's like he really did it by just going out there and working really hard, and those fans were appreciative of that. And I think him, like you know, dealing with like how much he had to, you know, adjust to New uh-huh. Japan. It's not, it's not like he hadn't been to Japan before that he had wrestled in Big Mouth Loud and appeared in zero one like <laughs> yeah so i didn't like, watch any i didn't watch any zero one for this that really bummed me out because that, that's where that um crazy um Spanky Spanky splash, looking lo- oh yeah 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 um <laughs> but the way aj adjusted to japan even if you're not into the new japan main event style uh-huh i think is what i take away from this is that this guy really could have flopped like it really could have went badly but it didn't people expected it to yeah people expected it to just fall on its I, face because it's I had, AJ Styles had, AJ Styles isn't like you know this at, at the time he's leaving he's not this big name yeah and that just goes how far to how T, like how much TNA messed him up AJ Styles is a free agent and people mm-hmm. are like uh, I don't know yeah people people were apprehensive about like one of the best wrestlers ever going to one of the best promotions ever during its peak. So it's like the fact that, that that's how bad TNA is. God damn it. Like that's what, I'm tra- that's what I've been trying to like <laughs> tell you. Like, uh, like AJ really had to keep working to even make it possible to like, you know, to survive in new Japan. Yeah. And it, and it, okay, it worked. And you know, the ring of honor stuff, he did really well in ring of honor. You've had really good matches with guys like Elgin, O'Reilly, I think he had a really good match with ACH. Like, sure. So I think even if Ring of Honor wasn't his home promotion, I think he did great stuff there whenever he showed up as a special attraction. The the uh the last one, the lethal match is really good. The lethal match is really good. Um, and that's after the, there's like you know the whole back injury thing going on. So weird. What a weird time. Yeah. So we go past this, and then we get into AJ leaving New Japan and going to WWE. And this Uh is another case where AJ shows up, but this time it's a completely different kind of reaction. Because when AJ Mm -hmm. first showed up in New Japan, it wasn't like this overwhelming applause from the native fans, like, oh my god, AJ Styles is here. Yeah. Here, though, at the Royal Rumble in 2016, AJ Styles, third entrant into the match, he shows up after a few weeks of speculation of whether or not he was signing the WWE. Shows up, crowd um, fucking ruthless off the crowd. Um, one of the loudest pops I've heard the last few years is AJ Styles, and seeing people's faces when mm-hmm. AJ Styles came out is mm-hmm. like the best thing. Yeah. There's so so much genuine happiness to finally see him in WWE. Sure, and then. We go past this, and the first thing he's doing is he's feuding with Chris Jericho. Yeah. Now, a lot of people, there's mixed opinions on the Chris Jericho feud. It's decent, average, or maybe the worst thing that could have <laughs> possibly done. Oh, it's it's funny. Um, the way Jericho tells the story is back when he joined WWE in the year 2000, uh, they booked him a lot with X-Pac. Because X-Pac at the time was like their go-to guy 
um, like he was their workhorse in the mid card, and he was the guy who you could put against someone new and determine whether or not they were going to make it. And Jericho talks about cutting his teeth in these X-Pac matches that he doesn't think are any good, and people aren't getting super behind, but they saw enough in them that they were like, okay, yeah, well, you're you're going to stay around and you're going to be a big deal. I think Jericho then replaced X-Pac in that role, in that, like, you point at the Fandango match, or you point out, like, um... I was going to say Rob Van Dam, but that was Alberto Del Rio in a horrible decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but I think I think Jericho in a lot of ways has like replaced X-Pac in that position of the guy you put with, with the new dude to see if he's going to hang. Yeah. And they did it with AJ and he came out okay for it. Yeah, and I want to put in perspective like what he's done in WWE because like this Big is... Big stuff. <laughs> it's kind of unprecedented and that word gets like totally. thrown around. But... In AJ's case, you really have to keep in mind everything that he has going against him. Yeah. He's not a big dude. He's relatively small, especially when you're going to be on the WWE roster. Uh-huh. He has a southern accent. Which, a you know, thick one. A very mm-hmm. thick southern accent with, um, you know, how much Vince hates that. Mm. And he has the whole TNA thing still. Yes. And he still does have injuries. He's still you know, nearing 40 years old. Mm-hmm. There's the whole back injury thing that people still aren't sure about. And there's the fact that he was through and through a TNA guy. There's so much stuff working against AJ Styles to even succeed in WWE. So this guy, in his first year, fused with Chris Jericho, Roman Reigns, John Cena, Dean Ambrose, Shane McMahon, all in his first year plus of WWE. God Damn. Like, for those of you people, Chris Jericho, that's a big, legendary name in the realm of WWE. Roman uh-huh. Reigns, the hardest push guy in the company. John Cena, you know, you, like, what do you need to say about John Cena? Dean Ambrose. <laughs> yeah. Like, Dean Ambrose, like, the most consistently cheered guy on the roster, I think. Yes. And Shane McMahon, for those of you feel about Shane McMahon and the whole part-timers thing, if you're putting a match with Shane McMahon, that's a pretty big fucking deal, regardless of how you feel about it. It's a marquee match, yeah. So he has like he has feuds with most popular guy in the company, marquee son of the owner, and three guys who have main evented WrestleMania. Yeah. And this is all in his first like year and some change. Yeah. Big deals. <laughs> big deals. And then one thing that I thought was interesting is that in a video that surprisingly was ran on WWE.com, they ran through the, like five people that had the most wins. Yeah, on TV. And, and they're just kind of TV. Yeah. But AJ Styles was tied for first in televised wins. Only like, he was tied with Dean Ambrose. And Who is? Did, do you do you have the whole list with you? I I want to see who's three. A three? Yeah. Like I want to see who's behind the two of them. Might have been Reigns. Like that makes the most sense, but like. It's weird. It might have been Reigns. Um, but to also put in perspective what he's done. So he's feuded with all these guys. He has the side for most televised wins. They built the entire rebranded SmackDown around <laughs> him. Yeah, basically. Like, they built this entire thing around him. Like, granted, Dean Ambrose was the champion. He was getting yes. plenty of airtime. Yes. yes. This isn't to discredit Dean Ambrose because I think he did a really good job 
being maybe the two or even one B to Styles. Sure. But this show is about AJ Styles. As soon as he's drafted, this is about AJ Styles and everything he's doing. It's about AJ Styles goading John Cena for another match. This is about AJ Styles and his interactions with Dolph Ziggler. This is about AJ and his interactions with Shane McMahon and Daniel Bryan. It's about AJ and his feud with Dean Ambrose. This is about AJ facing Heath Slater, Kofi Kingston, and Xavier Woods. Like, he has all these people that he's facing. It just, like, really when I look at that particular year, it's amazing to me that they just built this guy as, like, to the point where behind Roman Reigns, he's, like, the number two full-time guy on the roster now. Uh-huh. Which, again, is fucking nuts, considering everything that we just said he had going against him. Yeah. And I think the thing that really ties it all together to me is that he's the most pushed person that didn't go through developmental since Goldberg, I think. Mm. Didn't so Goldberg, Goldberg came in in what, 03? And was um, immediately... First match was against The Rock? Am I remembering yep. that correctly? Okay. And then, like, in the summer goes in a world title uh, world title story with Triple H. Yeah. And beats him, and then loses it back. And then even then, Goldberg's a part-timer. Yeah, he wasn't full-time. At the, yeah, definitely. So, that's what I'm saying, is that when you look at AJ, the closest comparison in the last 14 years is oh, okay. Goldberg. And even yeah. then, that's not even a real fair comparison because AJ but was full time. Before that, closest is Flair. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Like Flair in '92 is like maybe it, but that might be it. Yeah, but think of it. the company that we're mentioning him in. Yes, <laughs> the company that holds lots of grudges and is super petty about everything. And uh, he, <laughs> he, he. I mean, he just. They clearly liked him. Like, it's not to say that he got over just based on his work alone. They clearly had big plans for him from the outset, but, like, brother didn't fuck it up. I don't think they had this big of plans for him, though, is what I think. Maybe not. Like, I think I think by the time you get through the Jericho feud... I think, it's, I think it's by clear. the time you get to the Roman Reigns stuff... Definitely. This definitely. is where you see, like, okay, we need to keep, like, we need to keep this going. Yeah, like, he doesn't... He doesn't lose clean to Roman Reigns for the the first time, and then they have the Extreme Rules match. Yeah, I think him not Says a losing lot. clean to Reigns is like very telling. And then yeah. right after that, he goes right to a few of Cena. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, like it's it's as big as you could get. <laughs> and I think like now since he's turned face and he's like literally in canon, the face is he? of Sm- yes, he is. Okay, I just, I, I mean, I haven't watched Brother. No, no, like, like, I don't <laughs> in canon now, they're going with the fact that he is the man that built SmackDown. Like, that okay. is his character. I hate, <laughs> I hate that face that runs the place name. It's so stupid. <laughs> I want to talk, I want to talk about hair in a little bit. I hate his branding. I have always hated AJ Styles' branding over the years, but we'll talk about that more <laughs> in a second. <laughs> but yeah, I think, um, from what he did, um, post TNA in those yeah. uh, two years to yeah. what he's doing now in WWE are just like incredible feats. And the fact is that we don't know how much longer he's going to keep doing this too. 
Like, yeah. we, don't, like we don't know the state of AJ's body. That's just a fact of it. And from from what we can tell, like he doesn't show any signs of slowing down. So imagine if we just get another five years that, of AJ Styles. That's impossible. Like, five is too much. Like, I think was, three is pushing it. I was saying, like, you're saying, like, what if, like, we don't know? <laughs> it's the thing, like, we really just don't know with AJ. Yeah. I'm really, I'm really scared for him because, like, he has, he has those back issues and he's getting into his 40s and, like, he's not slowing down on the sorts of bumps he's taking. Like, I don't, like, I don't want to see, uh, uh, I don't want to see him end up having a WrestleMania match the way that Taker and Roman went. I think if you remember, like, the, um, I think I'm not sure if they touched on it in the so close he lost already, but it feels he feels like a guy that wants to go out on his own on on his own terms. Sure. Like he does like even though he's not like a quote unquote like mark for the business, like he doesn't feel like a guy that's like gonna like prod like prod himself out there and like sixty uh-huh. years old, you know, still <laughs> trying to wrestle. That doesn't yeah. seem like AJ Styles. Yeah. So I think he's, he's gonna be he's a got guy, too much um he's got too much pride for that. Yeah. I think he's gonna be be a guy more like Shawn Michaels where it's like Shawn Michaels mm-hmm. was still having really good matches, like around that time, I guess. But like, okay, you're actually okay. You're really funny, all right. <laughs> but like, Shawn was still like having matches people thought was really good. Uh-huh. Back to back matches with Taker and people were still like, "Oh man, Shawn Michaels, you're still so good. Why are you leaving right now?" And I think AJ is gonna have that. AJ is gonna have that real like same thing. Was like he's gonna hang it up when he feels like it. Uh-huh. It's gonna be like sooner than we might may expect because I don't think he's gonna show the signs of retirement either. I hope not. You know, like I don't, I don't love the guy. I think he's real flat as wrestler. He's not, he's not someone who like really exemplifies what I love most in wrestling. But like, I don't want him to end up like Joe or like yeah. Jumbo or like any anyone else who I love because like they they have died cold slow painful deaths and like if a guy can escape that then i want him to escape it now from 2014 to now who would you say has been the best wrestler you know in these um accumulative um in these like grouped years like who would you say it is um so i only started really thinking about wrestling well, okay, I shouldn't put it that way. I only started writing reviews for wrestling and putting down my critical thoughts for wrestling in 2015. And so I have my thoughts and ideas and feelings and ratings and whatever for 2015 and 2016. Chris Hero far and away wins both of those. 2014 is a little harder to get a grasp on because A, I wasn't watching as much and B, I, I wasn't like putting down my thoughts as much as I am now. And it's also a little bit of a weirder year. Hero is not quite who he would be by 2015. Right. Um, Ricochet is having like his career year, I think maybe not in the ring, but like accomplishment wise and is doing very well for himself. Uh, Ishii as well is like s- slowly and quietly um, probably the most consistently good guy in New Japan. Shibata kills it and has my match of the year against Tanahashi in the G1. Um, Brian has the, like, it's, he's only around for f- four months and, like, his WrestleMania story is, like, 
the best story in wrestling history, maybe. And like throwing all these names around who have sort of like weak years with really good peaks or they have like occasional really great matches or they have like, um, I don't know, just like really good runs for a short period of time. Like AJ might win it by a slight margin in 2014. But as like, as a whole of like 2014 to now, I can't not say hero because hero hero just like in the same way that Joe did in 05 hero does yeah. what I love about pro wrestling better than anyone else. So would styles be number two behind hero? I don't know. Cause like I'm not super sold on his 2016 and I'm less, I'm even less strong on his 2015, but like yeah. 2014, that G1 run is like, Jokes aside, phenomenal. Yeah. And like, it's hard to discredit. And so he's definitely, and like, my opinions changed. Like, since 2015, all of those rankings have like switched around a little bit, other than Chris Hero at number one. Um, so I think I'd have to revisit a lot of things, but like, it's hard to argue against someone like AJ Styles. And I think was going to be something to keep in mind as we go forward is that Hero is now in NXT. Uh-huh. And from the way it looks, it doesn't ever seem like he's ever going to be on the main roster or in, a, in a, or even in high-profile matches on TakeOvers. Like, yeah. It doesn't seem like that's what the we're plan still, is with Hero. We're still early, but... Yeah. Yeah, at this vantage point here on May... Now the 13th, we've uh, <laughs> gone to the next day. May 13th, 2017, it doesn't look like it. So, moving past Russell the Year talk, I think it's time to really touch on... Oh boy. Now that like we've gone to what may be AJ's most critically acclaimed run, mm. is to the effect of hype on someone like Oh, you. Oh boy. And AJ is a guy that Really, because of how bad the feeling around him was because of TNA, uh-huh. the hype is naturally going to be bigger because people are kind of rediscovering yes. that AJ's really good. When people like revisit an old thing or like realize that the old thing was always good, there's always like that that additional like, oh gosh, I was wrong all this time. Yeah, so I think I'm not even sure it's exactly hype with AJ. Sure. I think it almost feels like people making up for lost time. Because Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Because people kind of feel like, man, I've been not watching AJ Styles for a really <laughs> long time, or I haven't been paying attention to AJ Styles for a really long time. Uh-huh. And then he goes to all these places and all these companies and has great matches. And it's like, wait, so he's been this good the whole time I wasn't paying attention? So the, I guess like the way I look at it is people making up for the time they just weren't paying attention to AJ. Sure. But, and I think, and it's not like, like I'm not going to profess myself to be some master and commander of all things wrestling. I don't know everything about pro wrestling. I do not watch the vast majority of things and I don't keep my finger on the pulse the way that other people do. Um, so I'm not going to sit here and profess that I'm like, oh, I always knew AJ was, was really good even though I didn't like him. Like I'm not, I'm not that sort of piece of shit, but, uh, I don't know. At the same time, it does, 
I am just sort of a filthy hipster in that like when other people realize the thing that I've known for a while, like I'm sometimes reacting to it in such a way that it's like, yeah, why didn't you know about this? Like right. you should have known about this. And I think, I, I think it's just a natural thing I do sometimes. I, I don't know. And I, I think it's like more prevalent with other people. Sure. But with AJ, I think the reasoning is there though, because why would you want to watch TNA? Totally, yeah. So, like, I get the reasoning for why it happened with AJ. Because it seems like a thing where it's like, you know, people, I think people felt bad that they weren't watching AJ. Or that they didn't realize how special he was or how good he was for all mm. that time. Mm -hmm. Like, he's a guy that I think, like, really took time for people to look back on. And even, I think a lot of people haven't even gone back and watched his older work. Sure. Because if you go back and watch early TNA, 2002, 2003, 2004, he's still going out there and killing it. Mm -hmm. You know, even back in, like, you know, the Asylum, or even back in NWA Wildside, it's not to say he's oh, a yeah. perfect wrestler back then, sure. but he's fun as shit to watch, man. Like he's, he's showing, like, obvious skill. So, I do think the hype is there. But it is a thing with AJ where it feels more genuine. Yeah. I don't know. How do you, how do you, how do you react to hype? Cause like, I, I, I don't know. I just don't like being told what's good. Like, I kind of like just finding what's good on my own. You know what I mean? That's the thing though. Is like, what do you perceive as being told what's good? Because a lot yeah, of people like it. Yeah. Sort of. Cause like, I do, I constantly peruse other people's like match the year lists or like, or, or their blocks or whatever. I constantly am looking for people saying, oh, hey, this is good. You should watch it. And then I'm like, oh, yes, I will watch this thing that I've just learned about, but I'll pretend that I found it on on my own in an organic and natural way. Um, and like that, that is not that far removed from from like a WWE stand going like, oh, this is really great. You should watch it. And me reacting like, no, fuck you. Like, I'm not going to watch what you think is a good match. Um, so I don't know. It's just like. I I think I perceive I do definitely perceive things in a different way than a lot of people do, uh, and and when it comes to like recommendations in pro wrestling, it is especially strange. Because like the way I'm not I'm not I'm not to say like I don't care what anyone thinks, but it's like I'm like to think that I'm someone that very much is centric to what I think about something. Uh -huh, it's not totally. to say I don't ask for people's it's not to say I don't ask for people's opinions. Like I talk to you about stuff all the time. I talk to him and other people about stuff all the fucking we, time. We wouldn't be in like our holy shit seventeen of us podcasting together if you didn't value other people's opinions. <laughs> right. But it's more that I care about what I discover when uh, I watch someone. Uh, so for instance, like when I watch uh Ray Echicero, like sure. I'm not paying attention to what everyone else is saying about the guy really i know people like him but in my mind i know the only thing that really matters in how i view him is what's going to happen when i watch this match like that's what matters to me not if he got matched a year some year or if some person voted in luchador of the year like that's not what i'm paying attention to it's when i press play on this video am i going to like this match or not Am I going to like you and what you bring to the table? Uh-huh. 
And I think just because I don't really, like, not value, but I don't pay attention to it in a way where it can detract from my enjoyment. Like, if someone hypes something up and says, this is really great, you should watch it. I don't think I'm the type of, like, dick to be like, no, <laughs> fuck you, this sucks. Like, that's not me. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, I am that type of dick who, who like, I'm constantly perusing, like, Twitter or forums or Facebook or whatever. Uh, and I know just a lot of wrestling people. And I'm, I'm constantly seeing those sort of, of things. And, like, I am the type of dick who's sometimes just like, no, fuck you. And I think I, I get that mindset because it's like when you're like so like connected and social with people, especially uh-huh. in a fandom that you are really deep into and you want to talk about, like naturally you're just going to read things and hear about things and then you want them to live up to the hype or you want them oh, to be like, yeah. like you want it to be like all time great yeah. legendary stuff. But like if it's not, I think for some reason it goes to the extreme sometimes. That if it's not legendary, if it's not all-time yes. great, then yes, yes, yes. it's not good. Yes, you're totally right about that. that. That sort of, like, you buy in sometimes. Because, like, no part of me wants a highly touted match to be bad. Like, I want it to be great. I want to get the same sort of reaction out of it that other people do. And when I don't, like, it's sort of like you feel robbed. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I'm robbed of the enjoyment that someone else had. And it's like, well, thanks for telling me about this match that I didn't end up liking, dickhole. You know? <laughs> like when I, taught, when I told you about the, to watch that Lucha Triple Threat. Oh my god, I hated it! <laughs> yeah, like, I hated it so much. And the JR talked to me about it, and I was like, I hate, I hated this man. <laughs> like, it, was, <laughs> oh, it was horrible. <laughs> but, um, I think with AJ, this is going to be like a different conversation about hype. And I think uh-huh. when we get to Kenny Omega, whenever we do the show in August, like very that's one yeah. where I'm very curious to see where you land after doing all your rewatching. Sure, no, because it's like that's a guy that's like, man, like, are you sure you feel like you're watching a different person? Like, sure, sure, sure. And that's that's I mean that's a different situation where like I don't think AJ has changed yeah, on a yeah. fundamental level to where I used to like him and I don't now. Yeah, like, those are like that's what I'm saying. Like AJ is kind of like a different case as to where Kenny Omega is like, you used to love the guy uh-huh. and now there's this like weirdness about how you feel about him. Yeah. And that, like that show is going to be like trying to uncover what that is. If you ever find it out. Sure. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> now I do want to get into some of the like more legacy stuff. Okay. When it gets to AJ. And the first thing that I've thought about the last couple of days is that, People talked about a lot during the GWE process, how, like, Brian Danielson is one of the first greatest of all time level guys where we have most of mm-hmm. his career online and available. Yeah, totally. And it crossed and it crossed my mind that, well, AJ Styles has most of his career on television. And this is something that I think about, because Rey Mysterio is, like, almost universally viewed as, like, if not the best TV worker of all time, at worst, the second best TV worker of all time. Very much so, yeah. So I started thinking, like, maybe maybe just because it's TNA, but are we not talking enough about AJ Styles being an all-time great TV worker? Yeah, like, there's... That TNA stink is a big deal, dude. And, like, in the same way that I have talked about, like, my bias against dumb wrestlers, uh, I definitely think the people of PWO 
have a similar bias in that, like, look at the number one and number two guys on GWE. They were Flair and Funk, a smart guy and a monster dumb guy who was also smart sometimes. So I'm looking at, like, AJ and, like, being on TV for so long, like, pretty much his entire career. Like, it's almost like the equivalent of a WWE dude, like, John Cena having his Basically, yeah. Like, that's what we have with AJ. And I'm just wondering, like, from the crazy X Division spot fest to, like, the random title matches he would have and all this other stuff was like, is AJ Styles an all-time great TV worker and it, we're just not talking about it? <laughs> I think I think people just thought of him the same way that they thought of Joe. That, like, he peaked in 05 and was so great then, but then, like, TNA got to him. And then with the time period in which the GWE was covering, like, he doesn't start his awesome WWE run until the process is already over. Yeah. And so, like, people... I don't think people really got that that push to go back and revisit those TNA matches that that they totally like wrote off because it was a dumb Elevation X match when right. it's also like one of the best things I've ever seen in wrestling ever. So like I I think it just takes that work and and for a variety of different reasons people didn't do that work at that time. So now that we've like talked for and ridiculous for a ridiculous amount of time. Oh boy, and we're still going. Yes. It's the fact that, uh, <laughs> I mean, what do you think about that? Like, you personally, like, you know, AJ, you know, and how he worked, you know, in general. Like, do you think he has a case for being, like, an actual best-of-a-generation type TV wrestler? Yes. Uh, does that mean he is top 15 or top 20 all-time period? Mm. I don't think so. No. It just but not. very much yeah. so. He is very much, like top one, two, or three of his generation. And especially when it comes to like something like TV, like he is, he is so undeniable. Now, one thing that I also thought about AJ is that he had this reputation of being a high flyer for early on in his career. Sure. And for how pretty and dazzling his moves looked. One thing that I always thought didn't get talked about enough with AJ is that even when he flew, that shit looked vicious. I think I think AJ's aerial offense is up there with like two cold Scorpio with guys like talk, that talk about like, you uh, yeah. Know, you talk about like how violent his flying looks. Uh-huh. AJ has that like his spiral tap looks fucking he, gnarly. Like he, he kills people with that. He potatoes guys with his spiral tap. Like you know, even like the, <laughs> even like the infamous like Springboard Shooting Star Press. Uh huh. Like, that looks like it hurts. Like it is such yeah. a pretty looking move. Yeah. Yeah, like even the springboard 450 and everything that he would do. I think looking at the TV work and then also his flying from that career, yeah. from that previous career. The way he stands out, like he's not he's not doing the most spectacular flips that I've ever seen. Like people like Jody Flesh or Ricochet or Pac are going to outdo him there, but like it's the way that he makes those stand out despite not being the craziest ones. Like, you, that's that's a big deal. Do you think, like, comparing him to Tuchel is a bit too far? Because Tuchel's, like, the standard. Ah, sort of, yeah. Maybe, like, I don't know. like, the standard for, like, having, like, your flying look vicious. I just, I would have to think about it more and watch more Tuchel. Yeah, than them, think, and then think. specifically watch AJ for his flying. Yeah, I was, like, thinking, like, when I look at AJ and then, like, think about Tuchel, it's like, man, I don't 
know if I can name more guys off the top of my head uh-huh. who's flying like actually looks dangerous. It's I mean it's the body type because like yeah. these two cold muscular is, dudes. Yeah, two cold is much bigger, but like but AJ also has that huge thick chest and and just like leans into stuff. And outside of like someone like American Balloon or Vader, who is just a huge guy doing crazy moonsaults and whatnot, like it's it's hard to think of someone who made that shit look more vicious. Vicious. Vi- fuck vicious. it. Vicious. <laughs> vicious. <laughs> um, it is late. <laughs> so I also want to touch on AJ as a gimmick match worker. Yeah. Okay. And this is one that I think, you know, along with him being an all-time great TV worker, kind of gets swept under the rug because uh-huh. it's TNA. Uh-huh. But when I look at what he did in Ultimate X matches, ladder matches, yeah, last man standing matches, the Elevation X match, the cage matches, now look at all these stipulations he's worked in, Iron Man matches and Whatever that, whatever the fuck, like he has worked in so many different steps. Yeah, and he's maybe maybe it's just because AJ in general is a great wrestler. But sure. I know a lot of great wrestlers that you know couldn't do a fucking elevation X match. <laughs> sure. So it's like I'm wondering, like, as far as like a gimmick match worker, what do you think of AJ? He's definitely up there. He's like Sean, and we make a lot of comparisons to Sean between him and AJ. Um, like he's he's really up there for making like. Especially in TNA when some of that shit is just preposterous. Like, he makes it work better than most people would. Now, the big thing is that I think Styles and Brian Danielson mm. are, like, going to go down as, you know, if you want to throw, throw Cena in there, you can too. But I think that's a different conversation with Cena. Yeah. But Styles and Danielson, as far as, like, just straight-up wrestlers... Are like the guys that from this generation that are gonna go down as yes. like the clear all time yes. greats, I think. Especially especially with Hero, you know, kinda we don't know. But Yeah. But Hero but can like not be in there anymore, from what yeah. we can see. So is Styles versus da- Styles and Danielson as like the greatest generation of greatest like greatest wrestlers of the generation debate like equal to the debate that we have about Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart in the 90s. What do you mean by equal? I guess equal in the fact that when we look back years from now, that obviously Hart and Shawn has a lot to do with like the personal stuff mm, totally. between them. But really, like from what I've like you know seen, because obviously I didn't live through the 90s, but like when I see people talk about you know, being a Bret Hart guy or being a Shawn Michaels guy, it gets like real, like personal. Yeah, like, like, you know, no, Shawn is the best. Shawn yeah. is the best. No, Bret is the best, and Shawn fucking sucks. Like you know, <laughs> personal like that. And I'm not saying that Styles versus Danielson ever, is ever going to be that, but I feel like that's going to be the closest thing to be like a real like debate. Sort of. Who is the greatest? Sort of because like they're they're similar also. Uh, stylistically and then there's the weird wrinkle of it of that Brian was trained by Sean yeah despite not coming across that way at all I think not being uh, like while AJ is the one that gets Shawn yeah, Michaels comparisons way much more so like Brian completely shows his William Regal influence so much more than Sean but 
yeah, I think for like that next generation that came after it, like you're not going to get closer to that, that really, and it's not visceral. You're not, you're not going to get to that visceral yeah, connection. It's not, between... it's not that like, I'm, like, like, like we're not keeping like the personal. Sure. 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 Even though that's, like, that's like a big part of it, but uh-huh. even as wrestlers. Yeah. Like, just on a, performers, on a skill know. level as two like fundamentally uh, opposed guys. I do think AJ and Brian comes, comes the closest that we're going to get. Now, did you think that AJ was a better heel or babyface from what you watched? Ooh, um, AJ's okay. So, like, my favorite AJ match is that Abyss match in which he's a babyface and he's like a really great babyface. And like, that's a match that I have revisited and come back to time and time and again. Uh, in the 10 years that I've been a wrestling fan. Like, it's something that's just stuck with me. And there's not a lot of matches that I can actually say that for. But as I was going through this process, I found myself, like, maybe just because they were newer matches and they were matches that I had seen less, I found myself enjoying a lot of his heel work more. Like, the the stuff he's doing in the Naito match and the Ellsworth match and the Rhino match is, like, so enjoyable. But I think as far as, like something that is compelling and something I can sink my teeth into something that has like real lasting value. I think AJ is best as a baby face. Yeah. It's, a, it's interesting because like the, he's a really good chicken shit. Here. Totally. He he's really like, is. <laughs> because he is unlikable as a person. I think <laughs> and that's why and he's also like a really like good cocky young punk. Uh-huh. He's also good in new Japan where it's like, you know, he has this arrogance, but he's a little bit more, like, dangerous feeling. Totally. So I think he's a really good heel performer. Yeah, he's not, he's not bad at either. Yeah. But Babyface is like, God, because he's like, he's like a, in the ring, he's a natural Babyface. Is what, it's like, how it feels. like. Yeah, like, we've come to associate, like, Babyfaces with the big explosive action and the, yeah. the exciting stuff, yeah. Yeah, so even though he can, like, tone his stuff down obviously he can work a slow down pace uh-huh and he does he can, well in doing that he's still aj styles and he can still be explosive which i think is like great because he can like do it at any moment especially in wwe where you know he was a heel for so long and now he's back to being face and now he's feuding with baron corbin so he can be baby face oh, nice. AJ styles again so now it gets to the point where let's talk about the people that you have in your greatest of all time conversation. Oh boy. And AJ, you've like mentioned it, like AJ isn't super far off from the way you made it sound. I, I like, I don't know. I really and don't like, know. Like I, get, like, I guess from like, from like how much you've watched. Cause like the way it felt like when I was talking to you about stuff and like reading your thread on Twitter, like where you were updating <laughs> how you're feeling about AJ Styles matches is that it didn't really feel like your opinion was changing on AJ, but like the tone here is like, hold on, maybe, like maybe he isn't that far off. It's like, like as far as like where he is on your list, not saying he comes sure, close, sure. like comes close to those guys in your top fifteen. Yeah, yeah. Or where yeah, he yeah. would be on your list isn't like he doesn't exist at all on it. And that's the thing is like, of course, I have this like sort of. It's not a recency bias. I don't know what the word for this would be. But because I have just done this project on AJ where I watched like 50 of his matches, uh, 
and I haven't watched 50 Nick Bockwinkle matches. I haven't watched 50, 50 El Satanico matches. I don't know where he stacks up against like those two guys who I think are all time greats, but I, but I don't know where I'd put them. So like, I don't know how far off he is, but like he's making the list at the very least. Yeah. Like, and like when we did, like when we felt like came up with the idea for this, the way it sounded is like he wouldn't be there at all almost. Why? Specifically, you asked for my top fifteen. Yeah, the top fifteen is like different though. Yeah, and and you were like, uh, you were like, you wanted to know like if he would make it, and if not, why not? And I was like, oh, he doesn't make it by a long shot. All right, well, let's like hear the top fifteen then. All right, and I don't want you to like you don't have to go through like every individual guy, but if there's like a tying theme as to why you yeah. have these guys so high. And what AJ doesn't have compared to uh, this group of guys. Okay, okay. Uh, I'd like to hear it. So in no particular order, uh, my top 15 goes Terry Funk, John Cena, Negro Casas, Genichiro Tenryu, Shinya Hashimoto, Jumbo Saruta, Chris Benoit, Kinta Kobashi, Billy Robinson, Brian Danielson, Rey Mysterio, Ric Flair, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Aja Kong, and Stan Hansen. Um... Most of those people, I don't even know who actually had the shortest career of all of them. Probably Danielson. Uh, most of those people had very long careers in which they were uh, performing at a high level for a very long time. Even I think though, the, there's the thing that, even with Danielson is that he has a good like thirteen, yeah, maybe about 13, twelve years. Yeah, totally. Like, which is like still because of. The way just like the years work is that when you look at 2002 through 2015, it's going to look shorter compared sure. to 1979 through, you know, 1992. Like it's just going to feel shorter. Totally, totally, totally. Um, but like all of these people have at least 10 years where they're great. Yeah. I think Billy Robinson's probably the weakest of all of them. And even then, I think Billy Robinson's high end stuff and his influence carries him a long way in my mind uh a lot of these people are as i described earlier either like monsters or smart guys that i really like a lot um a lot of them have like just like high-end matches that i consider some of my favorite matches ever some of them are uh big time rivals of each other uh all of them are like huge influences of some kind and and that i should mention is a big thing like Danielson's the only guy of this generation who makes it onto this list so far. It's kind of just too early to tell how important and influential Danielson will become in coming generations. And I think AJ is sort of like, he's definitely going to be influential, but like, because it's not 20 years from now, it's hard to tell how far that goes. I think even with AJ, it is interesting because there's some people that will openly say yes. that AJ has already been an influence. Like, totally. Obviously, Willow Spray is like the first one that comes to mind. Exactly. Like, like he'll admit straight up that AJ Styles was like the reason I got into wrestling. But Will Ospreay sucks. And <laughs> if the guys that you influence are bad, I think that's sort of working I know, it's like to it's just, some degree. <laughs> and Danielson, I think he's in, like influenced guys like um, Skrull, Gresham, Zack Sabre Jr. Biff, I think, is the big one. Biff, another Biff, one. But... Biff only started watching wrestling because of Danielson versus Lance Storm. And, like, Biff has grown into an awesome wrestler. Yes, he and I think, And I think if you can string together three or four or five more guys like that, I think Danielson's influence is a big deal. 
I do think, like, off the top of my head, I came up with Skrull, Gresham. Yeah. To some extent, Zack Sabre Jr., even though he's a really sure. weird case. Very but, strange. Very strange. <laughs> yeah, like, British wrestling, Japanese wrestling, American wrestling. Who fucking knows? Like, so strange. <laughs> and then you can add on Biff. But, like, he's, like, even, like, with Danielson, you can still, like, see it because people will ape his moves and uh-huh. ape his, like, characteristics. Uh-huh. Um... So I guess is a is it because AJ doesn't really fit right now, and maybe just never will into what you call a smart <sighs> wrestler. Sort of, like I I'm never like I have to recognize that that is a big bias of mine, and like unless he's having a whole lot more matches like those 2009 Daniels matches, like he's not gonna fit into that category. But maybe one day I'm gonna just grow the fuck up and and learn to appreciate other things. Uh, and hopefully I do, and hopefully AJ benefits from that, but as of now, it's like, I don't know. Now, for me, I'm pretty open in the fact that Brian Danielson is, like, to me, like, far and away uh-huh. the greatest wrestler of all time. Yeah. Other guys that I had in my top ten were, uh, Stan Hansen, Terry Funk, Nebo Casas, Junakiyama, Eddie mm-hmm. Guerrero, Shawn Michaels, Nick Bockwinkle. Rey Mysterio, Tenryu, like, I even had guys like, um, Kabashi, like, um, outside of my top ten, Kawada, th- Liger, like. I think Akiyama's actually a really similar case to AJ. Yeah, like, but AJ, and this is what I'm like, I'm gonna say something that I really, like, during the GWE process, and I was, like, hashing out, like, mock lists, and sure. like, preparation for, like, doing the final thing. At one point, I had AJ above quite a few names. I had AJ above Liger. I had AJ above Kobashi. Okay. I probably had him above Kawada. And because I know for a fact, I had him above Masawa. And even oh. my final bat- ballot, he was above Masawa. Oh, Masawa sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if the microphone picked me up when I said that. Masawa sucks. <laughs> uh. But, so... Even with GWE last year, uh-huh. and this is before the WWE run really kicks into high gear, uh-huh. I was still thinking of AJ as like a legit borderline top ten guy. Yeah, but I backed out of it. I put sure. Kabashi above him. I put yeah. Liger above him, and then I watched the WWE he, run play out. And I I'm think like, he's definitely better than Liger. I think you're not wrong about that one. Like I'm looking at it, and I'm like. Man, like, I really just should have stuck with my gut there. But it's easy to say that in hindsight, but I was, like, looking at sure. that list at the time. Yeah, yeah. And, like, I think it speaks to how highly I even thought of AJ then, that I had him above Kabashi and Liger. <laughs> sure, 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 sure. Like, legitimately, like, my, I think I had him, like, 11 nice. at some point. And then he just wound up being, like, 13 or 14. Okay, that's not too bad. But now, having the WWE run and looking in the future to what he could do. And this is hypotheticals because we don't know how long he's going to last. He's 40 years old or damn near 40 years old and has an incredible bumping style that you just don't know how much is actually taking a toll on his body. Uh-huh. And to me, it's like, well, if anyone is actually going to keep going and keep making a case because Hero is kind of disappearing to the ether somewhat, yeah. It's going to be AJ Styles. Now, people will say, 
Junakiyama's still wrestling. Negro Casas is still wrestling. <laughs> yeah, they are. But this is to the point where those two have gotten phased out. And while I do value longevity, I do also value like what are you actually doing uh -huh. on your longevity. And the fact is, while I really like Negro Casas, the injuries are catching up to him. And he isn't, you know, going to be having great matches necessarily all the time. He may still be a great showman. He always will be because he's Negro Casas. But I still do look for output somewhat. Mm. Junakiyama straight up said he's not going to shout for the Triple Crown anymore. He's not going to be in the Champions Carnival. Oh, no! But he's phased <laughs> himself out. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. no. So it's like, well, Akiyama's like, Akiyama's who got me into Pearl. So it's like, while I God. really love Junakiyama, he's also Shit. like not going to do anything to help his case. The only active wrestler, and this may include Sami Zayn, but you don't, but you never, Sami Zayn is just kind of like, it's hard. Yeah, like I can't even really talk about Sami Zayn because you just he's, don't know with him. He's my fifth favorite wrestler ever, and it's just, it's hard. Shit, dude, I think he's the best babyface <laughs> of all time, and it's like, well, fuck, yeah. like, <laughs> Like, but AJ is like the only guy right now, and it's because Hero is like mm. you know where he is, and maybe it may, and it might be Walter. Like I could like see God, myself I talking wish. about Walter in that conversation. Maybe it's that's the thing is like Walter is so young. Like yeah, I thirty years always, old. I always thought he was ten years older than he actually was. No, 30. so he's 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 still got time. So Walter, like Walter, may be another one of those guys that in the future I am because I think he has the potential to be like like the European greatest of all time eventually. I that's a shallow pool, and there's no way he's not top ten already. Yeah, like I was saying, like above, you know, you know, this this includes if you just include like guys born in Europe or European born. So that would be Cesaro, Regal, mm. Robinson, Brakes, uh, Finley, Finley. Rudge, you know, all the world of sport guys, uh, Dynamite and uh, British Bulldog. Oh, yeah. like, you know, you're like, even if their work isn't primarily in, you know, even Nigel to some extent, like, shit, Nigel. <laughs> eventually, like, eventually it's going to be Zack Sabre Jr. because he's going to keep going. Uh huh. So, like, I don't think it's like that shallow of a pool because, like, the talent there is actually really strong. Sure, 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 sure. But it's just like a case of, like, well, Am I eventually, is he eventually just gonna have like fucking like 25 years of like being great? And I think yeah. Walter has a, has a chance of doing that. But right now, I think the only clear guy that is gonna keep boosting his resume uh -huh. is AJ Styles. And he was already borderline top 10 for me. Yeah. So when I say that AJ just might wind up being the only guy that could ever take, like overtake Danielson, I'm looking at it as, he can keep going. I'm not sure how much longer. We know we like we just don't know. But for the output he has right now and for what he's achieved, I think he has a legitimate shot at it. Now, I guess like what do you think though? Is that do you think there's a chance um that AJ can become just flat out the best of his generation? Because right now, a lot of people have a lot of different answers. Uh -huh. But, you know, Jocena is a part-timer. Daniel Bryan is retired. You know, other guys that people like a lot, like a Samoa Joe or maybe a Sami Zayn or maybe even a Piro guy like a Hiroshi Tanahashi. Like, there's like, you know, 
different like people that may get thrown out there, but AJ feels like the only guy where it's going to keep going. I don't think he'll break my 15. Right. He could replace Robinson. That might be it. But for what like someone like you values and like from the case that you're laying out right now, I'm certainly not going to think any less if he does end up making someone else's like number one. Yeah, and he's and he is like even if he even if he retires at the end of 2017, he will with this extra year have added to his case enough that he would bump himself higher than he would be on my list right now. And I think that's just what I like. I'm not sure what it is about AJ Math, but if someone like even at that age is still like so determined and driven, that's yeah, that's it. It's the work ethic. It's like no one even at this point in his career has ever like put in this kind of work. Like guys like Tenru and Kawada who were around a long time and who like by by virtue of just being surly old men were able to get great matches out. I don't think they put in this sort of effort. You know, even like Negro Casas, like but in like yeah. Lucha you have like the luxury of like, you know, being so, six man tag so much. And it's just a different style. It's a different style. Et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Now how like we like alluded to it, but how long do you personally think AJ is gonna last? Because we already mentioned he's about almost forty years old. He still bumps like a maniac. Is that like where do you place it? Where do you think like AJ is gonna end it? Because it seems like, you know, I guess you have the more pessimistic view on when AJ is gonna end <laughs> it. I pessimistic is one way to put it. I think just the more like um maybe what's oh man i don't want to say realistic because at the same time no, we just don't know what they i have mean. i have the more conspiratorial right. uh the idea that like something bad is going to happen however you look at his contemporaries like brian who's already retired punk already retired joe definitely ain't going that long uh daniels if he doesn't retire this year i'd be very surprised um Gibson already retired. All those, all those sorts of guys. Loki, Loki, basically not a wrestler anymore. Yeah, Um, AJ is gonna keep working longer than any of them. Whether that means two years, whether that means five years, whether that means he hits fifty, I don't know. But he's gonna be around longer than all those dudes, unless literally he dies, which I don't, I don't think it'll happen because he's smarter than that. Like I think after watching him and uh, him and Shane, which I don't like, like he navigated that very dangerous match against a very dangerous worker uh, about as well as anyone could. And I think if that didn't break him, he might not get broken. So I think we've reached the end here. And the one thing I just have left to talk about is what do you think is the legacy and impact of AJ Styles well so far so far it influenced people to think that fucking stupid jackets with a giant hood on them were cool and that it was it was okay if you just couldn't see where you were walking and you had to lift up your hood so you could see I fucking hate that so much I hate his branding I hate his gloves like the stupid, like oh man, look at them! Did they 
you put them over the other yeah, and it okay, makes okay, it Hold on, sign. he didn't even start wearing the gloves until like a few years ago. I know, and I hate them. I hate his hair. Like, wait, I hate which, wait, all which hair? The current The one? current hair. The current hair. His old hair's fine. You just got a current it's funny that he like... Oh, yeah, like the blonde highlights. I hate that. I do think I it's funny it. how he has like completely different looks for like totally. one period of time. And then like he has like the complete like, you know, scruffy, you know, redneck look like now. Yeah, he gets it. Like, he gets that, like, you have to have that sort of progression. If he doesn't get it, someone else told him to do it. Maybe yeah. his wife, yeah, I, thought I guess. Was very, I thought it was very interesting. But, um, yeah, other than bad, um, I guess, other, uh, other than bad wrestling <laughs> gear, choices, uh, what do you think of, what do you think is a legacy in Impact of AJ Styles? I think he's the kind of guy who made, like, the best of a bad hand. Like, I don't think he ever got, like, he wasn't a second-generation guy who had in into wrestling. He wasn't a guy who loved wrestling and had all that foreknowledge and 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 like idea and innovation when he was getting in. He's not the biggest guy. He's not the best guy on the mic. He's not the best-looking guy. Like he had a lot of things working against him, but f- through like sheer force of will, more so than o- anyone other than I think Stone Cold, I think has made shit work, and I think that's going to be his legacy. To add on to that, I think he really is like the sting of just this generation of wrestling fans. Totally. It's something yeah. that isn't going to be replicated. And he's way better. And like in the fact that Sting was always the WCW guy that was like the franchise player that stuck through thick and thin. Uh-huh. And everyone wanted to see, oh man, what if Sting faced The Undertaker? What if Sting faced so-and-so because he was the guy you thought of when you thought of WCW if you weren't already thinking of Ric Flair. But Sting never left. Yeah. Which is a thing. AJ is that same guy for TNA. He never left until like literally he had to because they wanted him to take a pay cut. Mm, yeah. Until he had to go, he wasn't going to leave TNA. And even then, he almost went back to TNA. Like, that's... Oh, that's how loyal that guy is. Like, that guy almost went back to TNA. Yeah, he's on, like, Kawada levels of shit. Like, that's how fucking, like, loyal to a fault that guy is. He would have went back to TNA. Yeah, like, bullheaded, arrogant, cocky, prideful, but, like, loyal. And I think the fact that AJ was this, he was on TV for so long, the franchise player of TNA, for good or bad, for whatever, you know. He was that guy. Uh-huh. And I'm just like, there's no one else from that generation that would have, you know, made such an impact at this point in time. Whether it's, you know, I love Joe. Yeah. Or Danielson. You know, I really like Loki. There's guys I really like. But, like, no one could have done what AJ did with what he had going against him at that point. I think I think Danielson sort of gets there with his early WWE stuff and all the shit they throw at him. I think but with it, Danielson, but it, though, like, But it pales in comparison. But you were saying? I think with Danielson, it's different. Because, yeah. like, the way he comes in, it's a real, like... I don't know how to describe it. It, it is a big deal. SummerSlam 2010 cannot be forgotten. He is... He is a big deal. Oh, it is. It's just like... 
I still think the like a lot of it is I like I glad he got over so much, which you also need to keep in mind that it went along with a chant. So it's like things that like you know may not bother people. It's not like it. You yeah, know, it, it's not like it. Like you know, discredits how hard he how much he got over. Yeah, but a lot of that had to do with a it had to do with a chant. There, there's there's something there to that, you're right. Yeah, and, like, and again, I think the guy is the greatest ever. So I'm not saying it to be like, ah, oh, he didn't really get over on his own, he had to use a stupid chant. <laughs> it's just the fact of it. The chant is a big part of the Daniel uh, Bryan thing. So I think for the fact that AJ didn't have a chant to go along with it, AJ was just the guy from TNA that everyone wanted to see in WWE eventually. He was always the focus of the dream matches, whether it be against John Cena or Batista or an Undertaker Ew. or like, <laughs> you know, whoever else at the time. You know, you always wanted to see AJ Styles versus that person. Uh-huh. This, to me, is like the best possible outcome of like the guy that was a big fish in a small pond. Still feeling like the big fish when he goes to the, you know, when he goes uh-huh. to the ocean. Like, this is a guy that really, really could have flopped twice yes. in bigger companies. And he didn't. So other than just being a great in-ring talent, who has a lot of great matches, and this and that. He's a guy that, perseverance feels like the real, like, word to describe him. Because there's so much shit that could have went wrong for this dude. Uh-huh. And it just didn't. And with that being said, I think that may finally be the end of this podcast. <laughs> for the purposes of those listening at home, I crossed myself. <laughs> you know, this went for long hours. Yeah. yeah. I don't know why. Jeez. I'm sorry. No, that's fine. I, I enjoyed this. This was awesome. I w- like, I wouldn't do this if I didn't enjoy it. <laughs> we're probably going to split this up in two, I think. <laughs> okay. That'll just make more sense. Are you still not recording? Oh, I am. Okay, I was... The way you were talking, I wasn't sure. <laughs> no, but, uh... Thank you, Brock, for taking the time to mm-hmm. watch 40 hours of AJ Styles matches and then it was, record a it wasn't, podcast. It wasn't that much, but, like, it was close. I'm going to have to count it up. And then, you know, talk about AJ Styles for four hours. Because, again, you know, I think with a lot of people, you know, when they're, like, so dead set and they mm. get labeled as being a contrarian or you just want to be a dick, like, they're not just, yeah. like they're not going to talk about it. Yes. But I think a lot, like, more than a lot of people, you're open to listening to, what, yeah. like, you know, someone else, you know, why people buy into the hype. Yeah, and I, I, I want to say thank you, Quentin, for allowing me an opportunity in which to revisit something and to rethink something and open my mind a little bit more. It's This is a very, um, very great opportunity, and I'm thankful for it. So, Brock, let the people know where they can, where they can follow you on Twitter <laughs> and any other writing endeavors that you have um, planned for the future since uh, you, know, you like to write a lot of words. Uh-huh, I write a lot of words for a site called Wrestling with Words. You might have heard of it. Uh, I just had an article go up the other day about um, Katsuhiro Shibata, Nigel McGuinness, Nick Gage, Mick Foley, and uh, the culture of, of 
cheering for wrestlers as they hurt themselves and how it makes me feel. Uh, I like it a lot. It's it's one of the better things I've written, I think. I've gotten a lot of positive feedback on it. Maybe you'd like to read it too. You can find that again on Wrestling With Words. Also on that website, I have a podcast that is uh, pretty infrequently uploaded now these days called Sports Entertainment Shrinks. It's much more comedy-driven, but it's still, I think, we have some good discussions sometimes and a whole lot of goofs if you're interested in that sort of thing. You can find me on Twitter at NotBrockYonke, that's spelled N-O-T-B-R-O-C-K-J-A-H-N-K-E. And you can follow me on Twitter if you don't already at QT underscore Moody. This is the longest Psychology oh, is, is Dead episode to date. Yes, because there isn't an episode that has broken four hours yet. But this was the one. Yeah. And <laughs> I thank anyone that actually took the time to listen to this. And this is one that I was very uh, happy to do. Mm, because AJ is a guy that I think on a surface level, it's fine to say he's great. Mm. It's fine to say all these things. It's fine to, like, you know, just praise the matches. But I think there's a lot more to him that goes beyond, like, you know, he was really great in 2005 and he had a great match. Like, <laughs> sure. It's not that. It's the fact that how long and what he actually went through to get to that point. So, thank you all for listening. We'll be here next time. I hope he finds the team and she hold him down. What a pretty lady in the valley of the shadows. I'm thinking she lost the battle. I'm thinking she found the bottle. Blueberry bubblegum bassinet in my hideout. Baby said turn the lights on. Mama said go to bed now. I had a dream. I rocked my baby fast asleep. Count the toes. They're all there. Kiss the cheek. I think this is a song about redemption or a mother's intuition. How my kitchen sounds like church bells. Why they sell me my dollar and my dream? White picket fence. Crop of the cream. I know this is a song for overcoming, and me coming, and me running out of places. Dance with me, 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 dance with me. I know I'm free. Dance with me.